Greetings, and good afternoon, everyone. This is Cheryl, and I'm so pleased to be here to welcome you to Tara and Rama's Saturday afternoon program, The True Planetary and Galactic History Herstory and True History Herstory of Nasara. Infinite blessings to each of you as we approach the 15th, which is Mary's Ascension Day and the anniversary of the Harmonic Convergence on the 17th and 18th of August. Another powerful week ahead. So please go into your heart center at this time. Going into your heart center, we ask for the full emergence and integration of our soul, of our higher self, of our monad, of our mighty I am presence, and all of our multidimensional being through to our God presence, our goddess presence. Take this time to envision yourself in your pillar of light. Open to its fullest breath, fully anchored to source, to the heart and mind of our Mother, Father, God, and fully anchored to the crystalline heart of Mother Gaia. Hold within your heart this sacred planet and all life upon her. As we ask everyone to join us in our ascension work. And we recommit ourselves to being the bridge between heaven and earth. The anchor for the new golden age. And the open door that no one can shut. But we ask everyone to join us on a spiritual level. And so we affirm, I am my I am presence. As my I am presence, I am one with the I am presence of all humanity. I am one with the I am presence of every man, woman, and child. I am one with the I am presence of all my family members and loved ones. I am one with all that is. And feel yourself connecting heart to heart. High heart to high heart. Cosmic heart to cosmic heart to everyone. If we all connect to the cosmic heart of all that is. We're going to be working with the Blu-ray today. And it's coming into our pillar, which automatically suggests that we're working with the violet ray simultaneously. So let them fill you and surround you as we invite in for everyone, all soul extensions, planetary and galactic, all of our ancestors our genetic lineage, our ancestral lineage, all the generations past, all the generations forward, our spiritual lineage, our soul families and soul pods. We welcome for everyone, all of our guides and teachers, our healing teams, our beloved guardian angel, our beloved twin flame, 
our Ascension Council, our Mission Council. We welcome all the kingdoms, the plant kingdom, the tree kingdom, the mineral kingdom, the animal kingdom, the diva kingdom, the elemental kingdom, the fairy kingdom, all of the kingdoms of nature. The whales, the dolphins, all magical kingdoms, the unicorns, all of the magical kingdoms. We welcome all of the realms of the angels, from the angels and archangels through to the cherubim and seraphim and all angelic healing teams. We welcome the Ascended Masters, the Brotherhood of Light, the Sisterhood of the Rays and Rose, the Order of Melchizedek, the Radiant Ones, the Enlightened Masters, all Divine Mother Emissaries, Divine Father Emissaries, all of the Planetary and Cosmic Hierarchy of Light, all Ascended Master Healers and Healing Teams. We welcome all of our friends from the Galactic Federation of Light, <clears throat> especially the healing teams of those that we work with most closely, from Arcturus, from Pleiades, from Sirius, from Andromeda, from Chiron, from Venus, and all cosmic galactic universal healers that can be in service. We welcome as well Mother, Father, God to overlight all that we do and to magnify, magnify, magnify the, all that we do 10 billion times, 10 billion fold in alignment with divine will and divine law. As we call forth every aspect of divine life, every aspect of heaven on earth, every aspect of Nasara. So we call forth all the rays, all the flames, all the universal laws and ascension waves. And with every energy and frequency, every prayer and invocation, every blessing, every grace, every dispensation, every activation, we ask that it all be received individually and collectively. The maximum that we can receive through each person's I am present, through every cell, chakra, meridian, layer of our auric field multidimensionally, on a conscious, subconscious, and superconscious level as well. Again, ever expanding to perfection. And we ask to easily and effortlessly digest and assimilate, ground and anchor, integrate and embody all that we receive with the greatest of ease and grace and joy and peace and bliss and ecstasy serenity and tranquility, balance and equilibrium, in love and light and laughter. We call forth everyone in the circle of support from the very first name that created it to each and every man, woman, and child, to every animal and pet, every group, every organization, every corporation, every business, every nation, every military, every government, Every weather pattern, every situation, every condition of life, all that is going on in the world, and we hold it in divine perfection. And we ask all of the attention given to all of the events going on on the planet. We ask that that energy be placed in our collective cup of consciousness to transform the planet, to bring forth 
divine illumination, Christ consciousness, and heaven on earth for all. We ask that Gaia receive all that we receive through every chakra and meridian and layer of her orc field multidimensionally. Through every molecule of soil, molecule of air, or molecule of water. Through the ley lines and song lines, through the grid systems, above grids, the light grids, the unity grids, all of the multidimensional grid system. And through every portal and vortex and monument and sacred site and place of power, every stargate, every city of light. As we continue up this amazing spiral of evolution, as Gaia takes her rightful place as Freedom Star. As I said, we're working with the Blu-ray today. So we know that we have Archangel Michael and Lady Faith at our side, Elmoria, Hercules, and Amazonia. This is the Blu-ray of divine will, divine power, divine strength, divine protection, divine order, divine faith, communication, creative expression, divine leadership, and projection into form of what we wish to manifest. So as we call in all of the beings associated with the blue ray, and again, automatically, we're going to be working with the violet ray as well. We call forth the divine will, divine intention, and ask that that rod of blue ray energy that was anchored on the Ascension Meditation and Activation Call of December 12th, 2012, be magnified in every man, woman, and child at this time, this place there in 2012. And we call forth all of the graces and all of the gifts, all of the qualities. We ask to eliminate all self-doubt all lack of trust in ourselves or in the universe. We ask this for every man, woman, and child, for Gaia and for all upon her, that we may all manifest our life purpose right here and right now and expand our powers of communication and creative expression in divine order. So we're going to do a visualization with this blue ray. Rather than our invocation work, so please bring your attention to your throat center at this time and visualize a radiant cobalt blue light radiating out from the throat center. See it, sense it, feel it, make it as real as possible. 
and within that center of blue light is a pulsating crystal white light. And around that white light is a light blue radiance as the blue expands itself outwardly. It continues to become even deeper and more saturated in hue until it turns once again into a deep electric cobalt royal blue. And breathe this blue light into your throat center and as you exhale, exhale the crystal white light and let that white light fill your aura with this beautiful radiance. Take each breath in with the blue light, breathing and breathing the blue light into your throat and exhaling the white light. And see yourself becoming filled with this beautiful blue and white light. It's in through and around you. Every cell, every chakra, every meridian, every layer of your orc field. And the shining radiance of that white light as it extends outward merges with the light blue and reaches an even deeper, more electric cobalt blue light. You can feel the power of this energy and feel the penetrating coolness, the power of this cobalt sapphire blue ray. And let it unfold and recharge all of your cells, re-energizing and empowering your entire body and aura with a new vitality and strength. And please say with me, I am the power and projection of all the energy I require to manifest perfection in my being and world. My will is in full alignment with God's will. Manifesting God's will in all areas of my life. I am filled and charged with the power, strength, and protection of my I am presence. Take a nice deep breath. And visualize now in front of you a beautiful snow-covered mountainscape. It's nighttime. There is a large full golden moon shining above the high snow-covered mountain peaks. As you look around, you feel like you are in the Himalayas near the crown of the world. Again, you look around you and see the sky covered with millions of stars. And as you look further ahead of you, you notice a shimmering white blue light hovering near the top of one of the highest mountain peaks in front of you. You also see the golden reflection of the moon on top of that snow-covered mountain. As you slowly begin to move toward the mountain, 
you discover a guide in the distance who will take you up this mountain. All around you is nothing but snow-covered mountains and brilliant sparks of diamond-like stars in the midnight sky. And you easily ascend up the mountain. And you begin to hear beautiful celestial music that draws you even closer to the brilliant white-blue light up ahead of you. As you continue going up the mountain, your guide motions you to go up the marble, white marble staircase that leads you to this brilliant white-blue light in front of you. As you approach this dazzling light, you now see an opening in the center of that light. You are now standing near the entrance of a beautiful, sparkling, white crystal temple. The guide next to you motions to you to enter. And as you do, your whole body and being is re-energized in the essence of that brilliant white-blue light until you yourself become a blazing, transparent crystal of white-blue light. As you step into this crystalline white temple, you see ahead of you a simple crystal white altar in a golden archway. As you near this altar, you see a shining object of light on it. It has the same white-blue radiance as your own aura. As you move closer to this radiant object, you realize that this is the source of the celestial music that you hear. You are now enfolded in this beautiful music, empowered by its presence and radiance. You step even closer to the altar, wanting to touch this brilliant object. As you reach out to touch it, you recognize this shimmering object to be a beautiful crystal scepter, whose top is the most dazzling, brilliant white-blue diamond sphere. Around the crystalline stem are tiny sparks of laser rainbow light beams. All around the white-blue diamond at the top are brilliant, more extended laser beams of the most beautiful crystalline rainbow spectrum radiating out in all directions from the center of the diamond. As you pick up this sacred object of great power and light, you place it into your right hand and touch it to your heart center. As you breathe in the radiant essence of this white-blue diamond and all its colors into your heart, you exhale the same tiny laser beams of rainbow light until your entire aura is filled with millions of sparkling rainbow laser beams of light. Now bring the scepter to your throat center and hold it there. 
your inner voice becomes one with the celestial music. Your power of creative expression is now being unleashed, activated, and energized. Your ability to communicate and speak your truth is also fully activated. You feel very much at ease in your own power as your own identity is stabilized and integrated with your I am presence and your physical body. Your body, mind, and spirit is now completely recharged and filled with the brilliant diamond essence of the cobalt blue ray. Your ability and power to act in alignment with God's will is now fully activated. You feel deep gratitude as you are enfolded and embraced in the power and majesty of your very own I am God, God is present. As you reclaim your true power and identity, whenever you affirm I am, you will do so with greater conviction and empowerment that will make all your affirmations more powerful and effective. We're going to say this three times. Please join me in this affirmation. I am the presence and power of God's will now manifest in all my thoughts, feelings, and actions. I am the presence and power of God's will. Now manifest in all my thoughts, feelings, and actions. I am the presence and power of God's will. Now manifest in all my thoughts, feelings, and actions. Take a nice deep breath. As you reclaim your power, you now have the ability to restructure your life into the perfection you desire. You continue holding this powerful scepter. And as you do so, you can now direct it to any part of your body or any part of your life that needs balancing and healing. We ask as we hold the intention for both our personal intentions, our planetary intentions, and every aspect that we desire to create heaven on earth, both individually and collectively. We call for it to all be in total divine will, in total alignment with God's will now. As we learn to direct this cosmic beam of power, energy, and strength wherever it is needed, in our body, in our lives, 
in our world. And as you hold the scepter, claim your your own I am God dominion. And ask that whatever energy has been misqualified or abused in your life be totally restructured and replaced with the original divine blueprint of God's divine will and perfection for your life's dream. Let us turn over our power and will to divine will. Allowing this process of surrender to assist us and guide us to make all the necessary choices to manifest our life goals and perfection in every arena of life. In our relationships, in our work, in our finances, in our physical form. We call forth that divine power, that divine order, that divine perfection right here and right now. And we give thanks for this. Let us gently put that scepter back on the altar as we affirm our gratitude to our own God, Goddess Presence for this great gift of empowerment. Knowing that it is yours whenever you need it. It is a part of you. And it is a tool to manifest perfection and heaven on earth. So gently bring yourself back as we ask for this to be sealed by Archangel Michael, by El Morium, by all the beings of the blue ray, sealed in divine perfection, maintained and sustained in the days, weeks, and months ahead. Remembering who we are, remembering every aspect of our divinity and the power that we hold as an aspect of the one. So make sure that you are back in your room, back in your body, fully integrated body, mind, and spirit. As we give thanks for this empowerment, as we see everyone across the planet totally empowered in divine will, totally activated by divine will, totally in alignment with divine will that brings forth the perfection that we have desired so long for each individual 
for the collective, for the planet, maintaining and sustaining heaven on earth. And so it is. Again, make sure you're back in your body, fully integrated body, mind, and spirit. I hope you enjoyed our visualization and activation here with the Blu-ray. Thank you for your part in the divine service that you do each and every day. Thank you for being here on the planet at this time. I'm going to invite you to be a part of the divine service every Sunday and Monday evening for the Ascension Meditation and Activation Call. We've been running for over 12 and a half years now as we work to bring heaven to earth. So we begin at 8.45 p.m. Eastern Time, 5.45 p.m. Pacific Time with greetings, about 25 minutes of greetings, and then Tower and Rama come in with a brief update at 9.30 Eastern, 6.30 Pacific Time. We begin our work in earnest. We do different visualizations different prayers and evocations, different activations and dispensations each night. been using a lot of videos to save my voice, hoping in getting our activations in as well. So if you haven't joined us, please do so. We'd really appreciate your love and light as a part of our work on a regular basis. The main number to dial is the teleconference call is area code fourth I cannot think of it here four three two four three six six two six zero again this I'm gonna I'm gonna check. Hi. <laughs> okay. And I know Tara Tara knows about her too. Okay. Let's see here. So let's see. Make sure I have the number right. I mean on automatically usually here it is. I'm sorry, I gave you the wrong part. I give you the wrong area code. It's um, Eric of 425-436-6260, so the number's right. So Eric code 425-436-6260. The code to access code is 946-7441-POUND. 946-7441-POUND. That's the main number. But there are a number of other lines that you can get through on. Um, there are international numbers if you need that. If there's a way to get on on the Internet, I can send you all that information. Just contact me. Email me at Cheryl Croce. 
my name, C-H-E-R-Y-L-C-R-O-C-I at AOL.com. So Cheryl Croce at AOL.com will get you that list of numbers and ways to join us. We'd really love to have you as a part of our regular family of light. We do all this work. So again, we thank you for your divine service. We thank Tarn Rama for their divine service. All of the amazing hours that they have put in over the years. And we want to thank Rainbird. I want to thank Rainbird for all the times that she covered for me on Saturdays here. Hopefully I can maintain this at a regular basis here. So with that, I'm going to thank you all for your service and thank Tara, Rama, and Rainbird and pass the talking stick to Rainbird. Infinite blessings this week. Again, it's going to be another powerful week. I know the last few weeks have been intense. They've been intense for me. So infinite blessings to us all. Stay in that alignment with divine will and divine order. And we'll bring that perfection into this world. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you all. And with that, Rainbird, I'm passing the talking stick that has these laser beams of rainbow white light coming out from it, blazing with the blue, with the violet, with every aspect of perfection that we could desire. It's all yours, dear. Oh, I'll take that talking stick. Thank you. Thank you, Cheryl, for your divine service and infinite blessings for you and your voice as well. So, so much gratitude for you. And here we are. I'm doing the housekeeping. As we are a listener-supported radio program, it's all of us that make it happen. Each week, we need $300 for our fees with CBS Radio. And uh, we're also assisting Tara and Rama with their needs. So let's see how we make a contribution to CBS Radio. We need $209 to complete what we need for this week. And so here's how we do it. Go to bbsradio.com, and you can click on Radio Station 2 for uh, the Thursday and Saturday programs or for the Friday program, Radio Station 1. So <clears throat> you do that by... Um, yeah, as you click on the on menu for each radio station, you what you want to do for the radio station too is find the listing on Thursday night at six o'clock. These are Pacific times. At the six o'clock hour is the night at the round table with the panel. And as you click on that icon, that takes you directly to our account for CBS Radio, where you can make that donation there. And then that. Also true for this program, the true history, history, and the Sarah and our galactic origins at the 1.30 hour on Saturday. And you can click on that icon there and that'll take you to our account. So the Friday is on a radio station one and it's the hard news on Friday night with Tara and Rama. And we're grateful to be on that radio station. <laughs> and so it'll be with us at the six o'clock hour. Uh, 
the hard news call, and you click on that, and that'll take you to our account. So there you go. That's how where you go to make it happen and get it done. So much gratitude for you taking that action, and and even if you have just a little bit, it all really helps. So thank you, thank you for doing that. And then we're also assisting Tara and Rama with their needs, and this this week. Um, they're okay with the bills that they need personal spending money. And so they're needing that. Um, actually something is ASAP for gas in the car. There's not enough gas in the car to go anywhere. So if someone could help out with that, um, today, that'd be awesome. So here's, uh, what else they need for Living expenses is around $200, um, a little more good, <laughs> but uh, that'll help take care of the things they need to take care of this week. So as you're sending something to Tar and Rama, here's how we do it. You want to go to the web address and link to Rama's PayPal account. The web address is rainbowroundtable.net, and there on the home page, you click on the menu grid, and you'll see the donate link near the bottom of the, that, that list. Click on that. That takes you to Rama's PayPal account. And you can make a donation in any amount using your bank card. And if you have your own PayPal account, what you want to do is not click on that link, but rather go into your own PayPal account and then put Rama's email in there, and that will give you the friend option that's available. So that email address you want to use, Coran, K-O-R-A-N, 9999 at hotmail.com. And then as you're sending something, please let Rama know in that email for letting Rama know that what you sent and when you sent it is Coran, K-O-R-A-N, 9999 at comcast.net. So that's how we get that done. <laughs> um, there's so much gratitude. If you're needing the, the mailing address, that is Ram D. Berkowitz, R-A-M D. Berkowitz, B-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z, Post Office Box 280280. And that is in Santa Cruz, New Mexico, 87. Five six seven. So there you have it, all the information. And again, so much gratitude for all your contributions, assisting Tara and Rama with their needs as well. We're so grateful for them and all that they do, and bringing us those updates and energy updates and white night updates. So lots of gratitude and. Um, so there you go. I have two web addresses to give you. Um, one's for Premark and it's www, no, it's https colon forward slash forward slash and then www.shopfreemark.com forward slash T-A-R-R-A-M. And that's the username for the 2013 Rainbow Roundtable site that's there. And, um, yeah, I also that that's also um, a place to go get really good supplements that are 
very high energy, highly active, (laughs) pure supplement that uh, you can use for assisting your body as we go through all these energy shifts and everything else. So it's good to check them out and try different ones, but that's the address to go to to look around if you want to join. And then as you join, then you can order from your own account. And so the other website is for New Gen Coin, and that is a cryptocurrency that's um, backed by real assets. And uh, they're fun ones. <laughs> they're ones that you would want to invest in. So it feels like a people's thing to me. Here's the web address you want to go to join. HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash www.newgencoin.com forward slash, and then there's a choice, T-A-R-R-A-M for the Rainbow Roundtable site, and N-A-R-N-O-R for Marshall Norris uh, for all kinds of gratitude for all that he does and for bringing it us as well. So, there you go. 13 thank yous and honey in the heart. Long life. <laughs> Live long and prosper. And I've been passing this talking stick. It is, has those laser beams of the radiant light, that white platinum light and the blue and violet and all the rays of the rainbow. So, I'm just putting on the rest of the fairies and feathers that want it to come. And and we know Excalibur is there and Quetzalcoatl and that, uh, yeah, that sort of truth. So lots of fairies and feathers with little people, the Manahunis, the gnomes, and all the elementals, all the elementals and the divas and the unicorns and there's dragon fire to light it all up. So greetings. <laughs> Tara and Mama, here comes this talking stick. Greetings. Greetings. Everyone. Uh, have you ever felt like a dangling participle before? <laughs> I just, you know, it seems like there's a shoe about to fall every day these days. Yeah, and this is what Rumi has to say about, you know, this day. It's good to leave each day behind, like flowing water, free of sadness. Yesterday is gone, and its tale told. Today, new seeds are growing. Good, Rama. Maybe we should uh, share those things often. Yes. Well, um, who's doing those roomy? Uh, I have no idea. Well, don't lose that. Keep that. Oh, okay. Keep that site so that we can. Uh, I will send I'm it. Sure, they'll do it every day. Then we can do that. We can say stuff about it. Yeah. Yes, our brother. Made his transition there in, uh, what was that, Tulum, Mexico, or south of there somewhere. 
Um, we used to do those reports. He made his transition. I don't remember his name. He used to read those reports. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yesterday's gone. I Ching. That was the I Ching, right? Yes. Yeah. That's a mastery to be yeah. able to do that. And as you do it on a regular basis, we all have that gift, you know, as we do things that call in the higher level of awareness and we do it at a regular time every day, then uh, the universe responds. So we do these shows three times a week and we are certainly grateful uh, Don told us there were three times more people at our show on Friday than there's usually uh, from Station 2. Uh, and so on Station 1 on Friday, there were three times more uh, guests that came to listen. And I know that that will continue to increase. And we continue to encourage uh, sharing what we share with everyone so that more people become aware. It's already done is the deal. And of course, there's every kind of temptation to repeat the old pattern of <clears throat> blood must be spilled routine. And uh, I'm looking forward to the reality that the energies actually cancel out that kind of basically that thought form yes it's it's false evidence appearing real to the amazing beings that we are and of course uh, we couldn't have gotten you know, they keep on asking, how low can we go? I don't think they can go much lower, folks. <laughs> we we no. aced that one. <laughs> we did. Uh, just I want to say I'm grateful for the persistence of and the determination of all of you who have been riding this wave. And, uh... Yeah, yes, I... I agree. <laughs> Ditto. Yes, and we're all challenged on a daily basis. And the energies today have been really intense. The um, frequencies, uh, let's say, I most of the day had my head feeling like you know, a balloon, and that string, and you're not sure if the string's attached, and uh, race of violet fire because what's happening is this transformation transfiguration as the dark side goes down and it is going down really fast and to be aware of remaining in unconditional divine neutrality <laughs> on every case Oh, Al Sharpton's showing the hologram of Hillary out there. Yeah, the parade of holograms and clones and this story, like Billy Carson is going to talk about, is 
It Today, all, yes. All goes back to this wonderful, magical story of that DNA and our that friends. That we played last night. And our friends from the stars who wanted to create a master slave race or droids. They're even wanting to do that right now. How come friends like that are doing stuff like that with our human race? What? Bernie Sanders calls them our friends across the aisle. He's respectful. Uh, I'm not comparing Republicans to our friends from the stars. Oh, okay. You said our friends from the stars. Um, That's what you said. Yeah, it's kind of That's not satirical in the sense that they're not really our friends. Well, wait a minute. Why yeah. are you even calling people from the stars not, not friends? And why are you saying that people from the stars, wh what are you saying? You sort of missed what I said. I know that you started your sentence off with our friends from the stars. Thought they were going to create a slave race. What friends from the stars that thought they were going to create a slave That's what I was talking about. Well, that's not what... Mr. Carson said about them. No. They wanted to do that in the past, and it's over. It's done. But I thought we were all equal here. We are all equal here. I think that was a collective attitude that built where they replaced the power of love with an attitude of money is better. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, um, what we can do is we can continue. What's your message for today? Because you didn't give me any. Um, Basically, the message today, uh, let's say I got a text message and it was very short from Darby Odell, and he just said that Russia and Ukraine are, you know, throwing the blame back and forth, and it is very convoluted. And well, the problem is, is that they're shelling a nuclear plant, and yeah. that's where they're doing their things, and I mean, all the RT things are like in a red alert, that we could have a nuclear holocaust that will cover all of Europe and extend around the globe if they do something like that. And they still continue to shell at that nuclear plant. Back and forth. Is that a suicide mission? I would say that it's a mission. What's going on is this saber rattling on both sides but they are playing you know very dangerous games well the thing is it's not putin putin has been no. in an underground base on the far uh eastern side of russia yeah underground and a lookalike putin has been playing this game and, the and that lookalike putin represents the oligarchical powers that 
are hoping to continue to drag out the idea that war is a necessity of life. Get used to it. When it to them it is, in the sense that um, killing for money has always been profitable to the small few elites. And uh, I don't think dumb, dumb, and dumber about that issue can continue because the energies continue to go up. So we're going to get out a little upgrade on how to talk to the extraterrestrials. We're going to start with that. And this is from our brother, Dr. Greer. How to communicate with extraterrestrials. They do not want you to know this, meaning the powers that were, that we're just talking about here, do not want you to know this, what he's going to be teaching us. So let's get started, Rama. Okay. Are higher dimensional beings trying to speak with us right now? This is a global diplomatic initiative between humans and these very advanced civilizations from other star systems. We make contact with them and then invite them to interact with us. So these civilizations have been around for hundreds of thousands, millions of years. They know the trajectory. They know that we need a course correction. If you are advanced enough to travel faster than the speed of light under control of circumstances and go from one star system to here, you have technologies that if you were hostile, you could terminate all human civilization in a nanosecond. And they have not. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Michael Sandler, your host on Inspire Nation. If you've ever wanted to speak with higher dimensional beings, then do we have the Dr. Stephen M. Greer show for you. Today, I'll be talking with Dr. Stephen M. Greer, a leading UFO expert, founder of the Center for the Study of Extraterrestrial Intelligence, CSETI, and the Disclosure Project, and the creator of numerous extraterrestrial documentaries on helping us find out the truth about ETs. And that's just what I want to talk with him about today, how to communicate with higher dimensional beings and why it's more important now than ever. Plus, stay tuned to the end where we're going to do a guided meditation so you can call in higher dimensional beings and ETs right now. So welcome to the show, Stephen. Are you ready to shine? Sure, let's do it. Woohoo! All right. Before we dive right into things, let's go back to the 40s for a second. Let's Or let's go back to the 40s and 50s. And then I want to look at Hollywood for a brief moment. Uh, it, it, it's interesting that you call it, you know, close encounters. So actually, the two key things that I want to talk about is first off, what happened at Roswell? And then secondly, was the movie Close Encounters of, I believe, was the third kind based on something true? Uh, yes, well, it, Roswell was not the first, but it's the most famed uh, crash retrieval of an interstellar vehicle. And it was downed by an advanced electromagnetic weapon that was hidden in a radar dome. We have an FBI document written for J. Edgar Hoover from a field agent saying so. And um, that, by the way, when we released it, had has become the number one 
viewed document on the FBI website <laughs> by far. Um, so that event led to uh, a very intensive project uh, headed up by Dr. Vannevar Bush, who had headed up the Manhattan Project, the Atomic Bomb Project, to get to the bottom of the modus operandi, to quote a document from Canada, top secret. In other words, the mechanism of how these craft operate, their energy system, their propulsion system, teleportation systems, all of it. So it began sort of the modern era in the 40s in the wake of, and of course in the backyard of the atomic bomb program, because at the time, people don't know this, Roswell was the only atomic bomb storage facility on Earth. No other nation had the bomb. And that was the only place where we stored ones that were operational. And that's why the ETs were so concerned, because it's not only something that could destroy all life on Earth, but as I mentioned, when you detonate one, it actually rips the fabric of the universe and is destructive way out uh, beyond the Earth and beyond our solar system on these other dimensions. Because remember, we see the, the art physicists have described a certain level of the cosmos, and now they're descri- describing, you know, dark energy and dark matter and other realms and other dimensions. In reality, when you detonate an atomic bomb or hydrogen bomb worse, there is a pulse that goes out that's beyond the speed of light. It's not just the electromagnetic pulses. So, so the ETs were very, very concerned about this, obviously. Quick question. Were the... I heard it's a, it's a big picture question. I'm just going to take us off on a tangent. I want to bring us back. Are, are, are all ETs, they've made it through this time period. Are they operating more out of a place of benevolence or a place of love? Why wouldn't an ET, I'm not coming from a place of fear, but say, we need to stop this and we need to do whatever it takes so that they, uh, the earthlings don't hurt others. There, that's a big problem. And because you're dealing with contrary to the mythology of this issue. And by the way, I'd say the closest movie in Hollywood ever done on the subject that's accurate was Steven Spielberg's. I know his son, Max, um, the close encounters of the third kind. It was a docudrama. And actually when it was shown at the, in, at the Reagan White House in the theater, I know three people who were there who stood up and, and said at the end, Reagan stood up and said, there are very few people in this room who know how true to life this is. But now remember, uh, Mr. Spielberg got access from files at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base where the remains of the craft and bodies from the Roswell uh, event went. And he was also advised by Dr. J. Allen Hynek, who had been head of Project Blue Book, which was the Air Force research effort back in the uh, 60s and whatnot on uh, the UFO issue. And so many of those, even though it's a Hollywood production and fiction it was based on actual events that had happened, including the telepathic part of it. Um, and so uh, that, that's quite interesting. Now, just so people know the phyla or the categories, a close encounter of the first kind is a sighting at a pretty close range. A close encounter of the second kind is when something leaves physical evidence, radar or lands on the ground, leaves a trace, um, metal, whatever. Um, a close encounter of the third kind is the sighting of an extraterrestrial biological entity, or even, as they're called in the intelligence community. Uh, a close encounter of the fourth kind is when someone has an experience and they go on board a craft. And a close encounter of the fifth kind is a term that I uh, created in 1990 
to describe humans is the first active category where humans initiate or invite the, con- the event and invite, invite the contact to happen. So that's where it's a really uh, order of magnitude more significant because the others are all kind of passive human observational or experience. The, this is when humans actually consciously take an over step to invite communication and contact for a higher purpose, for the purpose of creating universal peace, peace on earth and in space. Now, obviously, and one of the big problems with this whole subject is that it's 99% mythology and disinformation embedded in the pop culture by the intelligence community and the CIA operatives, um, where they portray the ETs as these scary aliens and this and that, like the movie Alien. Um, uh, now, the reality is, I mean, anybody who has a scintilla of scientific knowledge will confirm this very quickly. If you are advanced enough to travel faster than the speed of light under controlled circumstances and go from one star system to here, which all of these civilizations are, they're not indigenous to our solar system, you have technologies that if you were hostile, you could terminate all human civilization in a nanosecond, literally, and they have not. Now, why have they not? Well, the Earth is considered a very cherished place. Uh, they see the future of humanity as being very potentially beautiful. They know there's many aspects of humans that are very spiritual, beautiful, creative. And this planet is actually what we call it a destination planet. It is so unbelievably beautiful and diverse in life that it's much loved in the cosmos, much loved. So they're being very patient, waiting for humans to mature and grow up. The problem is the timeline. When you reach the nuclear threshold and beyond, covert programs have technologies way beyond nuclear, significantly. Um, and you haven't developed spiritually and socially to, to match the technology. That's when the technology can then become bent to the purpose of war, bent to the purpose of conflict and destruction, which is when a civilization is precisely at a, an inflection point where it either has to evolve to a peaceful civilization or it will terminate. And other worlds have had that happen. Yeah. There's good evidence that happened on Mars. Uh, ancient civilizations on Earth may have come this way before us and reached the nuclear threshold and not become peaceful and were uh, destroyed. There's reason to believe in the uh, Vedas uh, that there were uh, accounts that in India that such an event took place that wiped out civilization. So these civilizations have been around for hundreds of thousands, millions of years. They know the trajectory. They know that we need a course correction. So, you know, I'm an emergency and trauma doctor, and I left my career to fix this problem once I was asked to brief the director of the CIA and the president on this some years ago and found out that the legal constitutional government of the United States has no control over these covert beyond black projects. So then that's led to me starting the disclosure project where we've then now been identifying hundreds and hundreds of top secret witnesses to give information to the public and the ones who won't do it for the public, I'm putting it together in packages and giving to the investigators who are now under law required to investigate the UFO issue um, in the last year or two. So I'm the, passing that information 
up the chain of command. And they have succeeded in hitting Pater. That's all I can say on this call. Um, so that's a very huge project. So th- th- those projects are really key. And people go, well, why would all this have been kept secret? It's a lot of it is they, you know, at the time in 47, they didn't know what they were dealing with. Um, and they knew it was high advanced technology. World War II was over, but the Cold War was ramping up with the Soviet Union. And the technology was, they knew, extraordinary. Now, that program went so black that the people in the White House and the Congress have no control over them. I can say this with a, as a, for a fact, because I'm in Washington half the time and meet with those folks. So I think that we have a situation, it's a huge crisis. So that's why the Close Encounters of the Fifth, kind of the CE5 contact <laughs> initiative, has to be coordinated with efforts with governments around the world to get to the bottom of this and get control over these sort of Frankenstein black projects that are running this issue and are also dangerously targeting ET craft with very advanced electromagnetic weapons and knocking them down. Remember, you don't go from another star system to the desert of New Mexico and can't navigate a thunderstorm. That's the, that's the cover story of how that crashed in Roswell. That's not what happened. That was a deliberate targeting and downing of an interstellar vehicle and a reconnaissance vehicle with four beings, intelligent beings on it, uh, three of whom died, one survived. What happened to the one who survived? He was uh, interrogated, tortured, and eventually died um, in about 1951 or 1952. I've interviewed men who have now since deceased who um, handled him. Are some of the technologies, uh, transistors, circuits, um, computer chips? Those are all spin-offs. So that's one of the funding mechanisms for these covert groups. They can start companies that then make billions, trillions of dollars on the spin-offs. And everyone may know that Colonel Corso wrote a book, Day After Roswell, where he described that technology transfer program and he was involved in a very small part of it i have dozens and dozens of people now on my team who work over the years from many corporations lockheed northrop grumman general electric uh booz allen hamilton saic they all have very covert black beyond black projects but remember you know the, the u.s tax dollars have been funding them but then the technology spinoffs are seized by corporatized entities that have a very sort of fascist bent, frankly. And they, of course, made enormous wealth. So you can, you, you have multiple avenues of revenue. You have the privatization, corporatization of the technology, and you have, you know, basically the embezzlement of at least at this point, somewhere between eight and ten and trillion dollars that have gone into these projects. In fact, Donald Rumsfeld, remember right before 9-11, Donald Rumsfeld admitted, and we have this on videotape, he admitted that there was $2.3 trillion unaccounted for in the Department of Defense budget with a T. All right, so this is not a conspiracy theory. These are facts. Uh, the mainstream media almost never reports on it because the media is the only more corrupt entity than this cabal of sociopaths running these programs. 
Um, they are certainly more corrupt than the politicians. I would say th- there are no politicians I've ever briefed as corrupt as the media people and the big tech companies. Are higher dimensional beings trying to speak with us right now? Well, I mean, you're first of all, let's suggest, you know, I'm very specific. I'm a doctor, so we use very specific language for clarity. Um, the what we're doing are involving a specific project, a diplomatic project, uh, using advanced concepts in higher consciousness to communicate with extraterrestrial biological entities from other star systems. There are beings from higher dimensions, celestial, angelic, what have you, which also assists with that at times, but that's very different from an ET civilization that is uh, flesh and blood, 3D, to transverse other dimensions to go from point A to B. So one of the problems with this subject, I, call, I wrote a paper in 1995 called ETs and the New Cosmology, and it's the conflation of all things people don't understand, calling them the same thing. So um, like all things, it's important to be uh, specific. So what we're doing with what's called Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind, and I think some of your viewers may have seen the documentary. You can see it free now on Amazon Prime and Tubi and Hulu and Pluto or wherever, um, is training people to make contact with these civilizations And we're using consciousness and higher consciousness because these civilizations have technologies that interface with coherent thought. Now, in the process of doing that, often we will have. Yeah. And we will have interactions with beings from other higher dimensions that are not extraterrestrial. But there needs to be an understanding of what we're specifically doing. And this is a global diplomatic initiative between humans and these very advanced civilizations from other star systems. So uh, it is not a, a project that is aimed at primarily contacting um, uh, intelligent beings from uh, other higher dimensions, such as celestial, but that happens as a consequence naturally because the universe is an integrated quantum hologram that's conscious. So that when you contact, uh, and when you're in that state of consciousness of non-locality, expanded, infinite mind, you're going to be able to see and interact with ETs and communicate but also you will often see and communicate with beings that are in another higher dimension. But that's an that's a incidental event from the specific purpose of Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind. So it's not one of these things where, you know, we're saying, and first, first of all, we don't call them because that in, implies that they're servants on our beck and call. It's a diplomatic process. So the, the language we like to use is respectful of these civilizations. Whereas if you call a servant, you call the man. No, this is like you would do that for the chief steward on Air Force One if you're the president. Um, that's not the dynamic. The dynamic is very much diplomatic, respectful. Um, so we never call them in, ever. Um, we make contact with them and then invite them to interact with us. And when you see the photos and images 
of uh, which you can see in the film of all the encounters we've had with these beings from other star systems um, who are traversing through other dimensions to get here. And we can talk about this. Um, it's very much in the context of um, a higher consciousness and from the mind and the heart resonating as one uh, where it, but it's done in the spirit of cooperation and respect rather than um, sort of like dolphins at sea world where we, you know, call them and jump through a hoop for it. So I'm, I'm willing to be really specific because this is a big problem. If people go out with, with that mindset, the ETs don't come because it's disrespectful. So we want to be very respectful. Thank you. So let's make sure. And, and in fact, I have questions about what we're calling them later on that we're going to go to. I definitely want to be very respectful. Why is this a diplomatic mission and why specifically is the aim to contact biological beings? And I'm guessing in other dimensions or universes or maybe even timelines. Why them? Why? Well, because the, what people call a UFO are two separate objects. First of all, they're the ones that are of extraterrestrial origin uh, that are ETs from another planetary system that have spacecraft. Uh, let's remember, angels and celestial beings don't need a flying saucer or a craft like that. So, uh, you know, that's why we're very, very specific. It's not to exclude that because it's all part of a comprehensive holistic paradigm. But um, the reason that's so important is that as we began to detonate atomic and nuclear weapons, um, the entire universe tilted because when you detonate one of those weapons, it rips the fabric of space and time, not just on Earth, but everywhere, because it sends out a pulse that's faster than the speed of light, uh, scalar, longitudinal. Um, and it damages the sort of superhighway of interstellar communication and travel. So that's why in the 40s and 50s, there was this huge surge of planetary civilizations concerned about the Earth. That has led to an enormous problem with the classified projects in the U.S. government and elsewhere mismanaging the relationship. And this is why the whole CE5 contact, close encounters of the fifth kind, uh, contact initiative is a citizen's diplomacy effort to repair uh, and advance in a positive direction the relationship between humans on Earth and these ETs that are from other star systems, of which there are thousands of them, a different species, different uh, from different star, uh, planetary systems. So that's a big undertaking because the if you go to the United Nations or the State Department or the Foreign Ministry of whatever country you're in, there is no such project doing this. So uh, we're feeling like there has to be a pioneering effort that's guided by higher consciousness and principles of universal peace to uh, make contact and to show these civilizations that there are enlightened and peaceful people here on Earth. So that's the specific purpose of Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind. And we have an app, CE5 Contact, which you may have, and it's an app that trains you in this whole process. So that's very important. Um, and, and again, we do often have experiences with beings from other dimensions that aren't corporeal. In other words, they're not physical, biological entities. They're uh, in bodies of light. 
and what have you. And the other thing to remember, an ET civilization that's very advanced can go from point A to B in the physical cosmos and appear around the Earth or in your backyard uh, as, as sort of a light beam, almost like a hologram. Um, so there's an entire, in which we you know, have, don't have time to in a short discussion like this, but this is why um, that what we're doing in September, for those who want to come on the 16th, 17th, and 18th in Arizona, out on Native American uh, land, we're going to do a mass meditation and contact event um, that is open to the public and people can't be there physically. We're going to live stream it. And one of those nights, the last night, we're going to be out way out in the desert and do this and uh, to train people, but also to send a mass wave in higher consciousness through the cosmos, letting these civilizations know that humans are preparing to enter into a time where we're going to become interstellar civilizations. So that's very exciting. And that's, that is an event that, you know, you can, hopefully you have a link where people can find out how to come. Um, but that's going to be in September 16th, 17th, 18th. And what we want to do with these sort of three day programs is train people to become ambassadors to the universe from humanity who understand the details of this because understanding the cosmology, the technologies, the science of consciousness, the techniques of contact, how to set up a team, how to document it, um, how to communicate when they do appear. I mean, this is really a complex uh, process. When we start, oh, it's a dangerous term to use, democratizing, <laughs> what a slippery slope, democratizing our ability to communicate with ETs. When we do that, does that create, just as much as there's scalar waves, does that create the equivalent of a scalar wave across this planet to shift consciousness to where we're not stuck in this matrix where we don't even know that we're not free of what's going on? Bingo, and that's the power of meditation together. You know, the studies that have been done, I mean, before I was a medical doctor, I was a meditation teacher and went all over the world setting up meditation centers um, mainly Vedic, but some uh, Buddhist breath meditation um, and Sanskrit uh, mantra meditation. But what I found was, um, and the studies were done back in the 60s and 70s, and then was, there were follow-on studies done by Dr. John at Princeton, an engineering lab, where they showed that people in consciousness and meditative states, they not only elevate their own vibration, resonance, consciousness, but it affects everyone around them that they don't even know. And that if you get about 1% of a population of a city, say, you know, if you have 200,000 people in a town, if you have 2,000 people meditating and doing it regularly, and particularly when they sync up together, it alters everyone else so that crime rates go down, uh, emergency department, my, my field of visits go down, Coherence goes up. So the way the world can advance, you know, I'm trying to, you know, create this uh, ability for millions of people to join us, like we're going to do in Arizona in September, where we sync up people's meditative state altogether and with a specific outcome of peaceful contact with these civilizations, but also transforming the earth into a, a place of peace. 
uh, because that's going to happen in the heart and higher consciousness most effectively, more so than intellect and institutions. Now, in the meanwhile, we need, you know, we have these wild, rabid dogs that need to be, you know, watched who have these covert programs and technologies that have been misusing them, um, which is why I do the work I do in Washington and elsewhere. But the central um, purpose of, of the, why my organization was founded for was CE5 contact and the mass consciousness effect. And the studies on this are really quite elegant. And even they found that with random number generators like Dr. John at Princeton had, if one person puts their mind on it, you can shift the the quantum computer to put out more ones and zeros or more zeros than ones. But if two people that love each other are doing it, it actually is an exponential. And so this, this, Human love factor and higher consciousness and working together is how things shift uh, on an exponential level. And so when well, you look at the planet, you know, 1% of the planet's population to be 75 million people. Um, and if 75 million people began to, which isn't that many out of seven and a half billion people, um, began to meditate and do these sort of pro, uh, programs, uh, the world would actually go through what's called a phase transition where it suddenly goes from chaos to peace and order. And that's the power of meditation together combined with love of one another. Do you feel that's why on so many levels it seems like it's an orchestrated pushback? We've got the military who's in theory making things public at this time and going, please give us money so that we can look at this. Please, we want to keep people safe. And and there's such this this strife and division that I feel is being fed to us through the media, let's be honest, um, to keep us from the path that we're on, because it seems like we're getting closer to that 75 million. And so there's more of a pushback. Yeah, there's a huge pushback because they know that there are two big trends happening. There are now millions of people doing CE5 contact. Um, The app is in the top 10 apps in the world for educational apps and has been for two solid years with no staff. We have no staff. We have no marketing team. We have no budget. So that's phenomenal. I mean, that's a tech story right there. If you're a tech person, how does this happen? Was well, because people understand um, how important. And then there have been a lot of, you know, celebrity supporters like, you know, Chris Brown and, and Demi Lovato and other people who, uh, Ariana Grande and others who are very big supporters of what we're trying to achieve. But I think that it's really a grassroots viral phenomenon of consciousness rising. But as we have done the documentary on Acknowledge exposing these corrupt projects and then have millions of people beginning to do Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind, CP5 Contact, they have raced frantically to put out all the false information. So what you'll see in the media and from certain people who've surfaced out of the intelligence community um, in the UFO culture is this is a national security threat. And we don't know what these things are. And they're a threat to the national security. Well, I assure people, the only ones that are a threat to the national security are the man-made ones coming out of the desert that are ours masquerading as alien craft. That is a threat to the national security. And guess what? The top people in Washington at the national security level and congressional oversight level, Pentagon, 
They don't know that. What I just shared with you in meetings, they really have no idea of how this is going on. It's that out of control. Even the people who manage the black budget of the United States don't, aren't read into or briefed on that. So I President Feta's award-winning taste can transform any occasion into a special occasion. So I think this is a big problem. So we have to we have to be mindful of both. We need to raise consciousness and make contact. At the same time, we disclose the issue. Now, I'm going to announce here, nobody knows this. I'm in the middle of a meeting here at my farm in Virginia near uh, Thomas Jefferson's house at the University of Virginia. Um, to start on a epic two-hour feature film that's going to feature the energy and propulsion devices and explain how the world will be transformed. And we actually are going to be showing uh, not only the history of a 100, I call this the lost century. There's a 100 years of technology that and, and social and spiritual evolution that we've lost because of the secrecy. And in the meanwhile, we're destroying the biosphere. So people, you know, we people are arguing in two camps, solar panels and windmills or drill more oil and gas. And we're in an energy crisis now, an inflationary crisis. The truth is both sides are right and wrong. There's not enough energy density with solar and wind to run 8 billion, 7 billion people. We can't even... If everyone drove a Tesla car, you would have massive blackouts of the power grid. Mm. Absolutely. States are already telling people, don't charge your car certain hours because the grid's going to go down. So how do we fix this? Well, the good news, very good news for people, younger people in particular, who are very hopeless. The technology that runs a UFO, where is that energy coming from? There's no no oil, jets, gas. So I tell people, look at CNN or 60 Minutes, CBS, or the, the, the of our Navy guys chasing that Tic Tac, that UFO off the coast of California. Forget all the all the baggage of UFOs and ETs. Just just look at it in a different way for a second. It's an alternative energy and propulsion system. Mm-hmm. It's not using any nuclear, fossil fuel, or wind or solar. What is that? That's what has to come out now. So that's the next big thing we're working on. And this Lost Century film is about the Lost Century and how we regain it, reclaim it, and what I call a time snap, where in 10 years we catch up on the Lost 100. So, so I've got to ask, and I've, I've read your work, are you in danger with the work that you do, and have you been attacked? Yes and yes. Very serious. Yeah, and, and the guys that I'm now working with in Washington who have been charged with getting to the bottom of this, they're in mortal danger, have been threatened. You know, we've all been put on watch group, the watch group list, which is the kill list and watch list. Um, it doesn't bother me. Um, you know, we have people, I have folks who are protective of what we're doing that have enormous resources. Um, and I, you know, ultimately, I just turned 67. I have like expecting our 12th grandkid. I'm more, I'm not so concerned about my own welfare. I'm more concerned about what is planet are we leaving to your children that was just your child that was just born 
and all my grandchildren and the, and the thousands I mean, of generations yet unborn. Remember, the time we live in is the closure of this one yuga, this one old, that's old age, the Kali, the opening of an age of enlightenment. But people don't realize the last yuga, 450,000 years, is closing. But the one that's opening, that we're in the middle of this turbulent time, is 500,000 years of unbroken peace, interstellar travel, higher states of consciousness. But we're at this very risky time where if we don't get this right in the next few years, then we're going to miss that window. So it's uh, when I say that it's uh, it's very urgent, this is what propelled me. Knowing this is what made me leave my medical career. Now, obviously, I mean, it is a very dangerous thing, anyone doing it at this level, uh, you know, with, with where you're actually I'm arming the people who are investigating this, who are the good guys in government, to penetrate these projects, and they have done so. And that this is the big story that nobody, I can't go into much detail on this happened in the last uh, few months. But but what it means is, is that it also means you, you have a situation where these covert groups could become even more vicious. But uh, that's why we need everyone's prayer and protection, you know, in the in that state. And that's something everyone can do. I hadn't planned on going in this direction, but it's 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 screaming at me now. Uh, Lemoyne from Google, Lambda, AI. What does this have to do with anything? Well, I mean, all of those systems are. If you know about it publicly, they're sort of a faint version of what's been done covertly. So just remember. If it's anywhere on the internet and anywhere in the news and, you know, Wired magazine, what have you, it's, you know, at least 20 to 50 years behind. Mm-hmm. Sort of like a popular mechanics or a popular science. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, but remember that trillions of dollars going into programs and some of the most brilliant physicists and engineers I've ever met spend their whole lives working in a skiff a secure communication information facility underground. And, you know, at the Lockheed Skunk Works or at the Redstone Arsenal in Huntsville, Alabama, and all over. And unfortunately, that brain drain has gone into these covert programs. Meanwhile, we have, they estimate 3 billion people on Earth that don't have gas or electricity to cook with, and they're cutting down all the forests. 3 billion. That was the last report that was in The Economist. So you have 3 billion people who don't even have literally a pot to pee in or any way to cook their food. And we're still living like halfway out of the cave. And yet in these covert programs, the technologies are sitting there that could literally, as the ET said to Colonel Corso in 1956, a new world, if you can take it. You know, that's how we end Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind of documentary, where is this story of Colonel Corso having this encounter with the ET and, and he says, what's in it for me? You know, being a very kind of brash young Air Force colonel. And the ET turns to him and says, a new world, if you can take it. Just like that. So a few more questions. I want to round, round the, the bend back into some positive territory here. And then let's, let's do a meditation, if we can, to help people uh, with contact. Um, I did an ayahuasca ceremony, I don't know, close to a decade ago where I called in um, uh, extraterrestrials. And suddenly the sky was filled with layer after layer after layer 
of spacecraft. And I said, what in the world are you doing? And they said, we're here to protect you. It is a thankless job. You could kill yourself off basically at any time, at any moment. We are here to to keep you safe. And it makes me think of, I don't know if it's common culture, but things like, and and I wonder if they're real, uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis. And was the button pressed? And are there beings literally trying to keep us alive and keep keep our pulse going till we can around the bend? Yes, that is a main part of the, what they call the mission to planet Earth. And it's completely accurate. Our experience in contact is that they're very much here to restrain the worst aspects, to protect the Earth, but also other star systems, but also to give us time so that we can get this right. Um, so we're buying time, but you know, there's only so much time you can buy yeah. when the way we're living on the earth. I might, you know, I'm five sixteenths Native American, Cherokee, and we are killing our mother earth. I mean, we are killing it, literally killing it, ocean, land, water, air, all of it. So they know this, the ETs know this, and one of their big messages that comes through over decades is their concern about weapons of mass destruction and war, and the environment. Now, ironically, the technologies that have been kept suppressed that we want to feature in this next feature film, we're going to prove these technologies exist. We're going to prove how they've been suppressed. and But then we're going to lay out a very positive vision of a path to bring them out in the next year or two, and then within 10 to 20 years have a totally different world. So that is a huge undertaking. And obviously, fraught. Because there are a lot of people who've discovered these technologies who have been assassinated, frankly. Um, and uh, we know that. But, you know, uh, as an emergency doctor, I've taken care of people killed over a 50 cent beer. Uh, you know, I've taken care of unbelievable things over trivialities. I always tell people, you know, it, it, this is, you know, of such great significance that you're, we need to have people who are willing to walk the talk here. Um, luckily we do have people like that, both in and out of government that we're working with now. And so, but the, 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 all your listeners can help through prayer, meditation, doing CE5, um, contributing to our crowdfunding campaigns when we launch them. Uh, all of these documentaries, by the way, and unacknowledged has had 760 million people see it. No corporation funded it. It was all done through crowdfunding donations through our site. So I encourage people to help us do that. It's all been a labor of love. And even to this day, 30 years into this project, we have no office and no staff. Everyone's a volunteer and everything goes into the mission. So that's really a, a, a beautiful story in and of itself um, because we don't want to get corrupted by corporate and, and government interests. And remember, in 1992, <laughs> The head of Army Intelligence personally offered me, and then went behind my back to my wife, $2 billion if I would stop what I was doing and be a traitor to the human race and join their group. He offered me a board seat on the covert group. And that's when $2 billion was a lot of money. <laughs> it's still a Maybe it would be $5 billion now. So I tell people you have to be, you know, it, this is a spiritual thing. You know, what are your values? What do you really care about? Money, power, all that? No, you have to care about something larger, you know, higher consciousness, enlightenment, 
a civilization on earth that can take its place with others. It's very beautiful what, what needs to happen. Uh, but the only way it happens, it's not going to happen from the president or the prime minister on down. All these big changes happen from the grassroots, which is why programs like yours are so important to get the word out because that's how people learn. Um, because they're not going to get this from CBS or the New York Times or CNN or Fox or any of them. They're going to get this this way. And thank God we have these sort of programs. Thank you. So tell me if you don't, if you can, what can you tell me about this positive vision of where we can be headed, of how this would look or work or, or what we want to put on our hearts intention to walk that path? Really what we want people to do is to put themselves at service to first doing CE5 contact because this is something everyone on earth can do. You don't have to have contact to the president. Uh, and make yourself a sort of a vector, a channel for contact that's peaceful with these civilizations so that they know that there are people on this planet that aren't just trying to kill them right? and that who understand they're here for a very good purpose. The other um, is to uh, work to network to us. If you have uh, military and government whistleblowers, we have just gotten through in the United States Congress a mechanism to protect those people on this subject, which is big news. Um, so if you know such people, they should contact me yesterday, immediately. And the third is anyone who knows somebody who has one of these um, energy technologies that are pulling energy from what's called the zero point or quantum vacuum, Please contact about that because we now have a means to get those out to the public. And they, if it was legitimate and could be reproduced and tested transparently, you know, so we were clear that it's a legitimate science, we will feature it in this documentary. This next documentary film, we estimate will have around a billion people with the bees see it. How do you, these people have to be heroes. We've seen them disappear. How, uh, when we ask them to come forward to you, um, is there any way to help them? Oh, yeah. That's what I'm doing now with three different groups. Um, if they move forward in a way that they normally have where they keep the technology secret, um, they do it on a small scale, something like this within a fortnight of it being proven has to be known by at least a billion to two billion people. Now, we have the ability to do that through our network of influencers and celebrity artists and stuff. If we had something legit, the world's going to know. Why is that important? Because if the world knows about it and the secret sauce, let's call it, is disclosed so it's not held back, the people who have the technologies are not a target. They can't be a target. There's, there's no, In other words... Once the toothpaste is squeezed out of the tube, this is why the big mistake all these technology people make is that they're trying to treat this area of science and technology like you would a new iPhone or software program and keeping it secret and patented and all that. Huge mistake. That's how you get killed. So there's a very specific strategy to bring these technologies out. Uh, It's open sourcing it. It's massive disclosure of it. 
It's the replication of it and putting it in the hands of a number of safe locations. Uh, and then it's a massive push to move it through the scientific and university system and the, the public so that people know that this is not an urban myth, that this is actually a valid technology in physics. That has to be done, though, very quickly, and we have the assets lined up to do it. But the technology holders, here's been the big rub. There was a whole group of them that were killed up in Michigan because they refused to do what I just recommended. Next thing I know, Lord so-and-so, I won't say who it is, calls me up, who was funding that whole effort, and says they're on the run for their lives, this and that. I said, yes, of course, because they have done everything wrong. There is a specific pathway to move these technologies out and not be assassinated. Most people, because they're looking at dollar signs and money, don't understand that GitHub, which is a software, open source software entity, is a multi-billion dollar company. You don't have to treat, if you manage this in a way where the public doesn't know how it operates and you keep it secret and you keep it small, you're signing your death warrant. Now, I'm going to be very... You can now eliminate ear ringing and reverse hearing loss by playing this odd game before bed. Did you know that hearing impairments have nothing to do with your ears? But with a missing connection in your brain that if left untreated, could cause permanent hearing loss, memory problems and even brain fog. Here's the problem, no matter what type of hearing aid you use, or what treatments you try, you're only treating the symptoms, not the real root cause. I'm going to be very blunt about this because I've seen this personally for 31 years. No other nation had the bomb, and that was the only place where we stored ones that were operational. Sorry, something happened here. Me, and then went behind my back to my wife, $2 billion if I would stop what I was doing and be a traitor to the human race and join their group. He offered me a board seat on the covert group. And that's when $2 billion was a lot of money. <laughs> it's still a They would be $5 billion now. So I tell people you have to be, you know, it, this is a spiritual thing. You know, what are your values? What do you really care about? Money, power, all that? No, you have to care about something larger. You know, higher consciousness, enlightenment, a civilization on earth that can take its place with others. It's very beautiful what, what needs to happen. Uh, but the only way it happens is not going to happen from the president or the prime minister on down. All these big changes happen from the grassroots, which is why programs like yours are so important to get the word out because that's how people learn. Um, because they're not going to get this from CBS or the New York Times or CNN or Fox or any of them, they're going to get this this way. And thank God we have these sort of programs. Thank you. So tell me if you don't, if you can, what can you tell me about this positive vision of where we can be headed of how this would look or work or, or what we want to put on our hearts intention to walk that path? Really what we want people to do is to put themselves at service to first doing CE5 contact 
because this is something everyone on earth can do. You don't have to have contact to the president. Uh, and make yourself a sort of a vector, a channel for contact that's peaceful with these civilizations so that they know that there are people on this planet that aren't just trying to kill them and that who understand they're here for a very good purpose. The other um, is to uh, work to network to us. If you have uh, military and government whistleblowers, we have just gotten through in the United States Congress a mechanism to protect those people on this subject, which is big news. Um, so if you know such people, they should contact me yesterday, immediately. And the third is anyone who knows somebody who has one of these um, energy technologies that are pulling energy from what's called the zero point or quantum vacuum, please contact about that because we now have a means to get those out to the public. And they, if it was legitimate and could be reproduced and tested transparently, you know, so we were clear that it's a legitimate science, we will feature it in this documentary. This next documentary film, we estimate will have around a billion people on the beach see it. How do you – these people have to be heroes. We've seen them disappear. How uh, – when we ask them to come forward to you, um, is there any way to help them? Oh, yeah. That's what I'm doing now with three different groups. Um, if they move forward in a way that they normally have where they keep the technology secret, um, they do it on a small scale, something like this within a fortnight of it being proven has to be known by at least a billion to two billion people. Now, we have the ability to do that through our network of influencers and celebrity artists and stuff. If we had something legit, the world's going to know. Why is that important? Because if the world knows about it and the secret sauce, let's call it, is disclosed so it's not held back, the people who have the technologies are not a target. They can't be a target. There's, there's no, In other words, once the toothpaste is squeezed out of the tube, this is why the big mistake all these technology people make is that they're trying to treat this area of science and technology like you would a new iPhone or software program and keeping it secret and patented and all that. Huge mistake. That's how you get killed. So we, there's a very specific strategy to bring these technologies out. Uh, it's open sourcing it. It's massive disclosure of it. It's the replication of it and putting it in the hands of a number of safe locations. Uh, and then it's a massive push to move it through the scientific and university system and the, the public so that people know that this is not an urban myth, that this is actually a valid technology in physics. That has to be done, though, very quickly, and we have the assets lined up to do it. But the technology holders, here's been the big rub. There was a whole group of them that were killed up in Michigan because they refused to do what I just recommended. Next thing I know, Lord so-and-so, I won't say who it is, calls me up, who was funding that whole effort, and says they're on the run for their lives, this and that. I said, yes, of course, because they have done everything wrong. There is a specific pathway to move these technologies out and not be assassinated. Most people, because they're looking at dollar signs and money, 
don't understand that GitHub, which is a software, open source software entity, is a multi-billion dollar company. You don't have to treat, if you manage this in a way where the public doesn't know how it operates and you keep it secret and you keep it small, you're signing your death warrant. Now, I'm going to be very blunt about this because I've seen this personally for 31 years. And I think that one of the things we have to get serious about is that what is the objective here? If the objective is someone to make a bunch of money, I can hook you up with people who give you $50 million for your prototype right now, and you can retire in Splendor. Now, the world's going to die, and your children will die with it. Now, if that's your main object is, you know, it's like Gollum, you know, my precious ring, my ring, and they, they die with it. If that's your objective, then I can help you. I'll just hook you up with some people who will write a big check, and the technology will vanish. Now, if your objective is actually to help the planet, and in the meanwhile, I'll do very well in the second phase. So phase one, since you asked this question, is open source disclosure of the technology massively, where it cannot be put, the genie can't be put back in the bottle. And I have the ability to do that. No question. Number two, then in phase two, then you productize it. So once the whole world knows how it works, it's like DARPA creating the internet. It's an open source internet, but it has created hundreds of billion dollar companies, trillion dollar companies. So you would then at phase two be able to say, okay, now we're going to create this device for this purpose, this device for this purpose. Those can then have intellectual property on them. The mistake everyone makes, and I want to be very clear if anyone's listening who has knowledge of someone with a valid technology like this, is that they're trying to do phase two before they've done phase one, which for most technologies would work. But with this area of science and technology, you're a dead man walking, to be quite blunt with you. So there's a very specific way to do it. Now, convincing people to do that, if they spent five or ten years developing it, put millions of dollars into it, that's hard because they're looking at ROI, a return on their investment. Um, so now I have a group of people who, if the technology can be proven, then those people could be fully compensated and move forward. So we're, I've been spending a lot of time putting that mechanism together, uh, but now we need to find some people willing to cooperate with the strategy. <laughs> so... How much? So, so I teach automatic writing, and in, in automatic writing, you can go to higher dimensional beings, you can go to extraterrestrials and different civilizations. How much is consciousness herself, whatever we want to call it? I'm gonna I'm gonna use strange words for fun. Beaming us information, coming to us in our automatic writing, in our dreams, in like Richard Dreyfus driving down the road, piping it into consciousness, and not just one or two individuals but almost countless individuals on this planet so that it is it is like water about to boil. It is starting to percolate up everywhere until it finally bursts through. How much are we being beamed with that information? All the time. And that's that's actually been going on since uh, I lived 10 minutes from Dr. Walter Russell, the Swanano Institute, that he's published the Universal One, and he mentored Nikola Tesla. People don't know this. and But Dr. Russell was a medical doctor like I am, but he had had contact with ETs. And so that's been going on for over a hundred years. What you asked is absolutely what's been going on. The problem is 
the sociopaths and industrial fascists have reconnaissance systems and abilities to scrub and surveil anyone in the world that has such a thing and snap it up, buy it out, put it on a black shelf, kill the person, blow up the lab. Now, that is what I'm saying. It, the, here's, a, here's an interesting point to think about it. The laws of the universe are universal <laughs> by definition. Physics, science, it's universal. So if these civilizations have gone point A to B and there's energy systems, then why can't the minds of humans, men and women, acquire the same knowledge? They can and have. The problem, the chokehold has been the corruption of power and money for a 100 years. It isn't that the technologies haven't been coming and coming and coming, but they come and it's like whack-a-mole. They surface, gone, surface, gone. How do you change that dynamic? And that's what I've spent 30 years trying to develop a strategy to do that. And I think we have one. Now, is it a Hail Mary pass? Maybe. Is or is it a 100% guaranteed outcome? No. You want 100% guaranteed outcome, you don't do something this risky. Uh, but I'm a risk taker. You know, I'm an adventurer. I mean, I don't mind taking that risk. And I know a lot of the people who've had these technologies are scared. And I tell them, let us do this for you. And you don't have to be put your head in the news. I'm happy to have my head in the news. I mean, my head's been in the news since 92 and 93 when I started briefing people like the director of the CIA on this who were being blocked on this information. And I've been, you know, public enemy for a long time of these. I have really good protection here, this plane and elsewhere. I'll just say that very good. But I don't take it for granted. I mean, I, I certainly, you know, with the things going on right now that I've described in the last few months, it's my risk profile has probably gone up two orders of magnitude. I'm an angels and guides kind of guy. Sure. Well, you have that. We all have that. Everyone has that. But you also need tactical security on this plane. And we have that, too. It's a Mexican standoff. Someone happened so... <laughs> Something happens to my group, then the, 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 these covert programs are going to be, uh, they'll be terminated. That was my assumption is that there's a, a reason. More than that, I don't want to go into, but yeah, I mean, there's, you don't do something like what I'm doing and not have contingencies. What does love have to do with this? <laughs> All of it. <laughs> Everything we're doing is based on love and higher consciousness. You know, this is when I died when I was 17 had a near death experience. Um, had all the experiences of, of every higher state of consciousness up and through unity and Brahman consciousness. And then I became a meditation teacher because I was so, how did this happen after I came back? I didn't, you know, obviously I came back, but, um, but what it, what I learned was the entire cosmos is a conscious, uh, unbounded field of perfect love and awareness and being and everything, every atom, every photon is conscious. And in fact, it's consciousness itself. And we, we look at the room around us and we see structure, but in a higher state of consciousness, you see it is simultaneously pure consciousness phasing and resonating as the room you're in or your body or even your individual soul. But at the core, it's all of it is pure, unbounded, conscious 
love. And that's a real realization. That's a real state of consciousness. So to wrap this up, we'll a couple more questions, and then we'll go into a meditation here. How important, we could listen to this today, and we could be real riled up, and we're taught to fight. <laughs> and my guess is the answer is not in fight. It's the energy of love. How do we take in Tai Chi the um, – this is a – Higher energy interview of a holy crap in that, Stephen. How do we take and Tai Chi, take that energy and turn it around so that we are not coming from, we'll go George Lucas and the dark side. We're not coming from the dark side, but we're instead using the force. Well, the way to do that is it, it, the force is always there. And it's, uh, the infinite aspect of ourselves is always there. We have to actualize it. So you have to, in meditation, experience it. But then you have to put it into action. And the putting it into action, you know, I tell people, think of, think of this really little frail guy named Mahatma Gandhi, who, uh, without any violence, overthrew the most powerful empire, the British Empire, and founded modern India. Or when I was a kid, I grew up in the 50s, 60s in the South, North Carolina, Martin Luther King. Nonviolent, civil disobedience, action, grassroots. Um, and so, you know, there's an element where there was a very deep, a spiritual purpose behind those movements. It didn't come from the top down. Even the Kennedys were resisting the civil rights movement until they couldn't. Um, people don't know that history. And, and so I, having grown up being involved with all that, um, in the, you know, sixties and early seventies in my middle school and high school years, I, what I saw was that, uh, um, peace and human rights and the development of freedom and development of higher consciousness, it takes the action, but it can be nonviolent. So this is like the, uh, Shambhala kingdom spirit warrior where you're in touch with this higher conscious spirit, but you're putting yourself on the line. Which, of course, ultimately, both of them were killed. Uh, but remember when Mahatma Gandhi was shot, I had met a couple of women who were in his, with him, as young girls from Europe when he died. And they came and did a CD5 with me. And a huge blue sphere appeared with us on the beach in Florida. And they were told to come to the meeting in a lucid dream by Gandhi, who had died decades earlier. And it's a true story. Beautiful. And when he was shot, the last thing he did, he turned to the man who shot him and forgave him and went down. So, you know, wow, that's it's so beautiful. So what is that? That's love. That's forgiveness. It's higher consciousness. So you don't have to capitulate to any violence. Now, you may get angry when you hear about some of these things and what we're doing to the earth unnecessarily. Um, and a certain amount of anger, if it's turned into something positive, is fine, but not violence, um, because that an eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind. So there's a higher level, and I, I've always said forgiveness mm. is one of the highest expressions of love, because it's easy to love someone you like, but to forgive someone who's harmed. There you go. Now that that is another much higher. And one of the things we do when I guide these, like out at um, the desert in Arizona in September, we're going to do this mass meditation every night. 
And I always include in it the forgiveness of those who've done these things. That we put love, we send love to these covert programs. We send forgiveness. We send light into their skiffs. And I, we actively hundreds of thousands of people doing this together. And I've had people in those communities, those covert groups tell me they have felt that. And it's a lot of why some of them have defected. So, you know, people are very powerful if they give themselves their birthright of higher consciousness and do it. And it's really quite beautiful what every individual human has fully. Think of it. Every intelligent being, human or otherwise, has fully within their consciousness the entirety of creation and the infinity of, of pure consciousness. That is literally true. So once you begin to realize who and what each of us are, you can create and you can manifest. But you have to first understand it and believe it, and then you have to put it into action. So those are the steps. Thank you. So on that note, where can people go to find out more? Where can they go to find your events, your mass gathering coming up? Where can they go to find your everything? Where do you want to send them? Yeah, we'll go to um, uh, SeriousDisclosure.com, S-I-R-I-U-S, like the star system, and Disclosure, SeriousDisclosure.com. And there's a way to find out about everything. And also you, you can sign up for free to get our newsletters and information. Um, there's no charge to that. Um, and uh, people who want to come in person uh, to the event, you can register there. But if you want to do it virtually, we're, you can also do the whole weekend online. So we're gonna we're gonna stream the entire event, including the Sunday night out in the desert on Native American, very sacred land, near where there are some amazing petroglyphs of uh, ETs interacting with Native people. Very very cool. And any last before we do a meditation here, what what do you want to leave people with? What I want to leave people with is to see themselves as um, ambassadors and activists to create a new world and to view that they, each of you listening, have a community responsibility to create this new world. And it isn't me and it's not the government. It's all of us together. And so people need to own their responsibility because we, if you're on this planet right now, and I jokingly say between the ages of puberty and senility, you really, you really have this sacred obligation to work on these issues, even while you're doing your day job. I mean, I worked on this for years while running a big trauma emergency department and trauma center. So I think, you know, people have to understand why this is such a pressing issue. Um, we're not alone in the universe. They're waiting for us to make contact open and peacefully. The world needs these sciences and technologies, and they need the disclosure of the subject to people in government who aren't fascist so that the worst elements are, quite frankly, put on a leash um, and, and you know stop the worst things that they're doing. So I think that everyone has to view themselves and say, what – what innate gifts, skills, abilities, networks do I have to bring to bear? And if you think you can help us with some of the things I mentioned earlier, just write to the website. There's a contact and, you know, whether you're a technology person or someone with a contact in government or someone who was in a covert program and now wants to come forward with protection, 
which we have, legal and otherwise, uh, then, you know, now's the time to step forward. Uh, if there was ever an opportunity, it's now. I've never seen my 32 years of doing this. I've never seen something like the last six months. Meaning the initiatives that I'm working on and the people I'm working with in Washington who have the ability to move this whole thing forward. I've never seen that before in any government anywhere. Is it because it's also a more dangerous time? I, it's because they, I think, have realized that they've been deceived for 70 years and there are people waking up that this is real. And that's why they are now uh, reaching out to have us kind of be, you know, guide them through that system. So I can't say more than that, but it's just it's very, very uh, exciting. It's fraught. Yeah, I ask people to put us in their prayers and protection. Not just myself, but the whole team. And I can't say who the team is because I can't. I can't. But <clears throat> just imagine the people who actually run and should be running anything this sensitive in the government who don't have access. But now we're getting them access. And that is a game changer, my friend. That's a yes. big game changer. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you is not a strong enough word. But but it, it's all I've got to play with. <laughs> So thank you. The work is its own thanks. I would like to do a meditation where we where we make contact. The question is, those who still come here and those who are do not have the technology that they can travel without spacecraft, because there are those that are at that level of technology, but those that still come here and those who we are able to make contact with and then we'll visit, they're heroes, aren't they? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're, they had to accept the assignment to be involved with this planet. Yeah. So they're, it's very dangerous for them. And, um, so that's the other thing we should be grateful and, uh, thankful for their help. You know, our sort of older brothers and sisters in the cosmos, um, uh, because it's, it's a very dangerous, as the military would say, theater of operations. Earth is a very dangerous place right now. Um, so it's important that, you know, we do do this in a way where we invite them to have contact, but also instead of asking them for something, offer our service to the cosmic order and to the future and offer our thanks for what they've done to keep things on track, to buy us time. And, you know, as you referred to, there have been a number of nuclear incidents that have been stopped by the ETs that could have led to World War III. Um, we recently had a Russian general uh, describe to us, and it's on our website, um, in detail, such an event where the ETs went in and stopped a thermonuclear device that was overheating that they weren't aware of and corrected it so it wouldn't detonate. If it had detonated, it would have been picked up by U.S. sensors and would have, could have triggered World War III because of a, a nuclear explosion. So I think that, you know, that general uh, went out on a limb and shared that. He was an old Soviet Union-era general. And, um, you know, people need to sign up for our newsletter because when these things happen, we send an alert. And then people can see what's really going on. I'm trying not to ask any more questions. I'm just thinking of, I'm thinking of, I, I went, I went to a Nobel Peace Prize summit a couple of years ago, which was, which is founded by Gorbachev. 
And it makes me think of there may be some leaders who have been here or are here now that have been more um, enlightened, shall we say, or more. Um, what are your feelings? They're aware. Yeah, they're very aware. They, they never want to stick their neck out too far. Remember, the head of any country in the world is does not have the power of the group that is running these covert programs. It's a secret government beyond the government. It's transnational. And the technology, the money, the power they have trumps by far anything most generals or admirals at the Pentagon have access to. And this is, this is why I think I've said this for 30 years. If the people will lead, the leaders will follow. In other words, our leaders, um, to the extent they know about the issue at all are terrified. Um, and I, I'll never forget, it, it, 25 years ago in this spring, I was briefing the head of intelligence for the Joint Chiefs of Staff, an admiral, Admiral Wilson. And later that memo leaked about the meeting. Uh, and at the end of the meeting, I asked him for his help. Uh, and he said, well, uh, I have learned through my inquiries, because I had given him information so he could find out what was going on. He was threatened personally, and was threatened with being demoted and a star taken off his lapel for if he pursued this any further. But at the end of the meeting, Edgar Mitchell was there and some other folks, and I said, you know, we do need help from men like you who are not part of this corrupt enterprise. And he says, what I have found is that the group has technologies that can do circles around my B-2 stealth bomber. That's right. And that's the best thing I know about. <laughs> and I am outgunned and outmanned and outfunded by this covert group. Now, this is in the conference room for the Admiral, the head of intelligence joint staff, J2. <laughs> and I think, well, that may be, but you have the rule of law. And he said, I can't act unless the Secretary of Defense and the President authorize me on something oh, like this. Right. But they didn't want to because they were afraid. They were terrified. Exactly. So the difference now is that there is a law that was passed that the U.S. Congress has to get to the bottom of it. The people who are assigned to do it that the public doesn't know about, that I know about, are actually making great progress. Um, and they now have the mandate. But, you know, how this plays out, obviously, it's um, to be determined. Well, last note, and let's dive in. Uh, since I, I'm going to go with that one more question. Are things like crop circles examples of ETs trying to help us wake up, say, hey, we're out here? You know, um, in the early days, most of them were legit. I'd say now there's probably 80% that are hoaxed or made. But the ones that are the real ones, let's talk about the legit ones, all right? The ones that are the legitimate ones are, in fact, ETs using transdimensional physics, communicating, but without words or a language, but the symbols, the shapes themselves activate consciousness. It's like a mandala. Yep. It's like, uh, so that, that's the best way, because I've been since 92, I've gone to Eng England and gone into these crop circles and, you know, our logo, this triangle, 
was a we we remote viewed and communicated with ETs and showed this symbol to the ETs and that within hours in a field near us this crop circle appeared. It was a CE5 crop circle. That's how our logo came about. A lot of people know that story. It's a cool story. Um, so yeah, I think it's very much uh, a type of communication, but we think very linearly in words and string of words and thought. These are ones that are sort of, uh, if you just look at them and in a kind of quiet meditative state, eyes open, they have an effect. So it's almost a deeper level of consciousness activation, just like looking and staring at a mandala. And that makes sense to me when you're looking at something, we'll call it light language. We'll call it what I like to say is language is not my first language. There's something beyond the spoken word. Right. It's deeper symbols and uh, archetype forms that activate deeper levels of consciousness and sacred geometry and things of this sort. So would you mind leading us in a meditation? I won't call it call in. We will not do that. (laughs) 1-800-CALL-ET or something. No, anyway, um, I'm teasing you. So, um, well, if you want to, if you, if you want to really have fun, I could bring out the rooster for the meditation. (laughs) There you go. Why not? No, let's do that. We can close our eyes and I'll just uh, do a short meditation with folks. So let's all close our eyes. Take some nice deep breaths in with your nose and out with your mouth. In with your nose and out with your mouth. With each inward breath, you see your consciousness expanding and light filling your mind and your body. And with each exhalation, you become relaxed, centered, peaceful. And in this peace, begin to breathe normally, but watch the breath very quietly. And as the breath goes in and out, become aware of the conscious mind watching the breath. And so become aware of the awareness the pure state of consciousness, watching the breath, hearing my voice, perceiving your own self. How is it that your own consciousness can perceive itself? Now become aware that that quiet, deep consciousness is in fact universal, a singularity, and that my conscious awareness and yours 
and all that live and exist are emanating from this one unbounded, pure mind. And it is never divisible. And it is always a singularity. And so it reflects within our own soul and individuality. And we may trap it there, or our individuality may open to the vast ocean that in fact is the true self, the true nature of the conscious mind within. And so feel that everyone around you and everything around you is in fact awake. And while unique, the consciousness is one and the same. And in this state of divine oneness and peace, allow your mind to expand upward into space effortlessly. And you do not need to leave your body because you now acknowledge that the conscious mind whereby you are awake is omnipresent, not limited by space or time, infinite. And so on the wings of this great soul of infinite mind, you can gaze around the earth and into space and invite any extraterrestrial beings or their spacecraft or their worlds if they wish to show you into your consciousness and awareness. And so as we let go of the boundaries of space and time, we can traverse the cosmos free as a bird on the wings of the infinite self beyond space and time, this infinite and eternal light of consciousness. And if we see an extraterrestrial person or persons, or world, or spacecraft. Invite them with respect and with honor and love and oneness to come to your location and to interact with you and your people for the purpose of creating a time of universal peace on Earth and in the heavens, because that is the time that has arrived. And ask yourself and your higher aspect to have the strength to put yourself at service to this time of enlightenment and universal peace. And if with a pure heart, 
and with the light of oneness and love, you commit to the path of service. These civilizations and peoples will guide you and help you every step of the way and always be with you, whether it is in 3D or a higher dimension. And so as we do this, we see that the universe actually has no ending in space or time. And so the vast and infinite self of pure consciousness and the creation itself are infinite and one. And so we ask the great spirit to guide us and to bless us. And we gaze upon the earth with kindness and love and ask that the earth be healed and the people of this planet be coming together as one people in the universe. And we see the earth transformed with new science and technology, but first with a new consciousness of oneness and peace, a consciousness that transcends all the fractures and divisions, where we realize we are all one in spirit and all intelligent life near and far, are one with us in this state of enlightenment and the oneness of universal peace. Namaste. Namaste. Thank you. This has been great, Stephen. One last thing popped up while we did that. Are there ETs that are already living amongst us? Oh, well, I've been accused of worse. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, um, that's a long discussion because in fact, we are they and they are us. And this gets into a, a conversation about fractals, intelligent life. Um, but in the sense that most people would think of it, they have had a presence on the earth, but they're not at, you know, Walmart buying sheets with folks and that kind of thing. Gotcha. <laughs> thank you so much. I'm silly. All right. Thank you. Good seeing you again. For everyone out there, this is Michael Sandler saying, be well, have fun. Definitely get involved in CE5 today. Get to the mass gathering. Do it online. Do it any way you can. But get that love out there and let us be diplomats of love to the universe, through the universe, from the universe, for the universe, and above and beyond all else, shine bright. What a brilliant and most important interview. Wow, 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 wow. On that note, get automatic writing. Start communicating with spirit. Start communicating with beings on the other side. Start diving into consciousness. Yes. We need you doing this, and we need you doing it now. Go to automaticwriting.com, and of course, become a mystic. Be, join our school of mystics at inspirenationuniversity.com. Here's a link to the next amazing video. Big thumbs up if you like this. Click the subscribe button and the bell icon to be notified of upcoming shows, YouTube premieres, live events with me. Love you guys so, so much. Shine bright. Woohoo! How does it get any better than this?
Got to go rescue the rooster now. <laughs> All right, we have a time to go discuss that topic. Let's do the next one, Rama. Oh, my. What is it now? It's <sighs> What's that one say? Billy Carson. Yeah. Where is it? Um. <laughs> Something about Jesus... Uh, killing his brother and having sex with his sister. sister. And, and, uh, this is... Tell us. Tell us what we can expect. That sounds pretty wild. I can just say it's deeper than I know how to talk about because it goes right into the story that's not discussed on the mainstream media. Well, let's get started then. Okay, honey. Here we go. It's coming. Thank you, Dr. Greer. That was amazing, everybody. Yeah. That we take responsibility for what we want to see in the world is more important than ever. Hello, hello. Let me do a sound check here. Thank you for waiting patiently. Me to log in here. Let's do a quick sound check. All right. Let's see everybody get logged into the chat already. It's gonna be a, <laughs> it's gonna be a doozy. You guys are gonna have a lot of fun with me tonight. Thanks for taking some time out of your busy evening and, uh, hanging out. Let me just check my audio. Audio is checking good. I see the, the sound is great. All right. What's up? Jilliana Marie, you caught me live. What's happening? All right. <laughs> What's good though? <laughs> Fifth dimension, Sean. All right. What's the title? What did Jesus, did Jesus kill who? <laughs> the title of this is, did Jesus kill his brother and have sex with his sister? Mm-hmm. Now, this is going to be an interesting topic. Obviously, there's a slight twist to this that I'm going to educate you on some knowledge and some wisdom here. And hopefully, as I get into my talk today, you listen with the open ears and open heart and open mind. And then when I get done with this talk, that you don't just sit back and uh, kick your feet up, that you actually go and do some of your own research, that you dig a little bit deeper and find out what's really going on in the ancient past. You know, people always ask me, like, why do you focus on the ancient past so much? Why are you always talking about the past and looking into ancient history and traveling to these ancient sites? What is the purpose? If you understand that everything happens in cycles of time, it's called cyclical cycles. And what's happened before actually happens again over and over and over. Just like if you're watching a Hollywood movie where you see they they have people in this time loop and they can't get out of this stupid loop and they have to relive it over and over again. I think Tom Cruise had a famous movie where he was in one of those time loops. He had to go through it thousands and thousands of times before he gained mastery over the situation. <laughs> Thousands of deaths he died going through that same loop until mm. he could remember the past, until he understood the past, 
until he could discern every move that his opponents were going to make, then and only then was he able to crack the code and get out of the loop. <laughs> right? Edge of Tomorrow was the name of that uh, movie, I believe. If you haven't seen Edge of Tomorrow, check it out. And so if you don't understand the past, the past is prologue, meaning what happened then is going to happen again. And it's going to keep happening. So until we learn the lessons of the past, we're never going to have a bright future, period. Period. You can't just say, forget everything that happened. Let's start from now. (laughs) You can't. Because if that was the case, a kid wouldn't have to grow up to become an adult. A kid would be an adult at birth because a kid would never make any mistakes and would never do anything wrong. A kid would never screw up at all. You come out of the womb, boom, you're ready to go to work. You're a full-grown adult. You should be able to know how to, know how to talk, how to walk, how to ride a bike, how to drive a car, whatever, right? Because, Provided hey, there's a better climate the out matter. here, maybe. You see what I'm saying? The past does matter because it's only by the past that we actually create our own future. It's learning from the lessons of the past. If I'm a baby learning how to walk, and I crawl up to the edge of a couch or a little table, and I try to get my balance and take that first step and fall on my face, that is now in the past. But if it wasn't for that first step, my brain would not be able to calculate the adjustment needed to take the next step and the next step. You see what I'm saying? The past does matter. It matters a lot. It matters more than anything. Without the past, we don't have a future. Without learning from the past, I should say, we don't have a future. That's how important it is. All right? So it's all about understanding what really happened, how, what, where, why, when, and how does that directly affect us today? And then how does the knowledge of that change to where we move forward in the future? Not only us, but future generations of us. And right now, we are stuck in a religious debacle on this planet. We are in a situation on this planet where religion has dominated the planet in, a, in such a way that it has literally um, put chains on the minds of million, uh, billions, of billions of people. Because 85% of the world is religious. 85% of the world. Out of 8 billion people, 85% are religious. It has put a chain on our brains, literally locking us. People are saying, you know, is this a prison planet? Well, just because of simply because of religion alone, I would have to say yes. Yeah. It has locked us in this repeatable cycle of mental enslavement for eons. And it's time to break that. And that's why I'm here. So today we're going to talk about Yeshua, a.k.a. Jesus. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the image of Jesus and who the image is. And also I'm going to talk to you, did did this person actually exist? And if this person did exist, what was the reason? What was the purpose? So we're going to dig in today. All right. You guys ready? Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to go into a little bit of a PowerPoint here because, you know, I like to bring the facts. I like to bring my receipts. I like to, <laughs> I like to bring my receipts with me, as they say, as the young generation says. You know why? Mm-hmm. Because when you don't bring the receipts, people make you just talk off the top of your head. So I bring the receipts with me. I'm bringing the receipts, all right? I'm going to share my screen, guys, and we're going to get right into this mini workshop, all right? Let's 
share my audio system too, just in case I play an audio file. And uh, let's go ahead and start this slideshow. Topic of today, did Jesus murder his brother and have sex with his sister? That's pretty potent. That's a potent uh, subject line. <laughs> it's a question mark, though. It's a question mark. Okay? I'm asking you a question, and I'm going to present some evidence to you today that's going to show you who is the person portraying to be what we consider to be the modern-day Jesus in modern society. And I'm going to trace back some of the... Uh, the Jewish roots, and we're going to find out a little bit more history there as to where a lot of these things come from and who um, who's controlling the narrative, so to say, so to speak, right? Before I do that, I always got to get my shameless plugs out of the way. I like to get them out of the way in the beginning because people are still loading into the chat. People are still loading up and getting the text messages I sent out for alerts. Of course, you can get my book, Compendium of the Emerald Tablet, still a bestseller right now. Woke doesn't mean broke. Financial literacy book, still a bestseller. Also in five, uh, four countries. Woke doesn't mean broke. Four countries. Compendium of the Emerald Tablets, bestseller in five countries. You can get three days free on Forbidden Knowledge TV. Don't forget, we just released the Black Knight Satellite movie. It's an amazing documentary. You don't want to miss it. Thousands of people have given it five-star reviews already. You have to go watch it on Forbidden Knowledge TV. You might as well watch it. Try this three-minute shower routine to quickly get rid of toenail fungus, itchy skin, and smelly feet. World-renowned and international fungal expert Dr. Kimberly Langdon has recently leaked a simple three-minute shower routine that attacks the real root cause of deadly, mutated superfungus. You might as well watch it. You can watch it for free. 4BK.TV, or you can go on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, the iOS app, the Google Play Store, or the web. Or you can scan this QR code, QR code as well. Don't forget about my social media app, Unite the 99. We're on our way to a million members in there. Soon we'll have a million members on Unite the 99. That's our own social media app. No algorithms, no AI that's conscious like the one on Google. None of this craziness, right? Uh, a good social media app that lets you post images and videos and stories and swipes. You can go live if you're a verified account. Uh, for right now, I'm only doing verified accounts can go live, but eventually everyone will be able to go live when I get a couple more admins to watch out the craziness. However, this app is incredible and you can post what you want, talk about things that you like to talk about and your post will show up in order, not an algorithm order, but a real per post order. We were raising funds for forbidden knowledge. We are, we already announced that we're going to be going public. Uh, and that's going to be, we're reaching for NASDAQ in the first quarter of 2023. So if you are an investor in forbidden knowledge, congratulations. That was a shareholder QR code that we had up. And also don't forget free workshops. I have a workshop coming up this Sunday on Juneteenth. So on Juneteenth, I'm doing a very special workshop and it's going to be the, uh, the top 20 inventions by black people because Juneteenth is the original Independence Day for black people in America, if you didn't know. So when Independence Day happened, black people were still slaves. That's why I don't celebrate Independence Day. Independence Day means absolutely diddly squat to me. It means zero. It means nothing. <laughs> because for over another hundred years, 
uh, blacks were still slaves in America and still run by slave owners. Uh, true independence or the beginning, not even true, but the beginning of independence began on Juneteenth. And still, even after that, some people were still slaves up to 50 years later. But we do celebrate Juneteenth, so I'll be doing a very special live event on Forbidden Knowledge TV. You can register on eventbrite.com. It doesn't cost any money. You just have to be a subscriber to Forbidden Knowledge TV. So if you don't have it, take your three-day free trial now so that you can watch the actual live event. All right? If you want to get to access access to all my free workshops, here's the QR code. Make sure you scan it and get access to all of my free workshops. Not only the ones I have coming up, but all the workshops I did in the past. Thousands of dollars in workshops are now available on Forbidden Knowledge TV. And if you want to be uh, able to be entered into our giveaway this this month, last month we gave away Apple TV. This month we're giving away an iMac. Oh, no, I'm sorry, a MacBook Pro. We're giving away a MacBook Pro this month. Text hashtag giveaway to 954-245-0086. That's hashtag giveaway to 954-245-0086. And don't forget the Black Knight Satellite documentary just got released. Dealing with all these objects that are in nuclear sensitive military installations, nuclear facilities, and now you're seeing objects in orbit. After enhancing a little bit more, I can see that there was almost two halves of this craft. This is something that is intelligently made. Somebody is watching us. We should at least know who it is and why. This is an actual NSA document. They are talking about communication through specific frequencies and then how we can communicate back to the This black guy is somehow correlated with the this constellation. I see this love mode to early reptilian race brought this satellite <laughs> to orbit. These so-called satellites have to observe the planets to listen. The universe is full of these probes. What I think is the most important thing to understand, are we being watched? Who is watching us? And where are they from? I am Billy Carson. And this is my investigation as a black man Okay, so that's the Black Man Satellite. Let me go on to the next. We do have a hot song out, by the way, with that. The Black Man Satellite soundtrack is out and available. Okay, let's get into it, guys. False images of the Christ. Oh, boy. So here in this image you see on the left, you see Caesar Borgia. Caesar Borgia, however you want to pronounce it. And on the right, you see what's been known as the depiction of Jesus Christ, which is now a global image. <clears throat> I'm going to teach you of the falsehoods of this image, and I'm going to go kind of deep into it as well. So, false images of Jesus. The Renaissance depiction of Christ as a handsome, thin-faced white man yeah. with a thin beard is based on the likeness of Cesare Borgia and the second son of Rodrigo Borgia. AKA Pope Alexander the Sixth. Okay. This is we're getting into the papacy. Oh. Now this is actually uh right at the era this is the era of the beginning of the papal inquisitions, by the way. 
which in which they, the popes ordered the death of over 80 million people over the course of 700 years yeah. to get them to believe in their religion in Jesus. Oh. Cesare Borgia was born in 1475 and became a cardinal in the Catholic Church at the age of 18. This is the this is the guy that you're praying to. So when you are a Christian person and you believe in the uh, in the uh, biblical Jesus and you're calling on the name of Jesus and believing in Jesus and everything else, and you're looking at that image of Jesus in your church and you're dropping onto your knees and crying and weeping all your tears, this is the guy that you're actually praying to and crying to, not the real person at all. Let me tell you how brutal this guy was, okay? Realizing there was no power in a cardinalship, he resigned. He murdered his older brother, Giovanni, in 1497, and Cesare assumed his role as captain of the general of military forces of the papacy. So what he did was he killed his brother because his brother was running the military. He was like, man, his brother got, my, my brother got power. I don't have any power. I'm just a, a lowly cardinal, you know, guiding the sheep. So he said to himself, hmm, if I kill my brother, then I can take over his job. And he tried to, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's a lot better ways to try to get the job, but I guess he thought killing him would have been the easiest way. So he was successful in doing that. He killed his brother. It's well documented. Killed his brother. That's what the title of this whole, this whole thing is. This guy kills his brother. He quickly launched a military campaign to conquer all of Italy. What does that mean? What would a post-military be doing conquering other countries? They're bringing the gospel. Uh-huh. Just like when America says we're going to bring democracy to your country, you better run and hide because when they get <laughs> done bringing democracy, there's going to be nothing left but dust and right. destruction and death. Yes. Every country that America goes to to bring uh, democracy is completely destroyed, and the men and women, women and children are blown up and killed and murdered. Yeah, right? that's funny. You know this is a fact. That's funny. Same thing with the papacy. When they tell you they're coming to your country to bring Jesus and the Holy Bible with them and the gospel, the good news, what they mean is they're coming to kill you and destroy you and then subjugate your offspring and make them speak your, their language and make yeah. them worship yeah. their God. Right. That's exactly right. what it means. Right. He quickly launched a military campaign to conquer all right. During his brutal reign as captain general, he influenced depictions of Jesus to resemble his own likeness. He said, man, this Jesus here, this guy's got a little bit of power over these people. I want his power too. You see, this guy's an energy vampire. He's an energy vampire. He says, I want that power. This military is not enough. I'm killing a lot of people, but you know what? I want more power than this. I want to be in the people's minds. Every time they think about something I want to pray to or think about holy, I want them to be looking at me. So he says, you know what? Hmm. I'm going to get Leonardo da Vinci to create this for me. So he got Leonardo da Vinci to uh, and assigned him to paint the Christ on a model of Caesar Borgia. And that imprint and that first one became the model for all Jesus Christ images moving forward in time. This is how you can time travel. This guy time traveled with one conscious thought by ordering uh, Leonardo, Leonardo da Vinci to paint his image as the image of Christ and make it known that this, from, from hence, from this day forward, I am the Christ. This is the Christ. 
what he did was he traveled into time into the future. He created a ripple in space time that traveled into the future. And right now, your mom and your dad and your grandparents and some of you listening right now, drop into your knees, pray to this evil dude. Mm-hmm. Don't even know it. Mm-hmm. The Borgia family is known for incest, intrigue, and murder. He had sex with his sister, Lucrezia. This is his sister, Lucrezia. You may notice her if you play video games. There's a video game. I forget the name of the oh uh, Creed, the movie, the, the the video game called Creed, something Creed. You have uh, Caesar Borgia and his sister Lucrezia in the video game kissing. So they, they you know they've encoded it into the video games. So the Borgia family is known for incest, intrigue, and murder. And stories let's go there wrong. Stories have been told of them since they themselves walked the hallways of the Apostolic Palace. In particular, vicious rumors and slanderous tales have stuck to the names of the two members of the infamous Borgia family, Cesare and Lucrezia, brother and sister of the histories of history's most notorious family. Okay? There's books about this that you can buy and read. Just look them up on Amazon. Just type in their names on Amazon. These books pop right up. You can look at all the history, all the detailed history for yourself. So this brings me into the next thing here. Well, if that ain't if he's not Jesus, then who is Jesus? Let's have a look. Zeus, in ancient Greek religion, is the chief deity of the Pantheon, a sky and weather god who was identical with the Roman god Jupiter. His name may be related to that of the sky god Dias of the ancient Hindu Rigveda. Zeus and uh, Zeus was regarded as the sender of thunder and lightning, rain and winds, and his traditional weapon was the thunderbolt, which is he's holding in his hand here, the depiction of him with a thunderbolt. He was called the father, i.e. the ruler and protector of both gods and men. As a matter of fact, one of the reasons why um, Alexander the Great felt he had the right to go and take over the world is because he said that he was the offspring. His father wasn't a human, but his father was actually Zeus. And he was told that he was half human and half uh, Anunnaki, because Zeus was actually the Anunnaki name that Lil should go into. And uh, in the account of uh, Alexander the Great, which is a whole other podcast to talk about, as he went into countries to take over and destroy and subjugate the people to his new system, there would be UFOs flying overhead, helping him to win these battles. And this is in his own accord, his own record, his own account. Not a made-up account by Billy Carson, an historical account that anybody can look up. And it has something to do with this guy. So Zeus, big time, big name, Zeus. Hmm, keep that in mind. According to a, uh, a Cretan myth that was later adopted by the Greeks, Cronus, king of the Titans, upon learning that one of his children was fated to dethrone him, swallowed his children as soon as they were born, but Rhea, his wife, saved the infant Zeus by substituting a stone wrapped in swaddling clothes for a Cronus to swallow and hiding Zeus in the cave on Crete. Sounds like the Moses story, doesn't it? Yeah. There he was nursed by the nymph uh, Amalthea and guarded by the Curetes who were young warriors, who clashed their weapons to disguise the baby's cries. After Zeus grew to manhood, he led a revolt against Titans and succeeded in dethroning Cronus 
perhaps with the assistance of his brothers, Hades and Poseidon, with whom he then divided dominion over the world. Sounds like a myth, but there's a lot of truth in this story. The story is uh, part myth, part truth. And this guy, this entity, this being, Zeus, was actually a real person. Mm -hmm. If you go back into the Babylonian cuneiform Sumerian tablets, you discover that Zeus is actually Enlil. Enlil is Zeus in Babylonian. This is thousands of years prior to the Greeks even having this guy show up. Poseidon, a.k.a. Neptune, Lord of the Sea, wheels the trident. When angered, he can cause earthquakes and turbulent waters. And when uh, appropriated properly, he can prevent or calm the same. He is associated with horses and bulls as well. Okay, always have we always hear talk in the ancient text about the bull of heaven. You're talking about Enlil. This guy was evil. Enlil was so evil. When you look into the ancient Sumerian tablets, you find that when humans were populating the earth at a high speed, which he liked because he needed them as slaves. When they got too noisy, he would order them. This is carved in stone, guys. He would order them to be slaughtered in mass. Just call them, call them, call the humans. They're too noisy. Kill them off. He would put a chemical on their crops to dry the crops out so they would, wouldn't be able to harvest and would starve to death. That way he can keep control of the, um, of the population, population control. He would spray something in the air over their cities to yeah. kill oh massive amounts of them at its time. Chemtrails. Sounds like chemtrails in ancient times. Yeah. Chemtrails ain't new. They were already doing this. Yeah. This is Zeus. And why am I talking about this guy? Zeus, a.k.a. Enlil in ancient texts, because Enlil was also the god of Genesis that came into the garden and noticed that uh, Adam and Eve had put clothes on and they were aware of, consciously aware of who they were and that they weren't animals, that they were really sentient beings. And he was pissed off about that. In the ancient text, he's known as Satan, the Lord of Eden. This guy is Satan, the devil himself. Okay? But he pretends to be a god. He calls himself Yahweh in the modern day Bible. Yeah. Well, let's dig a little deeper into this. So, uh, Zeus, why am I bringing this up? Let's look a little deeper into some more of this ancient text. Here goes another depiction of him. You see him holding the same type of object in his hand here. This is even uh, older. Isus, the Celtic lord or master, powerful Celtic deity, one of three mentioned by the Roman poet Lucan in the first century AD. The other two were uh, Tyrannus, which is Thunderer, and Tukates, which is God of the people. This is your Holy Trinity. This is where the Holy Trinity actually originated from. This is where your Holy Trinity originated from. I shouldn't say originated. It's one of the Holy Trinities that this version of it made it into the biblical text. Esus, has had, he had victims. This guy was pretty brutal because we're talking about the same guy that I just told you about, Zeus, a.k.a. Enlil. Esus victims, according, uh, according to later co- um, commentators, were sacrificed by being ritually stabbed and hung from trees. Ooh. Hung from trees sound like the slavery times to me. Sound like the same thing that happened for the last 400 years in America. Hung from trees. Mm-hmm. Uh, hung from trees. A relief of the, uh, from the Cathedral of Notre Dame in Paris portrays him as a bent woodman cutting a branch from a willow tree. That's mm, interesting. It always has the same exact form. 
This is related in relief to uh, trier gur associated with him, the sacred bull, and his accompanying cranes or egrets. Human victims were sacrificed to Isus by being tied to a tree and flogged to death. Mm. And so this is the guy that uh, name much later evolved into Jesus. So this is why I'm taking you on this on this trail. Isus, Celtic Lord, Lord, your Lord God, or Master, which he's also been known as, powerful deity, right? Who comes with his own trinity and is brutal, a brutal killing murderer. And so that is not actually Jesus that you think of. Again, you've been praying to and calling on and and using the word cymatic frequency. Words are cymatic frequencies. When you utter them, you create vibrations in space-time that alter the, your reality in this dimension. Yes. And so every time you call on the name of Jesus, you're calling on Enlil, Zeus, a.k.a. Isus. You're calling on a brutal murdering killer. And you're also then looking at the face of a guy who was also a brutal, brutal murderer, killer, incest, uh, power-hungry dude. And these are the people that you inadvertently are calling on and praying to. The Greek savior Zeus, in time, became the word Isus, which was further corrupted into Jesus in English. Yeah, let me say that again to you guys. The Greeks' savior was Zeus. That was their savior. They prayed to Zeus. The word Isus, see, J didn't exist yet. J didn't exist until 1524. So if I go back to the story of Caesar Borgia, you'll find out he was in the 1400s when he ordered Leonardo da Vinci to uh, to do his image, create him in the image of Jesus. The name wasn't Jesus. It was Isus without a J. Guess why, guys? Because the J didn't even exist yet. J didn't exist and wasn't pronounced until 1524. How did J get a sound? Both I and J were used interchangeably by scribes to express the sound of both the vowel and the consonant. It wasn't until 1524 when Gian Giorgio Tresino, an Italian Renaissance grammarian known as the father of the letter J, made a clear distinction between the two sounds. And then J was precariously added to Isus, changing it to Jesus evolving over time into Jesus. So what does it mean? When you say Jesus, you're saying hail Zeus. That's what you're saying. You're saying hail to Zeus. And there will be Bible study websites that will try to deny this on Google. They'll try to deny that they no, that's not what it means and blah, blah, blah. But when you dig deep into the text and you dig deep into real ancient history and go and get the real ancient books and get the Greek books out and get the Latin books out, all of a sudden you go, Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, we've been saying hail Zeus this whole damn time. Mm-hmm. People just around, Jesus! And they're calling on Zeus. They're calling on Zeus, and in their mind, they got an image of this white guy who was a killer and an ancestor. <laughs> and, 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 and at the same time, the entity, Zeus himself, is one of the most brutal, killing, murdering slave owners in the world, in the history of the world. This is why this this religion has got to come to an end because it's a farce. It's an absolute farce. Now, Yeshua was the name of
Jesus. His name was the person they're trying to attribute that fake name to is actually Yeshua, which means Joshua in English, but Yeshua in Middle East, right? This these images are not images that I pulled out. This particular image of Yeshua, it comes from Egypt. From the church, the Coptic church in Egypt. Coptic churches existed long before Christianity even existed. Right. And this is an image of Yeshua from uh, the Coptic church. On the right, you see Ethiopian Jews. And you see the Ethiopian Jews have been here for a very, 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 very long time. Mm-hmm. And you see that these men are actually black men. And what does this mean? Does it matter? Is this, is this video about race and color? Actually, it isn't. It's not. It's about education. I want you to know something. I want you to learn something today because you have to understand the foolishness that's been going on on this planet for a couple thousand years, even more than that, but at least for a couple thousand years in, in regards to Yeshua and, uh, and what's, and what, and what, um, dogma has been placed on all of our generations of children down the pipeline, which is which is ridiculously altering the way that we live on this planet and how we think, breathe, eat, sleep, and everything else. So Yeshua is a Middle Eastern man, was a Middle Eastern man, and I do mean man. He was a Middle Eastern man with ties to people that weren't human and they weren't gods either. They were just advanced beings. What's interesting about Yeshua, he was a virgin birth, according to the biblical text. But if you look into some of the older apocrypha texts, you discover that Yeshua's grandmother, Yeshua's grandmother, Mary's mother, was also a virgin birth. We have evidence of in vitro fertilization in ancient times to create a specific line that this guy comes out of, Yeshua. Was he a real person that existed? Yeah, because I've been to the house that he lived in, and I'm going to show it to you in a minute when he was a kid. The Ethiopian Jews is interesting as they have the Torah, they have everything. Jews have lived in Ethiopia for over 2,000 years. It's really closer to 5,000 years. According to the Ethiopian tradition, one half of the population of the Jewish before Christianity was proclaimed the official religion in the 4th century. The Jews maintained their independence for over 1,000 years in spite of continuous massacres, religious persecution, enslavement, and forced conversions. With the help of modern Portuguese weapons, the Amhara finally conquered the Jews in 1616, enslaving, converting, and killing them, known as falsos, and a derogatory name which meaning stranger or exile. Ethiopian Jews could no longer own land or be educated. Today, Jews number in only 25,000, less of 1%, less than 1% of the population. 85% live in Gondar province in the Semian Mountains near Lake Tana, the rest live in Tigre and Wolo provinces. Ethiopian Jews are biblical pre-Rabbanic Jews. Pre-Rabbanic. That means before rabbis existed, they existed. Before rabbis existed, these black Jews already were here. They have the Torah, which is the written law. The Torah came from Ethiopia and then made its way into Europe. When the uh, Ashkenazi Jews got their hands on it and the Khazarians. Mm-hmm. All right, but not the Talmud, which is the oral law. Their language is not Hebrew, but Gies. Their leaders are priests known as Kohanim, 
rather than rabbis. The, the interpretation of the law, e.g. the prohibition against mixing meat and milk, until recently Ethiopian Jews practiced animal sacrifice and ritual purification through immersion in water. Otherwise, their religion is the same as Judaism throughout the world, including the observance of the Sabbath and biblical uh, dietary laws. They are religious Zionists. They dream of their re a return to Zion. They call themselves Beta Israel, House of Israel, and have wanted to live in the modern state of Israel since its establishment in 1948. But they're banned from living there because they're black. So they went off and created this white uh, Jewish uh, country, this Zion, and, and left. And the black people that they got the information from on how to live this way, which I still think is not the way for a human being to live. I think that there's a much better way than this these religious dogma. But however, put them, ban them from coming in to live there. You, know, you guys stay up here in that little mountain area where you will be, where we, you know, we almost killed you off. You guys just stay over there. And so that's where, where all that comes from. Jesus wasn't uh, a Christian. Okay? Jesus was not a Christian. Christianity didn't exist until Jesus was long gone and dead. But the practice of understanding a Christ, a Christ consciousness existed. And understanding what it meant to ascend to a higher level of consciousness, they called it Christ consciousness. It's an ancient text in deep antiquity. It has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Jesus, or really his name is Yeshua, is just one of many teachers of Christ's knowledge and wisdom. Okay? This image here is from Egypt. It's from the, um, the Coptic Museum. Okay? This is from the Coptic Museum. This is a very, very old image of Yeshua, not Asus, not Hail Zeus, but Yeshua, okay? Uh, giving a lesson and talking to people, possibly his disciples on the right and, and, uh, and possibly, uh, people that he's speaking to on the left, right? Or, or vice versa, depending on which angle you're looking at this. However, What's interesting is this man did teach some amazing things and he learned some amazing things. When he disappeared out of the Bible at the age of 12, he went to Egypt. Okay. That's where he went. He went to Egypt. This is where he went. This is where he lived right here in this room. You're looking at the actual room, which is now a shrine. Anyone going to Egypt with me this October, I'll be taking you here. I think we have 65 or 70 people coming with me. And we'll be taking pictures in here. If you look on that back wall, you can see Yeshua underneath the candle there. This is a shrine now. He actually lived, slept, ate in this area right here, which has now been turned into a Coptic church. They built up on the around it. It used to be like considered like a, it was like a cave here. It was like a, 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 a shelter, a, a cave made into a shelter. Now it's an actual um, Coptic church. You can come in the front door and walk down to this crypt as there as a as a um, uh, you know pres as being preserved in, re in recognition or re memory of Yeshua. Um, his mother was here as well, Mary. Right? What did he do here? He came here to learn the Egyptian mysteries from who? Thoth, Thoth, the Atlantean priest king who ruled over the land of Kem for fourteen thousand years. That's not Billy telling you this. That's the Egyptian hieroglyphs telling you this. It's not all coming off the top of my head. It's the Egyptian hieroglyphs telling you this, the language of life. And so 
Then he leaves out of here as he gets a little bit older and he goes on a journey to Tibet, which has been confirmed by the Dalai Lama. I had a whole video about this with uh, Robert Grant. He went to Tibet. Well account, well known account of him in Tibet, learning, Reiki healing, Qigong, healing with the hands, energy moving through the body, meditation, all of that. After he became a master of that, he headed down into India where he learned the mystic arts and reincarnation. And then he taught reincarnation all the way back down into Egypt. Then the Bible picks up and says, I call him when he's 32. I call my son out of Egypt. That's where the Bible picks up. I call my son out of Egypt. And so then he, he returns to Jerusalem coming in on the back of a donkey, right? That's where it picks up. That's the next scene. So, but this exists and this is a well-known account that the records are clear. The evidence is clear. This is where he actually lived and walked and lived among people. Every single day, as the boy grew into a man, not a god, we are all God. They try to tell y'all that. They try to tell you, ye are gods. We are all God walking in the flesh. We're a fractal of the universal consciousness that that is the energy that creates this entire universe. Every single one of us is God. So anyway, this is where Yeshua actually lived. And so what does this come down to? Time walks through men, but gods walk through time. And we have to understand that we are in a state of the world right now. Let me stop sharing this. We're in a state of the world right now where we need to understand who we are, where we came from. And we need to also accept uh, a lot of the things that we did do in the past that were wrong. Uh, and, and so a lot of people get, get real happy when they hear, Oh man, yeah, you know, we were all, Jesus was black. And well, to be honest with you, there were a lot of black people in the, in the, in this area. Africa extended far past where it is now that, that you can't go by the invisible lines that people put on continents and it extended all the way up until what we call the Middle Eastern area. But if you look at a lot of these biblical texts and tales, you find that people enslaved people. Hebrews enslaved other Hebrews had their own slaves. I'm against slavery of any type. I'm against slavery of any race of people. I'm against slavery, period. I'm against if an animal knew how to enslave another animal, I'm against that. I'm against slavery, period. So when you own the when you try to own up to, you know, all this. Yeah, yeah, it was us. Well, own up to all of it, too. Own up to the slavery. Own up to the brutal murderings of women. Own up to the brutal rape of women. Own up to all of it. Own up to all of it. So the thing is to not get excited about what color, what skin color somebody was. The thing is to get excited about learning the truth about the ancient past and saying, wow, this whole time we've been praying to this, uh, this, uh, Pope, and then at the same time we're praying to this Pope, this image is burnt into our, literally burnt into our brain to the point where when you hear Jesus, you instantly see that face. So we're, we're, we're we, this, this guy's taking up real estate in all the brains of 8 billion people on planet Earth. And at the same time that you see that face, you're calling a name that has nothing to do with that face. It's got a tie back to an ancient Anunnaki being 
named Enlil that was a brutal enslaving murderer on this planet and put in the systems in place that we still have today, including the police system, the bicameral Congress, all that was started by Enlil. Even he, he even started the way that uh, city grids are laid out. He said to his sister in one of the tablets, to Ninma, he said to Ninma, this plan I have on this planet is to last for all time. This guy didn't say this should last for a couple hundred years. This guy said, my plan for what I'm going to do to this planet is going to last for all time. That's etched in stone. Mm-hmm. And guess what, guys? The evidence of that is still all around us. Because no matter what neighborhood I go to, there's a thousand churches in every neighborhood. And the more brutal the neighborhood is, if I go to my, I went to my old neighborhood actually about three months ago, took Elizabeth down there. There were, I think it was 32 churches in a eight square mile area. And 32, in that area, in that neighborhood, people are getting shot and killed, stabbed and drugged out and dying from overdoses. And houses are broken into, the crime is through the roof every single day. My elementary school has a 20-foot barbed wire fence around it. And there's a church right around the next corner. You see what I'm saying? What's going on here? You need to understand that these images that they put out, this programming that they put out, is fake. They want you to believe that this Yeshua was sent here from heaven by some magical white deity with a white robe on and a magic wand. <laughs> and then the guy with the magic wand and the white robe said, you know what? These people, I know I'm omnipotent and I'm omniscient and I know everything, but I just can't seem to figure out how to make these people behave. So what I'll do is I'll sacrifice, I'll kill my own son uh-huh. and that'll teach him. Come on, man. For real? And that will be, that's what, that's what we, and then we read, and then we're in school, we're told that the Greeks have mythology. And then people go to Bible study the same night. Mm. Uh, come on. For real? <laughs> are we, are we being for real here? Come on, guys. We gotta stop. <laughs> we gotta stop, man. We gotta stop this foolishness. At some point, we gotta sit down and say, something ain't really adding up here. Um, yeah, this is contradicting this. This is contradicting that. Uh, God knows everything. But yet he didn't know that Adam and Eve became conscious. God knows everything, but at the same time, he couldn't stop people from being bad. He couldn't just come down and say, hey, guys, I have a better way to teach you something. Let me show you something a little bit different. He couldn't just figure it out. So he said, you know what? I got something. I'll just torture my own own kid, and then that'll teach him. Yeah, right. Listen. In the Sinai Bible, which predates the King James Bible, Yeshua was never sacrificed. Let me say that again. In the Sinai Bible, which predates the King James Bible, by almost a thousand years, Yeshua was never sacrificed. Not only that, there's close to 10,000 mistranslations between the two Bibles. The King James Bible is heavily, 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 heavily curated information. You want to get closer to the source, you got to get to the Ethiopian Bible, which includes the the, the book of Enoch. That's the only Bible in the world that includes the book. The full book of Enoch is in the Ethiopian Bible. 
And uh, this book has been so altered and so played with that the information is skewed and set up in a way where it's pure neuroscience. And when I mean whoever, these people that put this together, these people have to be neuroscientists. This is what I'm telling you in my previous video from last week. Could the God of the Bible really be Satan? Well, the answer is yes. And the answer is, this is the person, and him and his other, his nephew, Amin Ra, curated this thing from the very beginning, how they wanted it to play out. So they can make you think that they were going to their demise. Meanwhile, they were leading you to your own demise. Taking you completely off course and off track as to what the real meaning of the text actually is. By mixing a lot of truth with a little bit of lies. Sprinkling it right in there with some fabrication. Now, you as a human being with a regular old standard IQ of about 80 can't even detect it. And then now you're thinking, oh, we outwitted this devil. We outwitted this dude. He's dumb. No, this guy is supposed to be have the highest IQ next to God. According to your book, his IQ was right up there with God's IQ. So his IQ was in the thousands and your IQ was 80. And you're telling me you're following this book that says he's going to go into this lake of fire. Step by step to his own destruction is laid all out for him. He's just going to follow it. And you believe that? And your IQ is 80 and his IQ was over in the thousands. Come on now. Either you got to come to some uh, understanding that maybe this guy is, is IQ ain't in the thousands. Maybe this guy he doesn't even exist. Heaven and hell is a state of mind. Hell was added to the Bible by the Roman Catholic Church. Lake of Fire was added to the Bible in the 1600s, Roman Catholic Church. The uh, rapture was added to the Bible in 1835 by William James Darby. Okay, added to the Bible. Then later became, it was a clip note originally, a suggestion that he came up with on his own. But when some pastors had saw how much power it had over the people, it later made it into the canonized text. And now you got people running around talking about the Lord is coming to rapture me and take me back on this cloud and all this crazy stuff. No, ma'am. No, sir. That's just fabrication, fabricated information that you didn't know about. Didn't exist. <laughs> Heaven is here and hell is here. They're both in the same location. And what is your job and mission on this earth, according to what I read in the Bible, from what I understand to be factual information? Your mission is to bring heaven to earth. Your mission is to create a divine outlook on what you think life is supposed to be and what it should look like and how people should love one another and how we should be all prosperous and how we can utilize our knowledge and wisdom and combine that with our technology and everything else that we've learned and love for animals and everything else. And then how we can then project that consciously from a multidimensional platform of thought into a three-dimensional reality. Mm-hmm. That's what this is all about. Yes. That's what heaven is. And right now, until we figure it out, we're in hell. <laughs> yes. See, the, when they had the slave times and they came over with the biblical text, and they kept telling you guys, you got to die to get to heaven. Meanwhile, the same people that was telling you, you got to die to get to heaven, they was creating their own heaven on earth by making you the slave right. <laughs> and living life the way that they wanted to. Okay. Your mission is to create heaven on earth. Stop going after all these fake deities. Stop chasing after Jesus. Stop chasing after all these names and all these images that you see. <sighs> the, 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 when you finally wake up and realize 
that when you close your eyes and you hear a voice, people go, God told me this and God told me that. I said to them, well, what, 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 what does he sound like? What, what is, cause you keep saying he, well, what does he, what does he sound like? Oh, he's got this voice and I just know this voice. Really? Okay. It's a man's voice. He has a man's voice. It's a, he's, he's our, he's our father. Really? A father. Okay. So you've given a uh, gender to a deity. That's really interesting. That's a double compounded issue. Now, when you are hearing this voice, what is it, what is it telling you to do? It's telling me to do this and tell, it's giving me information. What these people don't realize is the voice that they're hearing in their head is their own voice talking to their own self. When you reach a higher level of consciousness, that voice, it starts to change. It don't stay the same. When you start off in a religious mind, it sounds like some outside deep echoing, bellowing voice giving you commands. As you become more and more conscious, the voice morphs. And then the next thing you know, it's your own voice. And when you get to the point that you hear your own voice in your own head talking to you, because remember, you're not here. That's when you began to ascend to a higher level. That's the beginning of getting to the next level. That's the beginning. Because the brain does not create consciousness. I'm going to say that again. The brain does not create consciousness. It downloads consciousness. Your consciousness is streaming from a higher source and coming in here. And your body, your avatar body, is designed to encapsulate a specific, a particular frequency of that source. So you have a radio station in your neighborhood that has multiple stations, but it's only one location. But it's sending out 99.1, 99.2, 99.3, 99.4. Those point one dots, that's every single person that exists in the entire universe. Each one of us in the entire universe is a point dot whatever number. Coming from one source, slightly tuned different frequency. Your avatar body is designed to encapsulate a specific frequency. It picks it up. You animate the avatar body and you inhabit it for a temporal amount of time. Temporal meaning time, time based. What we consider to be time in the third dimension. It's temporary. Once the avatar body is depleted, it releases that universal consciousness, that energy, that spiritual energy back up into source. And based on what happens there, you come back again or you can send to higher dimensions as Thoth talks about in the Animal Tablets. It's based on how many lessons you have learned in different lifetimes. How much have you acquired? How much knowledge and wisdom have you acquired? And how not only have you acquired it, but how have you executed that knowledge and that wisdom? Have you acted on it? Because I can have all the knowledge and wisdom in the world. I'll give you an example. In Starting in 1977, I started researching aerospace technology because I saw something in my backyard that didn't make any sense to me. It didn't look like an airplane. And I, even as a kid, I knew that what I saw wasn't an airplane. I started looking in all the Encyclopedia Britannicas, the original old-fashioned, the, the ancient Google, okay, reading books to get the information. I researched swept wing, delta wing. I researched supersonic transport. I researched ballistics. I went into everything. I couldn't find what I was looking for. I said, man, what the hell did I just see? And I kept researching and researching. And then it led me into other areas of research and study. And between 1977 and uh, and 2008, 
maybe 2000, almost into 2009. Between that period of time, I had acquired so much knowledge that my head was going to explode. And I couldn't do anything with it. I had nobody to talk to. I had nobody to share with. I had nothing behind it that I can execute with it to help change people, the world or anything like that. I was sitting around waiting for the web to get here because I had read that the Hopis said that the world would be connected by a web, an information web, and that information would be able to pass from place to place instantaneously. And so I was just standing by waiting on time to catch up with my knowledge. But during that time period when I couldn't do anything, pretty much just little things here and there, nothing major, all that knowledge is just going to waste. You're just sitting in one place doing absolutely nothing until I had the ability to execute it and to use it and to put it out and to, uh, um, uh, to take fractals of it and spread it amongst people and become a teacher, right? You can have all the information in the world, but if you can't use it, you can't do anything with it, then it's a waste. So you have to learn how to execute knowledge. You have to learn how to gain knowledge and then actually utilize it. Knowledge is not power, but the execution of knowledge is actually power. That's where real power comes in. This is how the elites operate, how the oligarchs operate, how these biblical religious figures that masqueraded as God, how they operated. They utilized knowledge in a way that they executed the knowledge. They didn't just gain the wisdom and knowledge. They actually put energy behind it and executed it, and that gave them actual power. And so people often ask me when I have these talks, do I believe that God exists? Yes. Yeah. Why? Because if you study quantum physics, you discover that we're living in a creation. Now, it's an intelligent design down to every little tiny atom, even beyond atoms, into quarks, even if you can go beyond that. So what does that mean? Well, that means that something or someone created this. It's not an accident. And if it's not an accident, then the op, then the figure that we call, that we would call God or the creator of the universe, in my opinion, actually exists. What I'm telling you is, what you, the dogma that you've been chasing and your generations of family members have been chasing for eons after these fake images have destroyed humanity, are responsible for more people have died from religious belief more than any reason on the planet, the face of the planet Earth. Oh. More people have died from religious beliefs right. than anything else. Right now. When the papal inquisitions happened, 80 million people tortured and killed. That makes Hitler look like an angel compared to these people. Right. And then they want to tell you that, oh, the gospel was spread all around the world by love and joy. No, no. that's not how it got spread around the world. They come to your country. They get the indigenous chief or the Bushman or whatever. They torture him and kill him and burn him right in front of everybody in the village and say, now you learn our language and you pray to our God. And then you pay your taxes. Okay, next. Let's go to the next place and do it again. And the next place and do it again until it got spread around the world. Let's rape the women, rape the children like I taught you guys last week from the biblical text. So what I'm telling you is the stuff that you're chasing in that book is not what you think it is. A majority of it is from people. And I do mean plural, people, not singular. Because if you look at the ancient text where the word God comes in the Bible, it's actually God's with an S, plural which was then accidentally, on purpose, mistranslated into the biblical canonized books. It's actually two different people uh, in that book, in that Bible, not one. It's actually two people, not creators of universes, but actual flesh and blood people that put their pants on one leg at a time, just like you 
in me. And unfortunately, they've been able to literally hoodwink an entire planet with this foolishness. And then you got the other people that come along behind them and realize, shoot, there's power in this. This guy, Caesar Borgia said, man, this guy got the, this image of Jesus got power. I'm changing it to my face. From this point forward, everybody's going to think it's me. They're going to pray to me. I'm, I'm going to absorb all this prayer energy every single day. When trillions of people start praying, I want it all coming to me. Uh. And then you got the people calling on Zeus every single day, still to this current. You got all these preachers and all these pastors running around, jumping around, sweating like crazy. I can make you jump around and sweat like crazy. I can make you talk in tongues. All I got to do is find the right, right frequency <laughs> on my beat machine and, and my, and my piano and my, and my guitar. I know how to build up and drop a frequency that'll make you jump for joy. Michael Jackson had the power. Uh-huh. He had people crying and dancing and jumping and passing out uh-huh. at the concerts. A good rock and roll song will make you do the same exact thing. You fool yourself into believing something that's, that's not even happening. You psych yourself out. You psych your avatar body out. Last week I talked about praying. I talked about uh, what's going on in the Bible with a lot of these texts. If you can watch last week's video, you're going to learn a lot. But you got to watch with an open mind and an open heart. you got to realize, I'm not here to browbeat you. I'm here to tell you, hey, it's time to wake up. We in a coma out here, mm-hmm. a pure coma. We're not sleeping. We beyond. So you got sleep and then you got coma. It's time to come out of this coma, guys, and start living. This this religious dogma has put us in a coma and has us walking around like zombies in the afterworld. Okay, and it's time to change that. You don't need to call on Zeus and have the image of this Pope killer in order to be a loving person. You don't need to call on Zeus and have the image of this, uh, you know, this killing pope named Caesar to, to be one to give, to give, do, do faith, good works and faith for others and, and help others and, and, and do good works and, and donate things and help people out. You don't need it. You don't need them for that. You don't need them outside sources in order to empower yourself and do things for yourself and save yourself. Like I told you, I'm going to wrap this up with this. When I was a little kid living in Opelika in Miami, Florida, piss poor broke with holes in my shoes and, and, and rips in my crotch because I was growing so fast. Right? Two pairs of pants, no food, no money, eating matzo crackers. Speaking of Jews, I used to eat matzo crackers and butter. And we also sometimes would have Cairo syrup. It's that clear syrup on, t- on top of toast. And eat that. That'll be sometimes oh, lunch Cairo and dinner. syrup. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes a crossing guard going to Rainbow Park Elementary would jack us. So in the morning, you'd lose your lunch or your money. You go to school with about 75 cents for lunch, you get jacked. You go to school with a bag of lunch so they want to take the money, they take your food anyway because they're hungry too. The crossing guards will take your money. Yeah. One day I decided I was going to, I needed money for the ice cream truck. I got tired of not being able to buy the ice cream from the ice cream truck. I just wanted to buy the bubble gum actually, not the ice cream. I, don't, I didn't like the ice cream that much. The bazooka bubblegum with the cartoons inside of it, the little comic strips inside. And I decided I was going to take my toys and go door to door and sell them door to door in my neighborhood. I asked them for donations. And I went against my own mother on this because my mother, who didn't know I was going to do that, number one. Number two, I had a parameter. 
So the house we had in the ghetto, we had this little fence. And I couldn't go past this gate and that part of the gate. If I passed that, those two parts of the gate, I was in big trouble unless my mother was out there with us. I said, look, I'm going to have to get in trouble. I went door to door, bam, bam, bam. Ma'am, sir, a penny, a dollar, a nickel, a quarter, a dime, whatever you have. I just want to, I'm looking for donations for my toys. I got rid of all my toys that day. And I had money in my hands. And that's when it dawned on me. I'm here to save myself. From that moment, I knew what was going on is that I was going to be the one to save myself by action, by putting action behind conscious thought would get me out of this situation and change my life. And that's exactly what I set upon doing. Fortunately for me, as a, as what we people would call a kid, my brain was more mature and I understood that at an early age. And I set myself goals and a whole trajectory to get myself out of that situation and out of that hood. By the time I was 16, I already had moved out, had two cars, my own place, running my company, and still graduated from school. You see? I'm my own savior. I'm not sitting around waiting for some outside deity. I'm not going to beg some outside sources to come and save me. That's low frequency. Begging and pleading and hoping and whining is low frequency. Calling on and little from the Bible and, and, and the Sumerian tablets, Zeus. Calling on, uh, and if you think you can call on Yeshua, you're just calling on a man. He told you the power is within you. And the kingdom of heaven is inside of you. He talked, he said, hey man, he said the same thing I'm telling you guys. Hey man, it's all on you now. You gotta come, and you gotta do, he said, you gotta do better works than me. Mm-hmm. That's what the Bible said. So all these people running around, these Christians running around, begging and pleading for all this stuff to happen. But the Bible said, you're supposed to do better than him, what he did. You're supposed to do greater works. So where's your, why are you not living in your power? Why are you not living in your power? You've been robbed of that power by dogma. That's why. You've been robbed of it. Yep. And that's what I'm here for. I'm here to wake you up. All right? Anyway, guys, look, I love you. You got to do some research. If you're basing your eternity on one book and one book only, and you don't know 99% of the stuff I know, you got a serious problem. <laughs> you're going to be back again. Just like a video game. When you play the video game and you, and you die in a video game, you come back again for another life. You come back over and over until you reach the top level, right? That's what's happening right here. You don't even see it. You can't feel it. You can't understand it. What's, what's, on, what's going on in this realm is some people that are here, regardless of what their physical age is in the third dimension, they're ancient. There are people here walking these streets right now that are ancient. A 20-year-old could be an ancient entity, ancient person, have been here many, many, many times. And then you have people here most of the people, in my opinion, that are wrapped up in this dogma. These are newborn babies. This is your first or second time here. That's why you're caught up in in um, in what I would like to call this uh, young-minded uh, thinking and this very immature thinking and belief system that exists called religion uh, and, and really becoming a fanatic of dogma. Uh, and that's something that younger people, in terms of their universal age, are susceptible to. So I'm not mad at you. I'm not angry at you. I'm not making fun of you. I'm just trying to make things a little shocking. And by making things shocking, people pay attention. When you do things, oh, you know, I just want you to know that the information. When you do that, mm, results aren't as strong. <laughs> and yeah. me understanding applied neuroscience, which is what I went to MIT for, 
I understand that sometimes you need shock factor. And so I use a shock factor approach, but it's not to hurt or injure or make anybody feel sad. It's about shocking a certain number of people. I know that my technique will reach a certain number of people in a way that nothing else will reach them. And that's why I use these techniques. It's all about the technique and how to wake people up in a way that will make them begin to want to ask questions to their own self first and then begin to research information. All right. Anyway, I love you guys. I appreciate you guys. Somebody said, how do you expect to learn from your memories? You see, one of the tricks, I'll answer this one question by this guy and, and I got to get out of here. When you look at uh, coming back and having full memory, it takes time to acquire a certain level of knowledge and wisdom and understanding spiritually and consciously in the third dimension. And so when you analyze that, you realize that the people that genetically modify us by um, using chromosome number two and pulling telomere caps on it, shortening our lifespan. That's what happened in the Tower of Babel incident. Human beings used to live for thousands of years. Thousands. Okay. In the Sumerian Kings list, which I'll be at in uh, the Australian Museum in Oxford, England, in a couple of weeks, I'll be going live from there, and I'll be showing you the Sumerian Kings list live. There's people on there that ruled for 14,400 years, 28,000 years. One person, right? Uh, you, you'll see a, a few men ruled, with, with the exception of a woman, ruled for over 200,000 years on Earth. These lifespans were immense, immense lifespans. Well, what happened? At the Tower of Babel incident, our lifespans were shortened. That's a whole other podcast to talk about. I've talked about this a few times. You can find one in my videos. But scientists now confirm it happened. Mm-hmm. Our telomeres were capped, reducing our lifespan to 120 years max. Mm-hmm. Okay? When you shorten your lifespan, when, you, when they shortened our lifespan, it was so that we wouldn't gain knowledge and wisdom. Because over time, you become more and more wise. The older you get, you become more and more wise. You begin to see things differently. You begin to change. Just like when you're a young teenager, you do a lot of risky things. And as you get turn into a young man or young woman, you begin to get a little bit more cautious as you have more responsibility. But you sometimes, even at those ages, you're still kind of out there, you know, um, doing your thing. And then by the time you turn 35, 40, all of a sudden, you slow down way a lot. You like your whole idea of reality and perception of reality and life changes and you move into a whole other mode and phase of life. Now imagine multiplying that over a thousand, two thousand, three thousand years when you would get consciously. Then you ascend towards such a high level of consciousness that Thoth talks about in my book, Compendium of the Animal Tablets, in where you can learn how to even incarnate at will. Not only incarnate at will, but he even says on and in the plane you desire. In other words, even in different dimensions. They were like, we can't let this many billions of people do this. How can we, how can we keep them, um, locked consciously into a prison? Oh, we shorten their lifespan. They'll never get, they'll never get wise. <laughs> and then they'll stuck, be stuck reincarnating before they get enough knowledge and wisdom to ascend to a higher level. <laughs> so it takes a lot of practice, work, determination. Now, in the 75, 80 years you do have, if you're even blessed to live that long anymore, to divulge and digest and discern as much knowledge and wisdom and information you possibly can so that you can work on ascending and making up for time that you don't have to get the knowledge and the wisdom, shortening the amount of times you have to reincarnate on this planet. That's what my goal, that's what I'm, that's what I'm doing. That's why I do what I do. You see? So 
that's a whole that's a whole other podcast to get into, but I'm glad you asked the question. But guys, I appreciate you guys. I love you so much. Thank you for those uh, donations tonight. Please take this video and share it to as many Christian people as you possibly can share it to. They need to start learning what the heck they're praying to, who they're praying to, what they're praying to. They need to understand that the powers within them, that they are God walking in the flesh, and the same spark that created this entire universe is in every single atom in their own body, and that their consciousness is streaming from that same God source and inhabiting this avatar body for the purpose of learning what, it, what it's like to be uh, a person in the third dimension. What lessons can be learned here? How is it to experience this life in this realm? The good, the bad, and the ugly. And then how do we then take what we know is in a higher dimension, which is heaven, and bring that to earth? Can it be done? This is the big uh, experiment that's going on. Can it be done? Can they rise to that level of a golden age where they can bring heaven to earth? And if they do bring heaven to earth in a golden age, which has been done before, can they sustain it? Can they maintain that level consistently, ongoing, through eternity? Can they then spread out from this planet to others and duplicate this over and over again? Can they harness the power of their sun the proper way? All these are the questions. This is a big experiment. That's exactly what this is. Will they learn unconditional love in a level and to a level in a way that everyone is 1000% equal across the board? That when they look at somebody else, the color of their skin doesn't even have an effect on them consciously. It doesn't even have a physiological effect. It doesn't even come across the thought of color, color of skin doesn't even cross their mind. All they see is another one of themselves. In la kek ala kin. That's what the Mayans say. I am another you. All right. Guys, I love you guys. Peace. I'm out. I'll see you again soon. Don't forget, hit the Black Knight Satellite documentary, ForbiddenKnowledge.tv, 4BK.tv or 4BiddenKnowledge.tv. All right. Are we done? Mm-hmm. We're done a little bit early. Mm-hmm. But not early enough to do this uh, 20 minute piece, right, Ron? No, I don't think so. Well, we'll have to do it later. Yeah. Um, so, that was, that was a mouthful. And probably <laughs> you're going to send that to Penny, right? Yeah. And then Penny will send it out to everybody. I think that, you know, I wouldn't think it was a bad idea if everybody just takes another moment in time during this next week and listen to that one again. Yeah. That was, and we're going to do another one next week. So he's, he's retracing. Dr. Greer did a whole lot of integrating into what's real here about ETs and their craft and their mingling with the humans at this time. <clears throat> and there's a whole bunch more people now that are world bridgers between those mm-hmm. worlds, between the ET worlds and the human worlds. And it's becoming a higher science and higher consciousness connected to that where we can make bridges between world slavery forever 
or ascension. And uh, Revenge of the Sith is off the menu, right, yeah. Rama? Yeah. It's, you want to say a little more about that, Rama? I mean, you've been watching every, from the Avengers to the Star Trek to the Star Wars to the what's now happening. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's happening? It's like what Dr. Greer says, when you can travel from one star system to the next, let's say warp seven or warp ten. Uh, we already can do that. Well, Richard Hovland uh, demonstrated it. Yeah. It, it's, On PBS. Uh, I would just say right now, like Dr. Greer is speaking about as we want to have heaven on earth, like Billy Carson is talking about, it begins with love and peace. Not war, not death, not enslavement of the mind or the body. It's about, as you, you just said, when you see somebody, they're another you in La Cash. I passed the talking stick. <laughs> no. Um, it's profound what he's bringing forth right now, because there is a quandary right now in the church, the false church. Uh, they have been cussing and discussing with the ABC agencies, how do they reveal the presence of the galactics and use it for their own twisted purposes and that it ain't going to fly? Because, like what he said, it's about love. And that simple teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, the uh, separating the goats from the sheep, or whatever that parable is, and heaven is right here. As we create it, we are being given all the keys to the kingdom. Like he said, Thoth was able to just incarnate at will into a body if he so chose and travel around and um the way I could describe that as a metaphor they played with this idea in the movie The Eternals and um the god uh let me um Icarus. Icarus was another name for one of the Greek gods that could fly. He flew, flew too close to the sun and, you know, his wings melted. But in this story of the Eternals, he's one of the uh, immortals, Eternals that comes to Earth and they show in the lineage of how he showed up to the 
Aztec, Mayan people and played as Quetzalcoatl, which I don't know what to say about it, but it was interesting to see it happen as they showed it. And what I could say about what Billy Carson is saying, all the wise councils of elders are here. Uh, use the force as Master Yoda has taught us. I passed the talking stick. Okay, Ronald. Well, that's, I think that's what we're collectively beginning to realize how powerful that is, world group service. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, kind of hokey, but, uh, you know, Master Yoda. This ain't all hokey, nothing. He made it pretty clear. Yeah, teleportation. Telekinesis, psychokinesis. Well, that's only part of it in the sense that if you part don't, of it. If yeah. you don't do it with higher consciousness and remain consistent, oops. Yeah. A good analogy of that was Luke with Master Yoda tried to lift the mm, X-wing fighter out of the swamp. And it took Master Yoda to help Luke learn how to use his consciousness to lift it out. We have the same ability right here, right now. And that's the talking stick. Well, it's time to take a break is what it is, everybody. Mm. I really appreciated, and I think everybody has, um what's moving at those levels of what we can witness to the story, the big story, getting beyond any kind of caught in the box somewhere. I think out of the outside the box and that's possible and it's only thing that's ever gotten us to expand our consciousness. So See you in a little while, everybody. We'll bring the knowledge of the stars, Richard and Tanya Gabrielle and Kate Pacha, and music. Namaste. This is for you, Queen Amadala. Happy birthday.
America first. Critics are calling George Miller's new movie Aladdin for adults. What does one do with three wishes? Yes. I'm your masters of war. Here to build the big guns. Here to build the death planes. Here to build all the bombs. 
And I stand over your grave And I'm sure that you're dead That's the talking stick to you, Richard. Oh, this takes a few seconds, extra, about 15 seconds. Right. Technological way of life here. Okay. There you are. Hi. Richard. Hi, yeah. Yeah. Uh, hello and good evening, audience. It's the 13th of August, 2022. All right. Uh, first of all, I'd like to say I'm so glad Dr. Greer is on the planet and he has a plan. And I think it's a good plan, and I think you figured it out. And so support Dr. Greer any way your heart gets you to go. So that was the one good thing here. Now our second, our our second presenter that last week when you played this guy Rama, I wasn't sure if I if I if I if I, if I liked him or not. So this week. I, I paid extra attention to his content, and I, I like his content because I've been studying many of the same things he's done. See, what he's doing, I think, cosmically, evolutionary, evolutionarily speaking, right? Yeah. Yes, yes. Is he's, he's doing the tearing down tearing apart and uh, doing the, the divine destruction that's necessary. Yes. Yes. It's a necessary destruction that has to happen. So uh, he's got an interesting voice. He's got an interesting technique. And he's, he's pretty transparent about what his mission is. You know, he says, he, he says I, I, use, I use shock to get your attention, you know. <laughs> he says, he says, boy, I could just think of several people who would uh, uh, freak a little bit if they were to listen to him. But but <laughs> I've studied, yeah, but see, I've studied ancient history, you know, like Carl has, and uh, I'm, I'm working, I'm working on a book called The Secret Doctrine that was. Uh, <laughs> Published in 1888 by a lady, a British lady named Helena Blavatsky. Oh my God! Like now, with like with see the, with ancient history, it doesn't matter that it's a modern research project, which is what she did. Right. Right. She's not. She's she's in this book. She's she's literally hunting for the ancient wisdom. Yes. And she contrasts and compares the culture of India and their history and the and the and the and the Hebrew culture. 
yes. and the Egyptian culture. Yes. Right? And she she shows how uh, the Hebrews are the newcomers, and the Egyptians and the and the Indian Aryans, A R Y A N, the Aryan Hindus, where we get the uh, uh, the documents called uh, the Vedas, the Puranas, yes. uh, the Rig Vedas, yes. that that documentation, and she weaves and puts together and compares and contrasts um, the ancient language of symbology. So it's all about the, the symbols. Before before words, there were symbols. Mm-hmm. Right. And those symbols have power. Yes. They're like words, but they're visual. So anyway, all right, let's 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 make I'm gonna make a little I got a little plan here. All right. And it's it would I think it would be helpful to all of my students out there if you put put up a basic astrology chart for Saturday nights at nine o'clock Eastern so that you and I can be working on on the same diagram here. Richard, and, tell them where to go to do that. Go to astro.com. And there's a way to, you know, you can be a temporary guest. You can uh, uh, get a permanent location there to add, put charts up and whatever. So anyway, we're looking at we're looking at today's basic basic astrology chart. And in a basic astrology chart, the Earth is the empty center circle of that chart. And the planets are distributed around it. All right, this is an Earth Earth centric view, as opposed to a Sun centered view, because we're on Earth here. Now, what we want to do is we want to take a take a step back <coughs> from the Earth. We want to look at the we want to look at the Earth from the space uh, around zero degrees Taurus. So stand at zero degrees Taurus outside the solar system. You don't have to be very far outside the solar system, but, you know, a couple of parsecs maybe, and and look look back at at the Earth. Actually, stand. Stand at the stand at the orbit of Uranus. All right, with Uranus on your right hand shoulder, and Mars is is right there. Uranus and Mars is on your right hand shoulder. You're looking at the Earth. Chiron and Jupiter are on your left hand shoulder in Aries. Jupiter's at nine tonight. And retrograde, the Chiron is at 17 Taurus. No, 17 Aries in retrograde. So Jupiter conjunct Chiron, they're 10 degrees apart. They're both retrograde and they're on your left-hand shoulder. 
and Uranus and Mars are not retrograde, but they're on your right-hand shoulder. And the North Node is right there at your neck. All right. So as you look towards Earth on your on your on your left hand, the moon the moon's conjunct Neptune. Moon's at 19. Neptune's is still at 25, and it would be on your upper arm. Stretch your arms out. All right, so that. Um, Neptune and the moon are in your upper arm. Saturn is at 22 Aquarius. It's in the position of your forearm on your left-hand side. And Pluto's in your left hand. All right. Pluto in your left hand. Saturn at your forearm. Moon and Neptune at your upper arm. And Jupiter and Chiron on your left-hand shoulder. Now, on the other side, you've got Mercury in your right hand. The Sun and Venus in your right forearm. Venus is at 3 Leo, Moon's at 22 Leo. And Mercury is at 16 Virgo, all right? And uh, there's nothing in your upper arm, but uh, Uranus and Mars are right there on your on your right hand shoulder, and you're looking back at the Earth. So here here's what here's what you got. Pluto is opposite Venus. Venus is past the exact opposition. It's at 3 Leo. Uh, Pluto hanging out there at uh, 29 Capricorn. So that's one opposition. Um, the Sun is at 22 Leo, and it's opposite Saturn at 22 Leo. We talked about that last week. Still going on. Going to go on for a while. It'll take ten more day, ten more degrees of the sun's motion for that opposition to fade out. All right. So you got you got two very powerful forces right here. You got Saturn on your left arm and the sun on your right arm, and we're stuck in between. These two energy emitters, they're, you know, they're live, vibrant, and, and they're delivering, uh, energy to the, to the planet. All right. Now, Venus, this is the third opposition. Venus is opposite Pluto. So you got Venus opposite Pluto, Sun opposite Saturn. Mercury opposite, no, I didn't say, Mercury is opposite Neptune and the moon today. I got some of the Virgo Pisces axis, we got the the, uh, Leo Aquarius axis, and we got the uh, very early Leo, very late Capricorn axis. We got all all these oppositions here, right? So uh, Mercury, Sun, Venus, these are called the personal planets, right? 
and you got and you got Mars and Uranus. There's 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 in the center of things, right? So Uranus squares the sun, and Mars is uh, beginning to square the sun. That square Mars to the sun is going to become more potent as we go through the next two weeks, right? Mars moving much slower than the sun, right? So Mars is at 29 Taurus. And the sun's at 21 Leo. So that square, as the sun moves ahead a degree a day, right? In, in another week, we click to next week. Next week, the sun will be at 28 and Mars will be at 1. Alright. 1 Gemini. Alright, flip back here. And, uh, and then that, that's pretty much the layout for the, for the square. So you, uh, with Saturn at 22 and Uranus at 18 and Mars at 29, that, that Saturn square Uranus is still operating. Even after Mars gets into Gemini, Uranus square Saturn is still going to be operating. So that's, you know, that's all the, that's all the tough, what they call the challenging aspect. Now, what, what about some trines? Can we get a little trine in here to help? I think we can. <laughs> all right, Pluto is trying Mars. All right, that's 29-29. That's exact this weekend. And uh, since Pluto's retrograde and Uranus is not, uh, that trine is between Pluto and Uranus is going to strengthen, all right? And then coming up this week, Venus at three, moving fast, is going to try and Jupiter. This is very good and very helpful. And as Venus moves through Mars, and as the sun moves through Leo, uh, the help of Neptune is going to fade away. All right. Moon at 19, Pisces tonight. And that's enough for now. So let's go see what Capacha was thinking about. Back to you, Rama. Okay. This is good. Here we go. <laughs> Kaipacha with the weekly payment report. And this is for August 10th of the great year 2022. I am here at the Temple of the Peoples in Damanhur, Italy, and have a special, special treat for you today because this underground built into the mountain by individual people, bucket by bucket, over a million buckets. 
to open up this sacred space. Each one of these is a portal painted by Falco, the originator, founder of Dalmanhur. And it is very amazing that it is at this time, in particular, with the Mars, Uranus, North Node of the Moon conjunction, that I am here to experience each one of these six portals. As you, I am sure, are experiencing a portal opening, giving you the possibility of a new life. So the aspects are this full moon coming up is super powerful. It is on Friday and the north node of the moon is at 17 degrees. Uranus is at 18 degrees. The sun and the moon are both at 19 degrees. Saturn is at 22 degrees and Mars is at 25 degrees. This is a great alignment. And I'm sure that you are feeling the intensity of these times. So the sun comes into a square, an exact square with Uranus tomorrow. That's on Thursday. And then uh, continues to move. You know, the sun moves about a degree a day. And it is, uh, will move into an opposition with Saturn by Sunday. This is why it is the temple of the peoples that is really honoring all of the people. This is the ceiling. I'm going to walk around and try not to shake my phone too much so you can see all these. This is an honoring of the native indigenous peoples and the people beforehand before, uh, let us say, culture came along, social, cultural, religious conditioning came along to mess everything up. <laughs> and here at the top we have Horace, Boss, and Pan. I'm going to talk about them a little more. But I think you really have to be here to fully uh, surround yourself with the beauty. And this is, of course, uh, there's actually a language that Falco remembered. And these symbols are the letters of that alphabet of that language. And he says that for a, a language to be complete, you have to be able to write it, speak it, and dance it. I just absolutely love this place. <laughs> Let me finish with the rest of the, uh, uh, the rest of the aspects here. Um, 
Yeah, but I just want to give you a, a shot of these portals into different worlds. So not only is the sun square Uranus, but then Mercury, Mercury up there in Virgo, right, is a trining Uranus by next Tuesday. And the moon, of course, uh, is conjunct Pluto today, opposite Venus today, then moves into uh, the full moon, and she conjuncts Saturn, squares Mars on Friday, and uh, continues on into Pisces after that. Uh, this is a very interesting one I wanted to uh, share with you. Um, yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. And so, uh, uh, the last uh, aspect I'm going to maybe be talking a little bit about here today is Mars trine Pluto. And that is on Sunday. So, let me uh, take a little look at the camera and give you a little bit about what this all means. All right, everybody. I'm assuming there's a little bit of an echo uh, here, so I hope that the sound is okay, which I hope every week. <laughs> I hope I don't bother you hoping about the sound. <laughs> But uh, let's just uh, jump right in here. I feel like there is no such thing as accidents. We know that in astrology, there is the unconscious, the collective unconscious, the personal unconscious, and spirit, the soul, is unconscious. So accidents is when the unconscious surprises the conscious ego. So this is a time not of accidents. This is a time of very powerful unconscious portals opening in your life, in your mind, in your relationships, in everything that you do. This is a time to be extremely attentive to people coming in and out of your life, to new situations, to new opportunities, to things that are passing away. It is like we are going through a portal, like you are crossing a threshold into, last week I talked about a new identity, right? And this new identity can move into a new life. And what is this new life about? What are the possibilities that await us on the other side of this threshold? This is what is so important for us to discuss today. And this is also why I feel there is no accident that I uh, came to Dhammanhur at this particular time the temples of humankind. I am only showing you one, okay? But inside this mountain, there are five. And these are the masculine temples. 
that have been dug out. They have penetrated the solid rock earth with air and light. They also have the complementary sacred woods, the feminine, out, and they have temples on top, you know, spirals and labyrinths and all kinds of, and the, the, the sacred tree. And this is what is so valuable, so noteworthy, and so important. I even showed you Horus, Pan, and Bast. Yes. These three realms can also even be likened a bit to the human realm, the realm of the trees, the realm of the nature spirits. These three worlds need to be united, need to be connected. We are cosmic spiritual beings that have come to inhabit this physical, earthly plane. And there has been a separation of these worlds. That is what the mantra is about today. Yes. Mantra is, speaks to this separation that has occurred between us and our physical, human, sexual, emotional bodies and the body of Gaia, the earth herself, and all the gnomes and fairies and spirit beings that live in the etheric and astral realms that are intangible invisible what has occurred here and this is the danger of materialism and materialistic science and the empirical approach towards only using what our five physical senses can absorb or witness as the one and only reality that exists as spirit soul beings on a spiritual path of meditation of yoga of art music dance these are the ways and the means and this is the sun and Venus moving into Leo. I don't know if I mentioned that, but Venus is moving into Leo also. We're going to have both the Sun and Venus moving through Leo, creative self-expression, being agents of life through our creative efforts. And this, the fifth house and Leo, has to do with recreation. Recreation. <laughs> and sometimes recreation wrecks <laughs> a few other creations. But here's what I mean. Here, this is the point. And this is where, uh, you know, our news and our science and our teachings and our schools. And, and this is also the sun in opposition to Saturn in Aquarius. Pluto moving into Aquarius. 
next year. Us moving into the age of Aquarius. Opposite Leo. Leo is to be the shadow of the age of Aquarius. Just as Virgo was the shadow of the age of Pisces. So it is up to us, yes, as spiritual warriors, to continue to focus and to bring energy to art, music, dance, poetry, all forms of creative self-expression, of authentic, sovereign expression of our unique specialness. This is profoundly important during these times when we are here and being fed so much fear and so many disasters and problems and heaviness and and it is simply a means of controlling our minds and our hearts. And it's up to us to not allow that to happen. So I encourage you, as I always encourage you, to get out in nature, under those trees, in the rocks, in the streams, you know, feeling into the energy spots. Yes, the grid lines, the ley lines, the synchronic lines, there's so many energy pathways that we can tap into and open ourselves to, to give us rejuvenation, to give us power, to give us light, to give us joy, and to give us happiness. So this is what I really feel we're, we're moving so much into now, is this whole, and I, it's a longer talk, for me to go into the the, the long-range transits right now. But I will say that Dominor is one of many spiritual communities around the world, and it is time for us to network. It is time for us to connect and create a parallel society consisting of awakened soul beings that can move from community to community, from place to place, in freedom, in light, in joy. And so I really want to encourage you to seek out, to find these centers, these places, these temples, these people, yes, that we build our numbers and we really become seeds of this new age of Aquarius. So, I have to read you the mantra. I mean, the, the, the Sabian symbol, this is a, so phenomenal. The sun, okay, is first of all at uh, the 20th degree. Okay, it's, a, the, it's 19 degrees, 21 minutes. That is the 20th degree of Leo. Zuni Indians perform a ritual to the sun. The keynote is a return to the glorification of natural energies. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying what the astrology already says. <laughs> 
But now look at the moon. Listen, this is fantastic. So the moon is exactly opposite the sun. In this very powerful square the moon's nodes, square Mars Uranus, conjunct Saturn, the moon coming around, and the symbol for that degree is a large white dove bearing a message. The answer of spiritual agencies to thorough, sustained, and victorious individual efforts. You get that? It's up to each and every single one of us as individuals to carry on and really bear the torch of light through some very difficult, dark times. Yeah. The individual who has gone courageously and with indomitable spirit through the crucial crisis receives, as it were, a deep spiritual blessing from the soul realm. In quotes, mission accomplished. Peace be with you. And in this blessing, a secret prophecy of what is yet to come may be seen by the sensitive mind of the recipient. Every real spiritual step a person takes in their development is the result of a victory over forces of inertia and destruction. The divine is totally present in the heart of all true victories. I speak with many, many people day in and day out all over planet Earth in my workshops, through social media. I know we are all experiencing some very big challenges to what we have valued as important in our relationships, with our income, how we spend our time. And I want to encourage you to rise above the forces of depression, despair, inertia, and destruction. And stay focused on creating I don't care if it's a piece of jewelry, polishing a rock, making a sculpture, painting a painting, dancing a dance, graphic arts, music, instruments. Find anything and anything and just create during this time of Leo. You will find yourself in your creations. You will see yourself 
in what you produce out of nothing. Let us enhance our imagination. Listen to our inspiration and invite spirit revelation to come through us as spiritual instruments of divine grace. This is a tremendous opportunity. I mean, the old saying is, if it doesn't kill you, it will make you stronger. <laughs> and uh, I have kind of found that in my life. <laughs> it's tough. It's hard to keep a smile on your face with all the BS that's going down. And that is exactly what we need to do. So, get on it, baby. <laughs> the mantra for this week, the oneness of creation now lives in separation. My task is unification through joyful recreation. Don't let it get you down. I think that's going to be the song for this week by Neil Young. It's only castles burning. Just find someone who's turning and you will come around. Let the fires burn the old way down. Don't go down with the ship. We will rise even higher out of the flames like the phoenix rising from the ashes. So yeah, baby, one more time. Check it out. <laughs> the one of creation now lives in separation. My task is unification through joyful recreation. May you dance like pine and bust and connect with Horus and unite these worlds again. Namaste. Aloha. So much love. In closing, I would just like to share with you the labyrinth, which is a beautiful example of all the different gods and goddesses from all different cultures, countries, and continents sharing the same hall together, ageless, timeless. And this, again, is 30 to 60 meters below the surface. And it is just something that you need to come and experience personally.
yourself. Six floors. It's time to break up with your basic plan. Pass the talking stick to you, Richard. Uh, thank you, sir. I've been looking at next Saturday's chart, and uh, I know Tanya's going to be 15 minutes here, but let me let me just indicate that the complexity of the energy flows is going to continue to be complex. Yes. yes. And it 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 not only looks like it feel it feels like everything is anchored with the North Node and Uranus in Taurus. That's been going on for a while. Uh, next week we're going to still have our. Saturn, Sun, Uranus, North Node, T-square. But we got another interesting thing going on. Mercury is going to move far enough ahead, and the Sun far enough ahead, that we're going to have a double in conjunct condition involving Sun-Pluto, a 20, 28 Leo, 28 Capricorn, that's 150 degrees, and it's going to cross with Mercury at 25 and Saturn at 22. So you're going to have a, a doubling conjunct of those guys, and they, Mercury and Pluto, trine. They're going to try this coming week, Uranus North Node. So Uranus, you know, Pluto's backing up. Uranus is going forward. So that trine is increasing in power. Mercury is going to come into a a temporary power point because of its speed. And uh, Venus is going to try Jupiter this week. All right, Jupiter will be at 8 next week because it's retrograde. Venus is going to move to 12. So we got we got help with uh, Jupiter trying Venus. We've got help with Mercury trying Pluto. And we're going to the North Node, and Uranus is in charge. Woo! So that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Woo-hoo! I think that's talking about making the biggest change ever and coming up. Yeah, this, this. On our feet. Yeah, this is, this is an, this is an, an indicator of, uh, high tension. And high tension leads to revelation. There we go. I like that. All right. I learned that from Master DK. Yes. High tension leads to revelation. <laughs> that, mean, that means increased awareness. So you'll be more conscious by next week if you, <laughs> you know, if if you're not if you're not uh, trapped 
in the symbolism of the dark agenda. So get out of that. Yeah, that's a good idea. Well, all right. Peace so, out. Oh. Namaste. I love you all. Have a great, safe week, and I'll talk to you next week. Thank you, Richard. Okay. Thank you. Here we go. Tanya Gabrielle, everyone. Hello there. It's Tanya Gabrielle here, Wealth Astrologist. Welcome to Star Codes. This week, we're going to look at the Virgo New Moon, and as usual, we're going to approach it from both the astrology and the numerology. Now, the Virgo New Moon takes place at four degrees in Virgo, and it's an extraordinary new moon because the sun and moon will be at four degrees Virgo, and Mars will be at four degrees in Gemini, and both Virgo and Gemini are ruled by the same planet, Mercury. So this is going to be a major Mercury event and Mars event as well. So sun and moon, four degrees Virgo, the sign of healing, the number of manifestations, so manifesting healing, manifesting your true purpose through the messages that you share, Mercury, the messenger. And so let's dive more deeply into the code. First of all, let's look at the time of this new moon. It happens at 9.17 a.m. Universal Time in London, and that's 4.17 a.m. Eastern Time, New York, and 1.17 a.m. Pacific Time, L.A. Now, 9.17 Universal Time, when you add those numbers up, 9 plus 1 plus 7, it adds up to another 17, and 17 is the immortality number. So that indicates with all these 17s that there's going to be something around this new moon in your life that you will perceive, understand, manifest that will leave behind a legacy. And so this is a very important part of the numerology code. The other part is that the four degree placement of the sun and moon and four degree placement of Mars square the sun and moon in Virgo. Four and eight, 17 reduces to eight, are in the manifestation triad, two, four, eight. And four and eight are considered in numerology two numbers that can indicate destiny, karma. And so karma, not in a negative sense, but basically what you have focused on will come to pass. So this is a pivotal moment in the year to really take stock of how you have been approaching your life. From what perspective? What has been on your mind? Because whatever you are focusing on is basically what you are going to be immersed in energetically and the universe will return the favor, right? So this is an important part of the code. And then also the fact that Gemini is activated as well. Gemini and Virgo both being ruled by Mercury. So this will create a lot of energy because Mars, Gemini is a fast moving moving sign. Mars is a fast moving planet and Virgo is an earth sign. So there's going to be the sense of trying to move from a more stable sense, like having flexibility and security at the same time. There's going to be 
a real push to move, to create movement and to not overreact. Yes, you're going to have unresolved emotions that may need to be aired or shared, but you need to do so with utmost care. So sun and moon square to Mars can stimulate a sense of competitiveness and also possible conflict. So if you feel yourself getting irritable or impatient, just seek a compromise. Be confident and calm. So use the Mars energy for forward momentum in a secure way. Mars is very confident and Mars, of course, goes for it. So you want to seek a compromise if you find yourself in a situation that pits you against someone else and you want to abstain from engaging with those who want to rile you up, right? Coax you into some kind of conflict uh, argument. So just take a pass, say no, and just know that you have Mars's energy at your disposal in a positive way because Mars stimulates you to act, to move your body, to exercise. So channel the fire of Mars that will be very strong. Channel it into walking, swimming, moving your body, right? You can do it with music. Whatever gets your heart rate up, you want to focus on that because it'll help you release any of this pent-up fiery energy that just wants to be creative. It wants to create. It wants to be put into action. And so if you put it into action, you won't have a knee-jerk reaction if triggered in some way. Now, there are a lot of lovely aspects from Venus. Venus is square to Uranus, and Venus is also opposite Saturn. And a square to Uranus usually indicates a lot of creative energy, so that'll add to the Mars creativity as well. And so an opposition to Uranus usually creates some kind of instability. So in this case, because it's Venus, there may be some changes in an intimate relationship, could be business or personal, or, and, and this is especially if you feel sort of confined or smothered in any way, you want to break free because Uranus is the freedom planet. Uranus rules Aquarius, this sign of our age that we're moving into, the new 2,000-year age. So anything that works with Uranus is important. You know, Venus is about pleasure and abundance and love, and Saturn is about diligence, responsibility, uh, timing, and work. So when they're in opposition, you want to lay low a little bit, maybe take the weekend off because this new moon actually happens on a Saturday, so not work so much, and keep it easy and allow your mind, through Mercury being the ruler of the new moon, to go to places that are surprisingly creative, surprisingly evocative in terms of where you can head with your career, with your ideas, with your relationships, with your health, because Virgo governs health. And to help matters, Mars, the planet square to the new moon, is actually sextile to Jupiter, Jupiter and Aries, and that's Mars's sign. So there's a really big enhancement of Mars through Jupiter, and that gives an even stronger desire to move forward and create success, right? There's a desire here, a deep desire from Mars. 
and Jupiter enhancing Mars through the sextile to create success. So you have this positive outlook that impacts your manifestation rate, your ability to focus on your attentions and focus on the frequencies that you want to align with joy, creativity, peace, love, abundance. And it's basically the frequencies that bring you joy because Jupiter is the joy planet and in the sextile to Mars fires up whatever brings you joy. So just know that financial flow is enhanced with Venus and Jupiter both activated during this new moon. Your initiative, your ability to take initiative is very much enhanced. Mars is all about initiative and you're going to benefit from wonderful opportunities in order to invoke these qualities. Now, Mars is also trying to Mercury, the ruler of the Virgo new moon, and the ruler of Mars's sign, where Mars is currently moving through. That is Gemini. So Mercury is going to really inspire you, right? There's there's going to be a, a real uh, yearning to act on your inspirations with confidence through Mars. So you have increased concentration powers. You can focus on meticulous projects, which is also enhanced through Virgo. Virgo is also about being very meticulous. You're innovative, magnetic, Mars. Your message is magnetic. You are, you feel attractive and you come across as attractive. And maybe ideas that you've kept to yourself can now be shared openly. You feel comfortable with that. You feel passionate about the ideas and want to share them. Now, one other thing to look at here in the numerology code is that this new moon is happening on August 27th. I hope I mentioned that before. Um, but the whole date, the universal date is 23. So 8-27-2022 adds up to 23. 23 is the royal star of the lion number. And this is a very powerful number. It's considered the most powerful in numerology. It's about courage and leadership and freedom. And 23 reduces to 5. 2 plus 3 equals 5. Now, August in 2022 is a 14-universal month. 14 also reduces to 5. 1 plus 4 equals 5. So the number 5 also plays a role in addition to the number 4 and the number 17-8. And 5 is the shift number. It sits on a rocker. It faces left and right. It's the middle number between one and nine. And it basically is you're making some decisions because you're changing. There's change in the air. So when we have the 23 and the 14, both reducing to five, uh, both activated during this new moon, that means that you are ready to make the shift to understand that everything you do that is meaningful comes from your connection to source, to all that is, to the one energy, the one creative energy. So this is a time to connect to that energy, to source. And one of the easiest and most magnificent instant ways to do that is nature. And Virgo is an earth sign and the four degree placement of the sun and moon with four degree Mars, triple four. This is a very powerful activation of the number four and earth resonates to four. We have four directions, north, south, east, west. We have four seasons 
And these are indicative of how earth is connected to the number of security. It's, it's a, it's an earth. When you say an earth sign, for example, in astrology, those are the signs that are very secure. They lay roots in the earth. So one way to do that is to just stay grounded in your natural state. Don't allow yourself to be manipulated, for example, through technology, through being on your phone too much or online too much. Read a book, get out in nature, and really honor how you were made by source. Honor your body, exercise, eat well, right? Virgo is very much about health and healing. So, Again, four manifests very quickly. Virgo is also a manifestation sign. Virgo is an earth sign. Four represents the earth. So one of the biggest things we do on this planet is to learn to master our feelings, our emotions. And healing comes when we are touched on every level. And and here's the thing. Touching is physical. Being physically touched is absolutely vital. And also being touched spiritually, emotionally, mentally. And when you look people in the eyes. So that's, again, put the technology away to have time to literally sit there and be physically present and spend time with the people who you are connected to. Like literally, physically. And feel their energy and look into their soul. So this is how you then master the emotional side because you are connecting to source and you're not privy to this crazy thought stream constantly running, giving you regurgitated information because it's definitely not inspiration. So this code of the 17, the 5, and the 4 is combining to really get you grounded, excited, about forward momentum out of your head and into creative fired up energy like the the real i just can't wait to do this or you know work on this project whatever the case may be or read this book or take a walk in nature whatever the case may be you are comfortable opening your heart and sharing in the process of of your amazing relationship with all that is, with the light. So this Virgo new moon is powerful in so many ways, and it also ends August. It's on the 27th. So then we move into September when many things tend to get started, schools, colleges, fiscal year. You know, So it's a wonderful time to take stock, take that weekend, and really focus on your self-care, your inner life, your body, your connection to earth. So have a beautiful Virgo new moon. And remember that you also have a star code. Your birthday, your birth certificate name, they resonate to specific numbers that carry great meaning, your life purpose, your destiny. And all is revealed in a free masterclass at starcodeclass.com. And in that free masterclass, we will look at your destiny. Basically, you're going to come face-to-face with your star code. And we'll look at the astrology and the numerology. There's a handout. You can also look at other people in your life so you understand them more deeply and have 
such compassion and non-judgment for them. And it is just a wonderful way to ground your energy. So have fun with that free masterclass. It's about 90 minutes long. It's really fun. And it's all about you. (laughs) So go to starcodeclass.com. Have a beautiful Virgo new moon. And I will see you in next week's Star Codes podcast. Lots of love. Wow. I guess it's time to go to the radio. This is quite a powerful moment in our history, history transforming, integrative, quantum leap of (laughs) moments. Okay, so Rama, the numbers. Um, Seven, two, zero. Seven one six seven three zero one, and the pin code is three five three eight six three pound. So we'll see you there, and then we'll be back on BBS Radio Station Two again today. <laughs> and um, yes, uh, uh, we'll be there in the next following hour. Again, so let's have a little hour for a conference call now. Namaste, everyone. Namaste. See you there.
Lion of Judah. 
and reincarnation. Does love survive reincarnation? Writer and channeler Gates McKibben tapped into the concept of reunited twin flames when she began to write her Love, Hope, Give fiction series, which begins in Atlantis and continues over the ages. McKibben returns to open minds to share these four inspirational books that tell the story of a twin flame couple, one spirit in two bodies, who find each other over multiple lifetimes. Mm-hmm. In each lifetime, these fated soulmates improve the lives of those around them while navigating incredible challenges 
and inspiring others to unwavering integrity. These powerful stories, filled with historical events and people, McKibben had no knowledge of before writing these books, have helped countless people to embody their authentic selves and choose partnerships infused with integrity, grace, and beauty. Gates McKibben is a clairaudience, channeler, and author of books including Epic Steps, Rekindling Democracy, Unity, and Peace. Her previous interview on Gaia is titled Channeling Jefferson, Lincoln, and Eisenhower, and we have that in the archives of BBS Radio's Tasted too. All right, Rama, tell us what we're going to do here. This is 48 minutes. Here we, we go. They were using your hand to do automatic writing. Suddenly, I'm sitting writing, and I get deeper and deeper into the story. I'm hooked. And you have two characters. Luke and Grace. Grace being the embodiment of the divine feminine. Luke is on his course of the divine masculine. The beauty of this relationship as Luke and Grace go through the lifetimes that are portrayed in the next three books is that their love, of course, is eternal, mm-hmm. and they recognize each other. And so these stories enable us to remember who we fundamentally are. Mm-hmm. This isn't this isn't a classic historical, you know, romance, right. the way we think of them. Right. Um, it's not hard. It doesn't, uh, but <laughs> it is about how they come together in love. Last time we had Gates McKibben with us, we spoke of democracy according to her channeling from three former founding fathers and presidents, a beautifully clear idea of democracy in its purest form. Today we're focusing on an equally beautiful and clear take on the subject, that of love between twin flames. The only danger here is that you'll be tempted to wait it out until you can reunite with yours. After hearing all of this, that's what I'm hearing from the people who have read the series of books. It is so juicy and tempting. So welcome back, Gates. Thank you. It's so good to be back. And talking about love this time. You know what? It's true. What the world needs now is, is love, sweet love, man. We couldn't, there couldn't be a more perfect topic for the times than love. So first of all, you know, here you're talking to dead presidents and now this is a whole different thing that happened back then, right? Wasn't this from maybe 20 years ago when this first started? About 20 years ago, I, I get guidance from spirit that is very simple. Grab mm-hmm. a journal, grab a pen, let's get started. And then and you just, you're sitting here like this and your hands doing this. <laughs> and I never know what the topic is going to be. So I started writing the first book. It was about Atlantis. And I thought, wow, this is different. I wonder if it's real. I wonder if it's authentic. I okay, wonder if I'm making a, this up. That's important because you personally didn't know anything about Atlantis. I mean, that's not in your wheelhouse. No. No, first people need to know you were a very high powered businesswoman. 
Okay. Yes. You were a very successful, high-powered businesswoman, and you got you became ill at one point. Something happened, cracked open the old egg here up to the universe, and things started pouring through you. So just to get that background out of the way, you were not studying esoterica like this at all. So let's now go from there. Wasn't studying anything about Atlantis. I had never read about Atlantis. Suddenly, I'm sitting writing about what I think is a fantasy, a fiction, something that may or may not have existed. Um, and a couple who come together after an androgynous person makes the choice of going through a high frequency spiritual process and being split into two, into identical twins a male and a female. So I'm writing all of this thinking, this is phenomenal. How can it be real? How can it be true? But I keep going and I get deeper and deeper into the story. I'm hooked. Yeah. Okay. Well, now, and you're writing this longhand on a piece of paper with a pen and your hand, you will write hours and hours a day but your hand doesn't even crimp. It's not even you writing. They were using your hand to do automatic writing. Now, the interesting thing about what you just brought up, in hermetic texts, it does talk about that process of a ray, a soul, splitting into twin rays of male and female. This is part of hermetic teachings, and I don't know that you're aware of that. Unaware of it. Mm -hmm. Not at all. Yeah. So let's continue on. So you're being downloaded. And, and so this story is progressing and you have two characters. Let's talk about them. Luke and Grace. Right. Luke uh, takes a job at a research institute. He thinks it's totally legitimate and finds out that, in fact, they're doing a lot of uh, corrupted research that is out of alignment with anything that be, can be considered ethical. And he begins to dig into it to try to try to discover what are they doing really, which is trying to supersede the power of spirit by implanting cells, implanting technological cells or chips into the brains of people who are their subjects of these experiments. Mm. They have the ridiculous idea that technology can be stronger than spirit, stronger than the divine, and that would give them control over everything. What's interesting about this, Ray Kurzweil, who many people would say is kind of the godfather of AI, and uh, probably the primary research center for AI is MIT, in the United States anyway, and now what you're talking about are the very things that are being grappled with in society, in in that world, at large, this is the exact subject that's now on the table. Even television shows and movies are being made about it. So you must have been channeling it and picking it up when they were very first contemplating or working on this technology. So what you're doing is giving kind of a forewarning to people in these books. So continue on what happens. So he finds out, he has absolute evidence that, uh, that the experimentation that's going on is um, is corrupted and takes that evidence to the tribunal, which purportedly is ethical, purportedly has a high level of integrity, and um, 
he is thrown into prison. In the meantime, Grace has uh, discovered that she can commune with plants and that, in fact, she understands the healing power of plants. She creates a healing center that's based on the use of herbs and also personal responsibility for one's own health Mm -hmm. rather than leading a, a profligate, decadent life and then turning to technology to change it all, to get, you know, to make you healthy. So it's about personal responsibility. It's about health and healing. And the healing center becomes so successful. She creates kiosks that sell healing soup to everyone. And in fact, give a lot of it, the kiosks give a lot of it away. So Grace is on her own dynamic course, being the embodiment of the divine feminine, which is all about healing and creating and nurturing and and being there for the community. Luke is on his course of the divine masculine, which is uncovering the lack of integrity as the masculine attempts to control every god. Play god. Yeah. He's imprisoned. And the question then becomes, what happens? What right. happens with the information he has? Is it going to be suppressed completely? Right. right. Can he get out of prison? What do they do? And you're not going to tell because <laughs> we don't want we don't want to do any spoil. Have to do a bunch of spoiler no. alerts here. We're not going to spoil it for anybody because this is a series of four books that are really meant to be read sequentially because these two progress in time as they continue finding each other. So we won't tell what happens, you know, to spoil the plot. But the thing is, this was flowing through you. The point of it, I want to get to this question. After all these books came through you, um, why did, did you ask why? Why are you flowing this information through me at this time? And I want to know the answer to that before we go. And so we have a framework for the rest of these stories. That's just the beginning of book one really doesn't even talk about the incredible integrity and beauty of the union between these two people who any male or female would say, yes, that's how I want to do it. So why, why, why was it flowing through you? Great question. I asked that because again, I was wondering why am I writing fiction after working with presidents, after publishing seven volumes of wisdom from the other side and now fiction? The answer was very clear. We have fallen into um, a pattern of the disempowered feminine and the overly powerful masculine, the dominant masculine, mm-hmm. the patriarchy. Mm-hmm. And and the, the feminine has allowed itself to become powerless in the face of that dominant, overwhelming patriarchy, which has been going on for millennia. It's in the collective consciousness, and we may not realize it, but we're being affected by it. So what better way to remind us that we're all divine, we all have the capacity for divine love, to be divine love, to hold that divine love. We all can be in relationship with another that is rooted in that divinity rather than a relationship that exists because of extreme compromises 
for the male, what we call the divine masculine is really someone who's capable of right action, right? Right action. What we call the divine feminine is someone who stands in her, her power to create. Mm-hmm. You bring those two together in love. And then we're able to live in our divinity, which is why we're here. But we've so walked away from that. We've fallen away from it. We've lost touch with it. These novels give readers the opportunity. It's like a blueprint for what can be. Yes. 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 And we don't have any other blueprints out. I can't think of another blueprint out there that even comes close to these books Mm. in what can be. And the interesting thing is we see um, the entertainment industry, for example, uh, picking up the themes of, you know, the uber uh, warrioress woman, right? She's going to kick ass even harder than the guys do. She's the lead person now, even in a lot of films, for example, and doing things the way men do it, you know, although maybe even more brutal, for example. So that's supposed to be empowering young women to know that they they can play alongside men. But what you just said that's so important here, the ancestral memory that is in our DNA, masculine and feminine, every time we incarnate, is affecting us Mm -hmm. and in our subconscious, that Mm -hmm. great subconscious that we have, it's in us. And you can be a millennial, you can be a little Zoomer girl who's kind of feeling her power, you get with a boy and suddenly you're just like, oh, well, whatever you want to do. It's baked into the cake now because of the millennia of living under this agreed upon or not agreed upon situation between men and women. So this does affect us all. You're right. We may not remember, but it's even affecting the youngest generations and they don't know it. I agree. And so these stories enable us to remember who we fundamentally are mm-hmm. and to celebrate who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, the beauty of this relationship as Luke and Grace go through the lifetimes that are portrayed in the next three books is that their love, of course, is eternal mm-hmm. and they recognize each other. But these aren't fantasies. You know, they're no, living in yeah. difficult circumstances. But the quality of their relationship as equals and the communication. Yes. All of it. Their, their decision making, everything about who they are together is an affirmation of the extraordinariness that they are individually and who they are together. And I love that as, you know, as kind of a thread running through all mm-hmm. of the stories. They never compromise their relationship ever. And they don't compromise their integrity. No even if it means they have to sacrifice something in the relationship. I mean, it's, again, it's the most beautiful template I have ever seen for what is the potential between the masculine and the feminine. So we've got to continue on. That's just book one, and we just kind of teased a little bit of it. But let's go in now to book number two, which is called Love 24 AD. And while I loved all of the books, I think that one was my favorite. Now, let's take us into the times of history. And again, important to note, you're writing about historical figures in this book you had never even heard of. And it turns out you went and looked them up and they were real historical figures in that time. Okay, so I love it because you're actually channeling it. So let's talk about love at 24 AD. 
Gracila is the daughter of a woman healer. She lives in a community of women. And the, they, they work at such a high frequency and live at such a high frequency that the community is actually invisible most of the time. Lucan is the son of a tribal chieftain. And their parents, her mother and his father, uh, were together in Atlantis. They've come back together in order to give birth to these two and then bring them together when the time is right. And this is in ancient Britannia. Ancient, this, yes. I'm sorry, yes, Britannia. Mm-hmm. Uh, 20, she's born in 24 AD. Mm-hmm. So the story starts then. They, they find each other. They, of course, love each other. They marry and simultaneously the Roman invasion is about to occur. Right. So just when they get married and start a life together, they have to face this, this horrific invasion on the part of a the very Romans. sophisticated yes. Roman uh, uh, legion, which has highly uh, developed weaponry, engineering, organizational capacity. And here are these tribes that sort of come together, but not really, that have been existing independently around Britannia. They've got to defend against this. Lucan's father understands quickly that it's not going to be possible for the tribes to defend themselves effectively. He sees what the Romans bring with them. And knows that the only solution is to create a negotiated peace. This is after they've gone onto the battlefield. They've, they've tried their best. And Graciela and Lucan have been separated. And he's been wounded pretty severely in battle, actually. Yes, Lucan is duty. wounded. He chose to do it. His father tried to get him out of it. He said, no. Again, living to, if we're sending the others, we're sending me. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so when when his father approaches Vespasian and says, I want to have a conversation with you, one tribal chieftain to another commander of legions. Let's see if we can find common ground. And in fact, they do. Um, it is one of my favorite parts of the story. That's one of my favorite parts of all four books is that. Is it? Yes. Me too. Yeah. Because here are these, these purported enemies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have this 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 stereotype of the good guy, the bad guy, you know, the we've got to come and vanquish. We've got to we've got to hold our ground against the evil. And rather than falling into that caricature, they come together as two intelligent, capable leaders who communicate authentically with each other. Lucan's father doesn't say well, I'm here because I know that I'm doing you a favor because we could, you know, we could overcome your invasion. He says, I realize the position we're in. Mm -hmm. Isn't there a way for us to come to an agreement that allows our communities to remain, that gives Rome some whatever resources and whatever they're looking for, yeah. So that we can all find a way mm-hmm. to live together, mm-hmm. which is so, it's a totally it so different paradigm the from thoughts. Yeah, the dialogue were so 
crystal clear and logical. I know. And honoring of what is instead of the delusion and ego that goes into what we know is war now. Exactly. It's, it's beautiful. So then that story ends up being fascinating because Lucan and Gracila go to Rome as representatives of Britain because he also is very practical. And he knows that the survival of the culture, if there's any way that the survival of the, the clans is will be possible, it's through trade. Mm-hmm. And so let's make trade something really dynamic and positive for both sides. Lots of great things happen when they're in Rome. Um, they've got, they live a fascinating life yes. together. They come back together with Vespasian. I won't go into any more yeah. detail there, but it's, it's really fun and, um, so affirming. It was very powerful. Yeah. And, and the thing laced throughout all of this was the sensuality of earth. Earth is always very present in this mm-hmm. and beauty and the way the, um, whether it's the environment they're living in, I mean, I can even smell the inside of where she lived with her mother before Lucan came along oh. and all the herbs wafting in the air and the fur pelts they were sleeping on. You can feel that on your skin. Everything is so sensually alive in, in the books, but also the sheer beauty. Mm-hmm. Everything has this element of craftsmanship and quality and the finest of earth's offerings um, combined with human intelligence and creativity. So the beauty and creativity is very, very alive in this book, coming from both the masculine and the feminine, which I love. So are you ready to go on to book three? Let's do it. Okay. That's a whole other story. Okay. So in book three, which is called Hope, um, we have a situation in which the two aren't so easily reunited. And it's a story, it's a very powerful story. And you talk about it with, again, it's brought through in such a direct, non-judgmental way. But this Graciela or Gracella, her name is always a variation of grace, um, comes through in this time to a woman who fell on misfortune and became a slave. So let's talk about her and what Greek and Roman times were like in terms of slavery. Mm-hmm. We don't understand up to half the population in Rome was, were slaves. Let's talk about that and how one became a slave, accidentally even. Grassi's mother was in a family, a, a moderately wealthy family. He, her father was a merchant who got overextended and then took out more loans and became even more overextended. And as a result, the entire family was thrown into slavery. Ugh. Grassi's mother, who thought she was going to lead a relatively good life, uh, ended up re- not only resenting the slavery, but of course resenting every aspect of her life because it wasn't at all what she anticipated. Gave birth to Grassi, resented the daughter. Um, so it, Grassi was born into sort of the most difficult situation imaginable. Um, and yet she was given an opportunity to learn. I don't what don't have to go into detail right. how, but she was educated. Mm-hmm. And because of her ability to work with spices, which began in Atlantis right. and then on and into Britannia yeah. 
and then now she's um becomes a, a a helper, a slave in the kitchen, and creates magnificent sauces out of these spices. It it ends up just transforming how this family um have their meals, how much they enjoy their meals. Lucan, on the other hand, is born into uh, a high, high, very powerful, um, highly, um, uh, very wealthy family in Rome. It's a, it's the sort of epitome of the patriarch. His father expects him to live out the family legacy, be a senator, agree to an, an arranged marriage with someone else from a wealthy family so we can, we can combine our wealth and expand our power. So he's on that trajectory. Grassi is a slave. She ends up being taken to Rome. She's serving in the kitchen, creates deliciousness for a banquet, and Lucan tastes her food and recognizes it. He recognizes that spice combinations. And she comes out because they're so blown away by the meal and he recognizes her. But they can never come together because it's a law in Rome that senators can never marry either a slave or a freed woman. Mm-hmm. So even if she's freed, they can never be married. They can never be legally together. And that's the situation they're thrown into and when she, they meet. And she has been gracious enough in her own life, understanding her lot. This is what she, this is what she's born into. It's not like you have a lot of choices. Um, to make to feel grateful for the fact that she was elevated because of her cooking skills, mm-hmm. and she's accepted this. Mm-hmm. And so when they ask to meet face to face, he recognizes her, but she doesn't seem to be seeing those possibilities right away. She's she is a slave. Working mm-hmm. in the kitchen. She's a cook. She is. And she, she says, we may love each other, but we can never be together. Right. And she was pretty firm on that. She was. And he was the one that actually fought for it. We'll go into that in a little bit. But one of the things that was interesting here is during that lifetime, because she was kind of a favored person for making this delectable cuisine for everybody in Rome, she was granted certain favors. Now tell, remind me of how she came across these manuscripts because she was educated. She could read. She came across manuscripts about Yeshua from a hundred years prior. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that. So, um, she discovers that, um, she, well, of course she can read and she learned to read in Greek mm-hmm. and her owner who, who loves her, knows her and loves her in his own way because he's from the the previous two lifetimes. Um he in fact is Lucan's father in Britannia. So he takes yeah. her under his wing and says, "Here's a book. Here's a book you might enjoy, a book from my collection." And that's she reads about him and discovers that in fact she not only is able to relate to the story, but she's deeply affected by um, all of the teachings of Yeshua. She knows, she deeply believes that he, in fact, was a prophet. This is before 
any organized religion really has come about. This is with the pure early teachings right. of Yeshua and his followers and their experiences with him. And so that gives her an opportunity to believe deeply in something else. If she can't exactly believe in the love she shares with Lucan, which is real, but it's impossible. But unexpressed, yeah. She can believe in the stories of Yeshua as told by his followers. And so that gives her, it, it really provides a source of, of solace for her and, and peace and comfort, even as they undergo the difficulties they face in that lifetime. What also happens is he does go on with great, great resistance because they, they love each other. It's now it's known they love each other. With great resistance, he does go into um, an arranged marriage. Um, we won't get into any of that. But there is so much grace in this story because in spite of the circumstance, the two are allowed to be together in a certain way. And she, and she, well, she's allowed to continue doing what she does and he does, he does what he does. He has family and so forth. But there is a real grace and beauty that comes in later on in the story between his wife and Grassi. And that's another element of really not just grace, but honoring relationship in an open way, honoring relationship in a way of recognition and and true honesty with self that you, again, you don't see in modern relationships. You don't see in relationships very often at all. And that's exemplified even in this kind of complicated triangle that ends up occurring, right? Well, his wife, Euphemia, Mm -hmm. says, I didn't want to be in this arranged marriage either. Right. But out of respect for each other, they did have respect for each other and to some extent affection. But he told her at the very beginning of their marriage, I love someone else. Right. I will be respectful. We'll have children. But But my heart heart is is elsewhere. Yes. Yeah. And she understands that. Yeah. So after they've had their family and she realizes Grassi's circumstances, she decides that she's done what she needed to do. Right. And then wonderful things happen. We won't However, say what they are. Unwonderful things yeah. happen. And again, we have to remember that at this time period, um, Christians are not popular in Rome. They're entertainment in a bad way, mm-hmm. shall we say. And so Grassi gets caught up in all of this mm-hmm. and refuses to back down on her affection for the teachings of these followers of Yeshua in the day. Lucan um, has made an attempt with Marcus Aurelius right before he dies to to create some kind of decree to turn Rome back into a republic and this yes. something. And he's not successful. Commodus takes over. Commodus knows Lucan's role in this and punishes Grassi for being a Christian. Oh. Now, you didn't know about Commodus either. You no. didn't know Roman history. You hadn't studied Roman history. Oh. And that's what makes all this so shocking, really. I mean, it, makes, it shows that you're a very clear channel, I'll say that, because I start looking up everybody and, and the character <laughs> traits that were given in the book turn out that is the character of these people and what they were known as historically 
So you kind of nailed that character. Commodus was not a nice person. He did not have a positive effect on Rome and, and he did not have a kind reign. No. No, the Christians were taken to the Colosseum for public entertainment, you know, and killed. Yeah. Um, so that story, that, that was a difficult story for me to write parts of it because, because we want the lovers to be able to come together, right. you know. This isn't this isn't a classic historical you know romance right. the way we think of them. Right, it's um, not hard. It doesn't, uh, but <laughs> it is about how they come together in love. They still love each other. Mm-hmm. How and does that love survive? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. But but Grassi is very wounded by this whole experience. She um is imprisoned at the end and is going to be taken to the Colosseum. And he says to her, renounce your belief in Yeshua. And she says, I can't. I won't. I won't. Not, not, I won't walk away from that in order to save my life. I mean, she's very clear about that. It was so wounding for her that she doesn't come back for 1,500 years to be with him. Now, <clears throat> let me ask you a question. Did you get anywhere in there? Because you only get what you get. I know. So it's not like they're going to tell you everything in between. Did you get a sense that she had incarnated mm-hmm. during that 1,500 years, but she had not incarnated at a time where they would hook up together again? He gave up the opportunity to be with her during that 1,500 years, so she could reincarnate and work through the wounding. She did that because of her rootedness in Christianity, in in Yeshua, Mm -hmm. and then as it became Christianity. And as we've said, women have not had power over their own lives, really, ever. Um, In the days when she was reincarnating, women had two choices to um, either, if they didn't have money, to be essentially slaves in a household, if they did come from a wealthy family, to be in an arranged marriage. Or a convent. Or the other choice Mm -hmm. is a convent. Mm -hmm. She chose a convent because at least there was a sisterhood there, and they could, to some extent, even under the thumb of the patriarchy, they still had some freedoms. Mm -hmm. So she reincarnated as a nun, multiple lifetimes in order to heal and take her power back as a woman mm-hmm. after that difficult lifetime of slavery. Go ahead. And then. So then we come to book number four. Yeah. So now it's called Give in 1671. So we've let 1500 years pass. Now they're back. And in this time, again, you know, they're worlds apart. And Luke on his character continues to incarnate in positions that have some kind of stature to them throughout in each of the books. And this time he has stature again, but now we go to France. Okay. Provence, France. I love Provence. I know. I wrote this in Provence. Oh, did you? I was staying with a friend whose aunt and uncle have not one, but two villas in Provence. Two weeks. I wrote this book in two weeks and in Provence. Anyway, Luke um, has inherited a massive estate with a huge chateau and all kinds of small villages around it, people working the land. 
Um, he can't stand the gilt furniture. He deplores the decadence of everyone else in his, in his, uh, demographic group, if I can call it that. Yeah. Um, she is born, um, actually in Italy, in Venice. She's the daughter of, a, of a senator and his courtesan. She's taken immediately to a convent to be raised. He dies after six years. They can't afford to keep her. They send her to France to another convent where she is educated, has the opportunity to take her vows. Now, this is what's interesting because she could have taken her vows one more time as she had done in that 1500 years. But she knows on some level that she's ready to be out in the world. She doesn't know what will happen, but she's educated. She figures she could earn a living somehow. And at that point, the abbess says, well, I happen to know there might be an opening for a governess. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, a, a, a count has two sons. His wife has died. They need to be educated. Maybe there would be an opportunity for you there. And... Okay, there, there, so there we go. They come back together again. <laughs> <laughs> and this time in a different environment yes. with less resistance against them. But what was so beautiful and fascinating about that book was, again, his character and, as you say, right action. Yes. And being able to take something that, as you say, is just dripping mm. in decadence and turn it into something that's a benefit for all. Mm-hmm. So... They ultimately are able to marry in this book, right? So we don't, that's okay. Everyone knows that, that that's going to happen. And she has uh, been wonderful with his kids. Of course, they fall in love with her because she's so clever and creative and makes learning fun for them. But it's what happens with the other people surrounding their lives. Because in each of these lifetimes, one thing that happens is she does not bear children, not in any of these Mm -hmm. lifetimes. Mm -hmm. So we come back and they're trying. It's not working. But they have this trip to Paris. So let's talk about what happens then. They go to Paris and he's he's selling his wine, which is the at best. exorbitant prices. At exorbitant prices. It's the best wine in France. And he says, if all these wealthy people are willing to pay and a I premium can fund everything for my else. wine yeah. and I can fund what I want to do with my money, which is help others, great. I'll make the wine and sell it to them. He's doing that. And she goes to the, the, um, Ile Saint Louis, uh, for lunch. She's having her, having some soup and a little girl walks up with a scraggly stalk of lavender and asks if she wants to buy it. And she looks at her and asks if she'd like to have some soup and maybe some hot chocolate. Oh. And she learns that this girl is living on the street, that her mother has died. Oh. The girl doesn't know it, but she's died because she had to resort to prostitution just to feed feed them, and even that wasn't enough. Right. And the girl has a best friend whose mother is really taking care of them both, but she's also living on the street. Very horrible circumstances. But common for the day. But common. I mean, this is the this is what Luke abhorred yeah. about the times right with you know with the the hideous decadence and the hideous poverty existing side by side so she she takes the girl back to the the place where they're staying and lets her have a bath and a nap and um 
you know, and Luke arrives home and there's, there she is. Um, it, of course, he loves her immediately and thinks, well, you know, we can't send her back to the streets. So let's at least tomorrow morning go back with her so that the woman who's been taking care of her and the daughter yeah. will know that she's going with us mm-hmm. and she's going to be okay mm-hmm. because we don't want them to worry. Mm-hmm. And she agrees to go with them. Of course, what happens is all of them <laughs> go together and they go back. And it's the beginning of just a marvelous part of the story because um they are living out what Luke and, and, um, Graciela want, which is to create, if I can call it this, a democracy mm-hmm. in the middle of the, you know, France, which is anything but a democracy. Mm-hmm. Luke shares his profits with all the people who are working the land. He provides opportunities for the children to, to get educated and learn a trade. So that they can maybe rise above where they, you know, he where they funds um, a school. He funds a school. Mm-hmm. Um, it is he's got a he it, it, and he because he has so much land and he has considerable wealth. He's able to do basically whatever he chooses, mm-hmm. and he chooses something very different mm-hmm. from court life and right. from the aristocracy living mm-hmm. in France. Mm-hmm. It's so fulfilling to see how they come together with the exuberance and the abundance of their love. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) I have to say, and and it is, and how everyone that comes in contact with the two of them always benefits from their relationship with them on uh, a a multitude of levels. And I have to say, um, it's. I have a friend who is just kind of a, She's been through life and she's kind of seen it all and done it all. And she always says, yeah, I wish I could cry. I, I just can't even cry about anything. And uh, beautiful, beautiful heart, but just not a romantic. Let's just say that. She, so as I, I got each of your books at the very beginning, when you were first, first putting them out, about one at a time initially. And then I passed them to her to read. She was, oh, my God. And it turned out she read the series. She went and read the series again. She started sending the series to everyone and she said, I can't stop reading them. And I'm, I, I realized I am not going to settle for a relationship mm-hmm. unless it feels like that. I'm going to wait no matter how many incarnations until I find that kind of divine mm-hmm. compliment where we can live these kinds of lives of in- integrity because she's a woman of integrity. And so it's just, I was just blown away to watch how she her, was transformed on some level and restored in terms of her faith in love by reading these books, of course, like a lot of other people. I've heard something similar from a lot of readers yes. and they, they talk about how I'm no longer willing to settle. I'm no longer going to compromise to make a relationship work. I'm no longer going to turn my back on who I am. Right. All of this. All of this. And so for me, the story isn't about finding your twin flame. It's really about about being clear enough and and empowered enough in oneself to say, this is who I am. This is who I want to be in relationship. I want to show up in relationship in these ways. 
if someone can be in relationship with me, bringing his best, wonderful. If not, I can still be fully who I am. Right. Yeah. And that, that is the, the feeling that's coming up. And I think you're, what you just said is very important. It doesn't mean you have to wait for your twin flame or divine compliment. That could be a while, but it doesn't, it also does mean there are many people on a frequency range level where there are frequency matches for every person on this planet. If we don't just go for the convenient choice or what's laid before us or something that we don't even feel we have a choice in per se. If we, if we avoid that and we, like you say, make these conscious choices. So I'd like to ask one more question because we're getting close to the end of our time together on this. A lot of people say, is she writing about herself? Is this her? And uh, you, you have your own answer to that. But what, tell us that answer first. And secondly, what did this do for your life personally? Because this just flowed through you. You didn't even read them till after they were put into a transcript, actually. It's like, wow, what stories these are. So what did it do for you? These are not stories of my past lives. Um, they, I think that they, they come from a much higher frequency than that, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. You know, these, these are, these are stories for everyone. They're about all of us. They're about who we all have the capacity to be. And so they're stories that enable us to remember. We can affirm so much about the fullness of who we are. And so I, I like to think of the stories that way rather than trying to make some connection between what I wrote and what my past lives might be. But what they have done for me, and this is me being brutally honest. Okay, let's okay. hear it. <laughs> it. Ever since I wrote those, I integrated the the message, which was, yes, be all you can be and want to be. Be that kind of phenomenal woman. Go ahead. And if it means that you live your life by yourself, no problem. And for me, that's what it's meant. Yeah. And it's not that I push relationships away. I'm just really clear about who I am, what I value, how I want to live. And my life is so full. It's it so is. full of joy. <laughs> so creative. It's so, yes, I'm able to be so many, so many facets of who I want to be, I get to be in this lifetime. If someone can come in and be there with me and I can be there with him and we meet at the same level, in the same way, with the same love and the same frequency and the same joy and abundance and all of that, great. <laughs> if not, still great. <laughs> still great. And, and that's your life how is I'm living. Great. It is. I have to say, and you know, I had you on for my personal book club, right? And so other people in the book club now are forming book clubs. Yes. Of their own around these books because it's speaking so deeply to them. So I just want to say thank you for letting that flow through you. And also, um, you got a message not long ago to write yet another book about your own personal journey and experience and to how all this came about. Mm-hmm. So you're in the midst of that? It's done. It's done. I wrote, wrote it in two weeks. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> How'd it turn out? <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> do, do you, is, what's the title? Do you have a title or well, anything yet? Well, I have to apologize. Yeah. 
Okay. Because the original ti- the titles came from my neighbor across the street who was brilliant at all of this. <laughs> the original title was Gates to Defen- to Divinity, mm-hmm. Gates to Divinity. A play on words. <laughs> and then he read it and he said, I have a different title for you. And I said, what? And he said, Open Gates. But then I thought of open minds. Well, and Regina, (laughs) I truthfully, it came from him, not me. So I hope that's okay with you. Oh, gosh, absolutely. It's called Open Gates. I love it. The book is done. It is writing. It was a combination of remembering and channeling. Mm -hmm. And I have one last thing to tell you. My fingers flew across the keyboard. I typed it into the computer. Oh my God. I know. You I got can't rid of the believe paper it. And pencil. <laughs> Good on you, girl. <laughs> okay. So thank you so much for joining us. And uh, I'm looking forward to reading Open Gates very much. And uh, I just want to thank you for the, the light and life that you've given to so many people who've read these books. I just, I have such appreciation for just the cleanliness and clarity and, and beauty of these books. Thank you. Well, and thank you, because the appreciation goes both ways. You, you know, you have provided an opportunity for so many to share their love and joy and wisdom. And um, you've made a huge difference. Thank, thank you. you. Mutual Admiration Society. Gates books can be found on Amazon. And again, the titles are One Beyond Time. That's book one. Second book is Love. Third book is Hope. And the fourth is Give. The language sparkles like diamonds and the pages are filled with grace, truly uplifting to the spirit. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on Open Minds. Wow, that was wonderful, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that. And we have another one that's 45 minutes here. It's called The Power of Energy Healing. And... It is, this is with George Nury, everybody, and Candace Silvers. It is possible to experience profound healing through energy work. Is it possible? Yes. Candace Silvers, healer and founder of the Silvers Healing Academy, shares stories and demonstrations from sessions with her clients. Silvers describes how her years of practice as an energy healer allow her to facilitate profound healing in the energetic and physical body and can even help to heal relationships as the whole energetic self is healed. And so it is. Mm. And so here we go, 45 minutes. There's some individual that was sick and you touch them and all of a sudden they're okay? Yes. They had cut out the piece in his heart and replaced it with a pacemaker. And after four or five sessions with him, all of his blood work came back normal. All the lesions were gone. Were in shock? When I touch you, if you have any kind of a block or a disease, you'll feel a shock. I can either teach this all to you intellectually and you can understand every bit of it. And at the end of six weeks, you will not be able to heal. Or you can allow me a few moments of 
confusion and nonsense while I take you beyond your senses. Are you the first call or the last call? For some people, I'm the first call. For most, I'm the last call. Well, welcome to Beyond Belief. Candace Silver's with us, a healer who has studied with teachers and healers from all over the planet. She's the founder of the Silver's Healing Academy. Candace, based in Austin, Texas, right? I am now, yes. Have you seen the bats under the bridge yet? I haven't, but I've heard great, really fun things about it. It is amazing. I had an event in Austin uh, several years ago, and uh, we toured that bats under the bridge and it's almost like a vampire movie they're <laughs> everywhere everywhere but it's good to have you with us it's fun to be here thanks for having how me. did you get involved in this kind of mystical healing i can't say i got involved with it i'd have to more say it got involved with it me. found you i was born with the ability to heal people and it scared me until I got a sense of what it was because I would touch people and they would tell me that they felt better or certain ailments went away. And only until the coincidences became familiar enough to understand I did have something to do with it. Did I, was I willing to look? And then I began to travel all over the world studying with different masters and healers in Marrakesh and Kenya and uh, Thailand and Indonesia and India and Tulum everywhere and, and meeting with Maasai warriors and, and, wow. and starting to see the similarities in this kind of tap beyond the veil multidimensional capacity that what I started to notice is our, our kind of cultural world, first, first world kind of theories and themes pushed it out, wouldn't look at it, weren't, weren't interested in the opportunity. So I began to become really interested in sharing it with people. Now, how did it first happen for you, though, when this ability came to you? What did you do? Was there some individual that was sick and you touched them and all of a sudden they're okay? Yes. Um, but as I said, that was it was frightening for me because I, I thought they were playing with me or kidding or um, you know, well, I didn't do that. I didn't do well, it. Well, and what possessed you to even try something on? I was born with this deep desire to see what else there was. And I've spent my life, I've been a human behavioral specialist for the last 31 years. I do retreats all over the world. I now have my academy where we train. I'm in 19 countries now and 34 states in America and I think five providences in Canada. Um, We've trained doctors all over the world. and, and, And the interest, the intrigue is how... How people won't look and they're not interested until they have a direct experience. And the minute that they physiologically feel it and are inspired by, wait, what was that? Now I have their attention. So yeah, I meet a lot of people because they have cancer or because they have arthritis or because their back is out or they're having their knee replaced. But they then bring their family members and friends and then they come to find out more. My interest in the academy is more, the first level of my academy is just to get people to become multidimensional because our world is very right, wrong, here, there, now that, you know, up, down. It really doesn't have an adjustment for beyond what I know. That, that kind of statement inspires people, but then scares them as they move toward it. My job is to get them to see what's possible beyond what they know. I say if you touch a wall and it starts to move, 
Keep pushing. Keep pushing. See, <laughs> see where it goes. Well, when the person who is being healed is having this application done to them, mm-hmm. must they be a believer? Must they understand it? No. Not at all. I also do remote healings. I'm hired to do remote healings all over the world. Um, someone can push it out. I mean, what if you were going to heal me and I said, ah, Candace, it's not going to work. Well, that's the fun. Is it going to work? I have developed many different technologies over the years. And one of the greatest facets for me is the ability to, when I work on you, you feel heat or tingling or pressure. You can feel cold air. You feel things moving around in you. So you and I are having a direct experience together. Right. My hands feel what your body is feeling. And I can say, I'm working in your your belly or I'm going in your head and I'm going to go down into your heart or your lungs. And when I'm doing that, you're experiencing it with me. So it's not hocus pocus or intellectual. It's an actual direct experience that's being had. Do you deal with chakras at all? I do. I do chakra balancing. How many chakras do we have in our bodies? Oh, there are multitudes of different levels and layers of chakras if you're going into the causal body. But the seven main chakras that hold us together, I can balance all of them. And then you sleep better and eat better and feel better and think less. Well, speaking of balancing chakras, in Gaia's television series, Microdose, they talk about balance. Very good perspective. It is said by experts that out-of-balance chakras can manifest as physical illnesses or emotional imbalances when we are not in alignment with our life experiences. The chakras are not able to roll and that stuck the chakras and it becomes an illness, sick. So every process that we think is something bad that is happening to, to us is not because someone is sending that to us, it's because we are stuck in the process of not understanding why we choose this experience. So how do you balance a chakra once its energy has gotten blocked, stagnant, or too open? Well, there are many ways to correct these imbalances, including meditating on the out-of-balance chakra, eating foods that are of the same color or vibration, using tuning forks or other instruments that hold the same frequency of the chakra, working on stuck emotions in the area of the chakra, doing certain yoga, tai chi, or qigong practices that stimulate the energy of the chakra, using herbs or essential oils, getting a reflexology, acupuncture, or Reiki session, and more. There are also numerous studies that show the efficacy of energy healing practices related to the chakras. In one early 1980s study, Therapeutic Touch, an energy healing technique where the practitioner places their hands on or near the patient to balance the chakras, was put to the test. Dr. John Zimmerman used a superconducting quantum interference device at the University of Colorado School of Medicine in Denver and discovered that a huge pulsating biomagnetic field emanated from the hands of a therapeutic touch practitioner. The biomagnetic pulsations from the hands swept back and forth through the full range of therapeutic frequencies, thus being able to stimulate healing in any part of the body. What are you tapping into, Candace, to develop this kind of energy healing? I'm going beyond our intellectual, conceptual mind where, think of a two-year-old baby. They're completely involved in everything we're involved in, but they don't know anything yet. So they actually have more access than we, we do. The more we understand, the less access we have. We're 
it's a derivative of the mind repeating and recognizing, recognizing, not cognizing, connecting to, but seeing what it knows to see. When you can go beyond what you know, you can tap in. And I have a six-week course, for instance, and in that six-week course, I teach people how to go beyond their minds, how to tap into something. Sure. Kundalini, create fire and heat in the body, bring it through their hands, and be able to heal people. So within six weeks, you can put your hands on a camera or on another human being and be in another place at the same time because I'm in me, I'm in you, and I'm extrapolating. So what are we tapped into? Well, when the intellect needs to know what we're tapped into, it's still in the intellect. When you're willing to lay down the mind and pick up the heart and have an activity occur that your mind can't capitulate, you've gone beyond your mind because the direct experience of the feeling and the emotion and the the heat and the connection and the occurrence with the person you're working on communicating that they're feeling it and experiencing it, you know you've gone beyond yourself. Where have we gone? I can't answer that. Do you ever feel exhausted after an event? It's exactly the opposite. It brings you energy. It My energizes. healers experience so See, much. See, Casey energy. used to have the opposite effect on him. It ended up killing him. He did too many trances and readings for people. But for you, you get energized. Absolutely. It's a, in the beginning, when my healers are in training, it takes a lot of practice in your consciousness to lay your mind down. So doing a 15-minute healing requires a lot of concentration. But after a while, you get used to it. And you're actually, while you're working on someone else, not in yourself. So you actually get to go free for that period of time. You're not worried about yourself. You're not thinking about yourself. Yourself isn't there. You're connected to another, creating healing, love, joy, light in another. You're actually growing yourself. Remember the movie Green Mile? Did you see that? I did. John Coffey, who was a healer in prison, would touch people who were sick. But right at the end of it, whatever ailment they had, these horrible, wretched flies would come flying out and he would suck them into his body. He would literally take the cancer mm. out of somebody and it would go within himself. Does that happen to you? No, it's not organized through my consciousness that way. I believe that if you have a dis-ease, it's something neurological going on pathologically from a historical point of view in you okay. that got out of order. When you ignored it and because you didn't understand it and there was no cultural manifestation of a tool to help you reorganize it, it gets caught in the body. It doesn't get caught in the body because you're a bad person. It gets caught in the body because we live in life school and we're here on this planet to learn about ourselves, through ourselves, with ourselves. So when someone comes to me with a dis-ease, whether it's cancer or a bad back, it's my job to find it dislocate it so then it just goes back into the ethers from whence it came it doesn't attach to something else that's not interested in it all right i want to see what you do and we've got a video of you with one of your clients lisa dealing with uh what she had uh i think chronic breast cancer and breast surgery. cancer she had surgery mm -hmm. so let's look at that session and with her authority of course and yours let's take a look absolutely just check your movements. You know, be there when they took me to the Yeah. There's an index. Mm -hmm. It's just like an adhesion. Like when I'm a doctor who touches that, mm -hmm. all that. 
I'm not even going to heal it from this side, but if there's another piece, we'll get it now. Yes? Well, yeah. She's doing uh, a hands over work. Let me touch you ever so gently, just to see. Okay. Well, that's all fine. Okay, go ahead and check it now. Go on. Oh, don't cry. <laughs> How long is that hole been there? Okay, don't talk. <laughs> You almost didn't come for surgery. And every year I go and they hit it. I just shoot off the Amen. Sister Brother. <laughs> Can you imagine if this were just normal in our world? That was an amazing healing you just did on Lisa. Well, how long ago was that? Last June, 21, yes. And when she came to you, how bad was she? Well, she, I think, I believe she had been cancer free for seven years, but from the surgery, she was left in terrible pain. And it took me, as you saw, about 20 seconds to take that pain away. That was your goal, to eradicate the pain that she was suffering. No, no, no. It takes me about 15 minutes to do a full body healing. Um, so very often they'll have pain in their lower back or their neck, but it's caused by another place in the body. So very often when I'm doing a full body healing, I'm working on about 80 different points. And we'll find blocks, let's say, in the ankle that is causing the back of the neck to hurt. So when I got to her breast, that's just one of the points. That's where we found it. I didn't know she had 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 cancer surgery seven years earlier until we found she that. looked scared when you were touching <laughs> because she's had bad times with other doctors well also when i touch you if you have any kind of a block or a disease or a dis-ease you'll feel a shock You're coming out it. of me that's right and so it shocks the body then i do the healing and then i touch it again and it's cleared so not only is the pain gone there's no shock anymore well now through the great technology of gaia and zoom we're going to Iowa to talk to Lisa. Yes. Lisa, how are you? And congratulations. We're so glad things are better for you. Thank you for having me. It's truly an honor. On a, on a one to ten, before you saw Candace, with ten being the worst, how did you feel before you saw her? It was a pain. I did not feel it like just in the normal you know, day-to-day -day activities. It was something that if you hit it just right or you palpated it, like my cat would do, my cat would always jump on me and knead on me, it would send me into orbit. So um, would you say your pain level was an eight? <laughs> Nine approaching 10. If All it was right. Hit correctly. And after yeah. the healing with Canvas, that level dropped to what? 
Well, it was gone. It's gone. gone. Zero. No pain. Zero. And, you know, after the healing, I just kept feeling it. There was both the scar from the incision and then into my arm where they took a sentinel node was another area where it kind of would go in. And I always thought, well, maybe they just, you know, it was an adhesion. And when Candace did the healing, I remember feeling the most subtle but beautiful warmth. And Candace, I don't know if you remember, I said, did you touch me? And I opened my eyes and she was like, no, I didn't touch you. Because what I felt was a pop. And the only way I can describe it is if you had like a, an air bubble inside you and it was popped. Pop. Pop. And that's what I felt. So when, you know, she went to palpate it again after the healing and I was so hesitant, I was in awe. I just kept pushing and like you saw in the video, it's gone and I still check it all the time. And it seems like you and Candace both got pretty emotional after the oh. fact. What what made you go to her in the first place? Well, I'm a student of hers. I okay. took the Silver's Healing a couple of years ago. So I was joining her and several others on a retreat out in Montana and Part of that retreat is she offers a healing to everybody in attendance. So it was my turn. And as a student, um, I knew all the places she was going to hit. And believe me, I was already anticipating when she came to the breast. I thought my star is exactly where she's going to push. And she did. (laughs) And now you feel 100% better. I do. And it's funny when my cat still jumps up, I still kind of cover myself because I'm conditioned to having it hurt. And there's no pain anymore. And you were cancer free? I've been cancer free for eight years now. Good for you. That's got to be a relief, huh? It's a great relief. And I understand your husband is a doctor. He is. How does he feel about this? You know, he's from Malaysia. And we've had some really good discussions about it. And his, you know, he says in Malaysia, um, there's a lot of healers to know which ones are authentic is hard. But he says, does it really matter? Does it really matter what it is if the person feels better? What advice, Lisa, would you give to people who might be on the fence? about energy healing, healing that Candace does, what would you tell them? Like, what do you have to lose? <laughs> um, you know, g- give it a try. Um, what what I found fascinating, and when I do healings on people, I love the magic of it. And that's what Candace does a lot. She said, you know, do you want to watch the magic? I think part of the awe is seeing other people watching them get a healing and seeing their expressions when the pain goes away. It's pretty incredible. Do you think her abilities are God-given? Absolutely. I think all of us who are called to healing, I think we all have that ability in us. The thing is, we just don't believe it yet. Mm -hmm. 
Candace, what do you have to say to Lisa? I'm just so honored. Isn't she lovely? She's so beautiful. That's what I was talking about earlier. You get involved with your clients. You, it's not just this thing you do and leave. You, you want to hear a couple days later how they're still doing and six months later and a year later. And it's really beautiful to watch someone for all those years in that kind of pain, not be in pain anymore. It's fantastic. And Lisa, you have set up a not for profit. Tell us about that. I did. Um, well, in 2012, I started a nonprofit called My Happy Place. And My Happy Place <laughs> does bedroom makeovers for sick kids. Mm. And then I think after my brush with cancer and I lost both my parents to cancer, that it was the catalyst to start a sister organization called My Happy Haven. And My Happy Haven does bedroom makeovers for women with cancer. How do people and find the foundation? How do they how do they find it? www.myhappyplaces.org. Good for and you. we've um, modeled what we've done so we can um, start affiliates in other areas. And we are now nine affiliates in six different states. So we want to keep growing. Stay cancer free and stay pain free, huh? Thank you. That's that's my goal. Thank you, Lisa. <laughs> Truly remarkable. You take care of yourself. How many success stories like this do you have? Thousands. Candace, what would happen to this planet if we had a million Candace Silvers all over the place? That's my commitment. That is my commitment. I believe we have, we should have a healer in every home Mm -hmm. or hut or bungalow or street corner. I believe that Anyone can heal. I've trained hundreds and hundreds of people, doctors, housewives, um, veterinarians, uh, yoga teachers, all these Reiki masters come to me to learn this. And it's beautiful to watch that in six weeks, they're multidimensional and they know they are and they can do it and their minds melt and they get so excited and they touch everyone they know. And you know that Coke song, I want to teach the world to sing. I want to teach the world to heal. It would be a wonderful thing instead of coming together, we begun to come together and we come to find out that there's more than we thought. Why is it just because we haven't learned yet that it doesn't exist? How does it work? The healing. Yes. Well, people come to take my academy and the first thing I do in week one is I tell them they're not going to learn anything intellectually (laughs) and they all get disgruntled and upset because And I say, I can either teach this all to you intellectually and you can understand every bit of it. And at the end of six weeks, you will not be able to heal. Or you can allow me a few moments of confusion and nonsense while I take you beyond your senses. And I'm going to teach you a particular chant and some physiological movements that are going to bring heat through you. And once you can do this, then your mind catches up later. The intellect will catch up, but always later. And our job is to be in the light of the comet, not the tail. You know, we we see the tail of a comet as, you know, a a T-A-I-L. But I see the tail of a comet as a T-A-L-E. It's a story we agree to. And we're stuck in that story. And that story is having us follow what is, instead of being in the light itself, which is, unimaginable and nonsensical and out of the ordinary because we've never been there yet. 
-hmm. and they learn how to do it. And then they become enamored with the fact that they can. And every single time you heal someone, your mind melts a little bit more. Do you feel the jolt when you're touching somebody? I don't feel the jolt. They do. They do. Mm -hmm. You don't just feel it come back (laughs) to anything. My hands are far more uh, intellectual and brilliant than my mind. My hands feel everything that's going on in your body. And my hands, I can do surgeries on you. I can uh, balance your chakras. I can rearrange things inside of you. I can... You know, when, during COVID, I had to figure out immediately a new technology because I had only done healings either remotely or in person. And everyone else is running into their houses to protect themselves. I'm trying to figure out how to get into the hospitals to help the doctors, the nurses, and, and the patients. Would they accept you or would they say, they, it, no, no, no. It doesn't work going through a hospital. But people called me from all over the world because I am. I have clients all over the world and said, you know, a family member's in the hospital with COVID and they're dying. And I would say, get a nurse to get the phone into the hospital room. Right. And the COVID nurse would take the phone in. And I would do the healing while they were in the hospital bed. And they were coming off the machines and coming out of the hospitals and coming home healthy. And then I began to have people call me from all over the world that had COVID and they were at home very ill, but not in the hospital. And they had a lot of different difficulties from the virus. We were able to give them their smell back and their taste back and, you know, get their brain fog gone. And, you know, it's just amazing to watch someone who hasn't walked in five years stand up and walk or someone, just anything. Just help someone figure out what they need and give it to them. Are you the first call or the last call? For some people, I'm the first call because they know me. For most, I'm the last call. And they've you know, exhausted I, everything. I think God calls it growing pains because we don't call it growing joy because it's painful to go beyond what we know. But it is a knock on the door. It is a calling to an investigation that's beyond what you would have agreed to spend your time on should, you know, everything be going well. And so people learn that things exist when they find out that the culture that they live in doesn't have the prototype they're looking for. They don't just give up. They go looking beyond what they've been taught. How satisfying is this for you when you see people like Lisa that you've worked on? I don't have words. I just have desire to do more. I don't have words to say that I meet someone I've never met before and I'm working on them and their pain goes away and they feel better. And the hug that we give each and other. And you must feel better about it. Every I time. could tell. I could tell on the video that uh, it has changed you, hasn't it? I don't know if it's changed me, but it's consistently changing me. It is not something that you get used to or you expect. Some people heal right away and some people it takes several healings. I was doing healings yesterday in Austin, Texas, and there were there was a woman who had had Lyme's disease for 21 years and more problems from it than I could count and on so many different medications. And I did this healing on her. Um, her healing was 50 minutes, not 15. What The more ailments they have, they'll just come for a longer time. Sure. And at the end, she got off the table and it was unbelievable watching her experience. She hadn't felt her feet in 21 years. She hadn't felt the ground. She hadn't felt no pain. And my watching her have that experience 
I don't know that there's a house or a car or an experience that you could have or get or ascertain that's better than that. You have talked, Candace, about teaching people, about training people. Deborah King has studied several of these modalities of healing. She was talking with our Lisa Gar on Gaia's Inspiration Show about the push to teach. So you you met you saw her and you started a journey on hands-on healing. I did, and that was a lengthy uh, program. It was um, four years long, and um, I ended up staying and teaching actually in that school for another half a dozen years or so. I also followed um, ministers and priests and rabbis around for a while and did my thesis on what kind of energy, if any, they were working with when they did healings. They all in in all of these religions, they do some sort of you know very quiet, usually over in the side chapel. Yeah, they do some kind of healing work. So these are things that you studied, that you researched, mm-hmm. that you spent time with. You weren't born with the gift and it didn't come from the knock on the head. I, know of, no. <laughs> I love that. I love the practicality mm-hmm. because it shows people that every single person can do this. Now, absolutely. It might not take 15 years. It might. It depends on what your journey is, what your path is. What Someone else might take five minutes. Mm-hmm. Really? So every single one of us is actually a natural born healer. We have all of this information deeply embedded in our cellular memory and we just misplaced it slightly. You know, mm-hmm. culturally, we're under a lot of pressure these days. And so we forget we have these talents. How long does it take, Candace, to train somebody, to teach them? Six weeks. That's I, not bad. I have seven different levels, and you can continue to study with me. Um, I just did a level three in Palm Springs last month. Um, that's where I'm teaching them to use their mind as a steering wheel. They're no longer thought thinkers. They're now causers. So right. there are different levels of intention that you can learn. But but the first level in six weeks, you learn to become multidimensional, put your hands on someone and heal them. And it's it's profound. Have you had students that you just simply say to yourself, whoa, are they learning? All of them. I mean, Lisa was one that came that <laughs> she's our poster child for disbelief. She could not believe that she was going to do it. By week three, they can all feel heat in their hands. Yeah. And she couldn't. Her mind was in the way. She was And she was so sure that she was going to be the one that couldn't. And it's just, I get giddy because I know that they will learn and I know that it will come. It's just their minds haven't melted yet. They're still encapsulated into a box of understanding instead of standing under. By week four, she began to feel the heat. By week six, she was initiated by me. The minute you're initiated, I put my energy into you. You then can feel the energy in you and gift it away to another. She then could do the healing and watching her cry and watching her mind melt and watching her go, how is this possible? We have a global healing event once a month. We've been doing it years and years now. Keep it up. Don't stop. It, it is unbelievable. We have people from countries all over the world and they come on it's a it's it doesn't cost anything it's on zoom you can come on from anywhere and you know I'll say to someone how did you hear about us and she'll say well I'm in Brazil but my friend in South Africa told me and then we have a lot of people that we had one guy come on from a hospital in North Korea uh, I'm sorry South Korea and he was it uh, should be North Korea <laughs> one day one day maybe one day I believe that instead of fighting 
insurance, in fighting medical, in fighting people to understand inclusion causes them to come together. And I believe that the more you offer this, the more people come, the more it becomes a normal thing instead of an abnormal thing. The less people are afraid of it, the more involved they become. I don't know that while I'm still on this planet, the world will heal, but the world is healing now. And that's what's important. Jesus was a healer. He was. Are you using some of the same techniques and practices that he had? I didn't meet him. I can't tell you that. But I know that what I teach is Jesus is G's. It's us. If we follow the principles, why wouldn't we have what he had? Not to say we are him. I'm not you. You are not me. But when we say it's not out there, but instead it's in here. What has been for you the most frustrating aspect of what you do? It's very frustrating when people don't believe. People that believe are very quiet. People now, that are these the recipients or people on the outside very looking loud. Out? I don't care. They come from everywhere, um, especially on social media. You know, they oh, like they like to don't hide. Don't even worry about things. social media. <laughs> But it's okay with me because I know that there's an, an interim space. When We're all watch, haters. Well, that's okay. Hurt people hurt people. They're letting you know they're hurting. You have room for that. There's a bridge in between what I know and what I will know. And the people that I meet are on the bridge. They've left. This is right, wrong. And they're in investigation. And when they don't understand or they don't believe, like I said, I get giddy because I know that I'm just crossing them across that bridge. It's no different than the bridge of your nose. You're going from your mind to your heart. I teach all of my clients, you want to keep your head down, your intellect, your heart up, so that it's your heart that's guiding, not your own direct personal historical knowledge, so that you can be an experiencer on this planet. Instead of a repeater and an an angry person who says, I don't know that, I don't understand that, that's wrong, therefore it's outside of my scope, therefore it doesn't work. I truly am only interested in what I don't know. It calls me. I want to see it. I want to experience it. I want to try it. I've just started working with um, crystals. and it's, They've got incredible medicinal powers. But I, I can blow a crystal on you. I can put my hands up to your camera right now and, and heal the audience. I When I put my hands up to you, you feel it. You don't have to be close and you don't have to be in the same room. So I can blow crystals, whether we're in person here in the studio together or we're on Zoom. And I have six or eight different crystals next to me that particular day. And I'll blow different crystals and they'll have different properties and I can open different parts of disease inside of Interesting. you. You've heard the name Uri Geller. I have. Uri Geller is a mentalist and uh, he's uh, is a great Israeli. He was on the Johnny Carson show. They tried to trick him and things like that. <laughs> but he was on my radio show several years ago and he has these strange powers about him. And he told everybody listening on the radio, bring your dead watches and clocks, hold it to the radio and listen to me. And so he did. And then he would go work, work, (laughs) work. All of a sudden, Candace, I'm getting emails from people all over the planet going, my watch that hasn't worked in 10 years is working. That's right. My clock is working. Now let's jump ahead. Every once in a while, we'll rerun a program on the weekends in a special segment called The Best Of. We ran an Uri Geller show where he did this experiment. This is years later. 
I open up my emails and I've got all these emails from people saying my clock's working. <laughs> and I'm going, what was this for? Well, it dawned on me. We reran that program. Mm-hmm. He had the ability to fix this even on tape. Well, how, does, how does this happen? Well, it does happen. You can uh, watch one of my live healings. I, I'm on Instagram and Facebook every week when I do live healings. And you can watch them now, and they're still healing you. And if I'm healing you and there's 20 people in the room, miraculous. everyone in the room is having the healing. Everyone in the room feels it. Everyone goes through it. Some people, their mind is in the way. So they'll say, I don't feel it, and I don't get it. And I say, that's okay, because it's still working. The sun doesn't need you to believe in it for the sun to shine. Have you tried this on children who really on, don't understand what's going on at all? I work on animals. I work on children. So I works. work on babies with cancer, and they go NED. Yes. That's fantastic. Yeah. What has been the most heartening thing you've done? We saw one, of course, just on video. You know, I I, I can't. There, I, Every human being, every human body is its own miraculous state. And when you work with someone, whether it's a baby or in vitro or an older person or help someone pass into the next dimension, it's miraculous. When I do um, it is. Um, out-of-body work on people, it, there, there just isn't any point where it's rote or it's a job or it's, you know, when is my day going to be over? You're dealing with a human being who's blocked or clogged and in pain somehow. And you're watching them. I mean, I've worked on a woman who had had a miscarriage. And while I was healing her, she started crying blood. I worked on people. I I mean, there's just so many. It's miraculous and it's every time and it's miraculous every time. And there's never a time where you say, oh, yeah, that happens all the time. The late astronaut Edgar Mitchell put together the Institute of Noetic Sciences. He wanted to study all of this, and he did a miraculous job doing it. Gaia News reported on a new scientific study of energetic healing. Energy medicine has always been relegated to the realm of pseudoscience by the mainstream scientific community. Recently, however, the Institute of Noetic Sciences, or IONS, has sought to change that by conducting a pilot study investigating the effects of energy medicine treatments on pain reduction. Dr. Garrett Yant is a scientist at the Institute, which is focused on applying scientific methods to studying consciousness and reality. He was the lead author of the study and had this to say about what motivated it. The motivation for the study comes from the fact that a lot of people experience benefit from energy medicine modalities, but we don't really understand why or how exactly. Given the range of different healing modalities, the treatment experience varied with each practitioner. For the intent of this study, researchers chose not to differentiate between the modalities rather assessing them all as one. So the range of types of treatment, mostly no touch. There were a few of the practitioners that did apply light touch. Most of them were silent. Some of the practitioners did vocalize. Numerous outcome measures were taken before, during, and after each session. The results were promising. So the main outcome of this study was that pain reduction was achieved. So these folks did experience relief from their pain. It's amazing what science is beginning to do. What you've learned and have done all your life. 
science is just catching up to you. Well, that's why I decided to start the academy. It was time that people stopped seeing me as an anomaly or, you know, well, she's the one that can do it. I or wanted a miracle to teach. worker. Well, we're all miracle workers. A mother giving birth to a child that's is a miracle, a miracle. worker. Oh, it's a absolutely. miracle. Do you we're, come across many skeptics? Tons, all the time, yes. Do you try to change their mind? I am not interested in changing a mind. I'm interested in melting a mind. Has a skeptic come to you and you heal them? Of course, all the time. And they walk away? I was working on a gentleman, Ed. He's probably 45 years old, and I worked on him every single day for five days. I worked on him. I was so inspired. That's intense. It was one hour, but I worked for two hours some of the days. He came to me uh, with cerebral palsy, and he was, you know, completely... uh, uh, Probably born with it, right? Born with it. Couldn't... Or or, or, uh, I believe he thought it happened in the birth canal, but that's... that's Well, some people believe that. That um, he was absolutely crippled and and in a you know the the state that um, that puts you in and could not speak and his mother and father came with him he was forty five but he you know and um, the father was an unbelievable skeptic and it's all live on on my Facebook site you yeah. can go back and watch it I think two or three years was ago was he a rude skeptic hmm? was he a rude skeptic a quiet skeptic. Quiet. And by the end of the five days, he saw his son laying out flat on the table. All of his muscles were stretched out normally. His hips were back in place. I put, um, I opened up his brain and put in an electrical socket so that it could feed the back of the brainstem into the spine, into the uh, solar plexus, down into the hips and through the feet so that his body could talk to his mind and his mind to his body. And you see all of that work? Each day that you come back and see me working on him and from day one, what he was like, and then day five. And it's really astounding to get to be part of that. And the father gave me a huge hug. Huh. You made him a believer. No, no, I don't care about, look, I believe to believe you be and live, be, leave, you be and live. What you believe, you be and live. And I'm not interested in changing your mind. I think that's why we have war. I'm interested in offering an opportunity that allows an investigation that allows someone to step across the bridge of their nose from their two eyes into their third eye where intuition prevails. And that's where true healing resides. How do people find you, Candace? Uh, CandaceSilvers.com. Simple enough. Candace Silvers on Instagram. Candace Silvers on Facebook. Um through Gaia, you know, my shows on Gaia have brought us so many beautiful clients all over the world. It's been really a a wonderful journey to meet a group of people like you, where we have such a connective experience of what's possible and want to feed the world. Do you supplement a lot and things like that? I'm, I'm wondering what you do to create this energy field around you. I think if you send kindness out, kindness comes back. I think when anger meets kindness, anger dissolves or it goes away and it looks for its own kind. I think you're right. I think you're right. And not a lot of people use that technique on this planet. We should. I believe if you take the figure eight and lay it down on its side and you make it like those liquid Drano commercials from the 80s where they're see-through. And people come to me in my private practice as a human behavioral expert, and they'll say, you know, my husband hates me, or my daughter left me, or my best friend thinks I lied. And I teach them how to send out love. And they'll come back and for their next session and say, well, it didn't work. They were still angry. I said, well, the clock is still there. 
just keep sending out love. And as the clog moves through, love will eventually come back. And they say, well, it's too painful. I'm nice and they're mean. I say, well, it's their lips that are moving. They're the ones that are letting you know they're hurt. They may be using your name, but they're the ones speaking. Therefore, anything they say is giving you their consciousness. You just keep sending out yours, and eventually they will feel it. The clog in between the two of you will disperse, and love will come back. And I have had the great, incredible gift of sitting in that chair for 30-some-odd years helping people where it always works. Well, keep doing it. Yes. yes. Candace, thanks for being on Beyond Belief. Absolutely a pleasure. The power of energy healing. She's got it because I can feel it glowing from her. Mm -hmm. And you can, too. Thanks for watching Beyond Belief. Mm -hmm. Okay, here's the next one. This one's called the Vesica and the Tree of Life. (laughs) Yes, sir. I'll read this so everybody can get a glimpse. Again, this is by... uh, uh, Robert J. Gilbert, Secret Geometry, Spiritual Science with Robert J. Gilbert. Mm-hmm. What are the best ways to interact with different spiritual beings and influences we encounter on our spiritual paths? Founder mm-hmm. of the Vesica Institute, Robert J. Gilbert, Ph.D., distills mm-hmm. ancient Egypt, Egyptian temple science with practical methods of, for enhancing our energy bodies, and connecting with non-physical beings. Explore sacred patterns with Dr. Gilbert to learn the secret of creating mm-hmm. a portal to the divine by utilizing the Vesaka and Tree of Life symbols. And this is 34 minutes, and here we go. Okay, get there. Oh. Yes. Taking a bit. Um, okay. We had Robert J. Gilbert recommended uh, from another earlier show. Um, there we go. Okay, here we go. I'm Dr. Robert J. Gilbert, your host for this series. In this episode, we're going to explore one of the most important patterns in sacred geometry. This pattern holds the secret of creating a portal to the divine through balancing opposite polarities. It also holds the key to one of the most misunderstood topics in all of spiritual science, how to identify the different types of spiritual beings and influences which we will all encounter on the spiritual path. This pattern will lead us into hidden aspects of the Tree of Life, where we will see that it has deep roots in the ancient Egyptian temple science. 
You will then learn how to activate in your energy field a key part of the grid of life design, or gold, which can transform your life and your spiritual destiny. So what is this sacred geometry pattern I've been referring to? It is the form known classically as the Vesica Piscus, and today is better known as the Vesica Pisces. It is called the Vesica Pisces because it is the origin of the fish symbol of Christianity, which is called the Ichthus, with Pisces being the sign of the fish in the zodiac. Christianity developed as a major religion during the age of Pisces, when the sun rises on the vernal equinox, the first day of spring, in front of the constellation Pisces. In previous episodes, we explored how the circle and the sphere are the primordial, perfect forms for containing new life. The egg in a human mother's womb is a sphere which, upon fertilization, becomes the primordial container of the new living human being, coming from spirit into the physical world. Within embryology are keys to many secrets of creation. When fertilized, the egg will divide into two. This is the recreation with every living being of the original primordial movement from the unified field of the divine into the manifested world through polarity and duality. The movement from divine unity into physical manifestation through duality is one key part of the pact thought form in the mind of God, which manifests as the Vesica Pisces. There's a very important spiritual reason for this movement from unity to duality and polarity. That is, that duality creates movement, such as the attraction and repulsion between polarities and magnets, or the flow of electrons in electrical systems. Only through the reunion of opposite polarities does new life come into the world. Another important divine thought form behind the Vesica Pisces is that it is a spiritual portal. The almond-shaped Vesica Pisces portal is formed whenever there is a perfect connection between two circles or spheres holding opposite complementary energies between yin and yang, hot and cold, masculine and feminine, light and dark. The perfect divine union of the two occurs when the outer physical boundary of each circle connects to the divine center of its complementary circle. Then between these two centers, the almond-shaped vesica portal appears. This is the portal between the worlds. This opening up of a spiritual portal to higher energies is not simply an abstract philosophy. It's linked to modern science and ongoing new energy research. These magnetic and electrical polarity movements of energy are the foundation of all of our modern technology. We even see the vesica oval form being created in magnetic field lines. Note that this vesica form in the field lines only appears when two opposite polarities are adjacent and attracting, not when two similar polarities are adjacent and repelling. Modern cutting-edge research into scalar energies indicates that it is possible to generate more energy in a physical system than is contained originally in the physical components through creating a gating effect 
which brings in energy from somewhere outside of our three-dimensional system. One of the ways which has been found to create these unusual energy-gating effects is to buck two opposing electrical currents together, creating an opening to higher-dimensional scalar energy. This is seen in scalar and zero-point technology circuit designs. The interaction of these two energy fields when they come together into a center is postulated to open up a hyperspace portal beyond the three-dimensional world. This concept is directly related to the interactions of two opposite polarity energy fields in the overlapping circles, the boundary of each one touching the center of the other circle, creating the unity portal of the vesica in their interaction. Another aspect of the vesica pattern is that it can be extended into a larger net, popularized in modern times under the name the flower of life to describe the net created by overlapping circles, which then manifest multiple vesicas, which look like flower petals in the design. The term flower of life is a recent name for this pattern. It had other names in the ancient world. Sacred geometry expert Keith Critchlow from Britain has commented that this ancient pattern should not be called the flower of life, but rather is better termed the flower of creation. This is because it holds a six-sided hexagonal pattern related to crystal and mineral forms of physical creation, whereas life is related to five-fold pentagonal forms and the golden mean proportion. The movement of the vesica from duality into multiplicity, as in the flower pattern, is the sacred geometry archetype for the same process in biological life. We see this when the single fertilized egg divides into two, and then into four, then into eight, then continues this binary process into higher multiplicity. This exact same pattern of unity to duality to multiplicity is also found in the important pattern of the Chinese I Ching, which is the same pattern found in modern binary computer technology and in the biological structure of the DNA human genetic code. The I Ching is called the Book of Changes. It shows how a series of 64 hexagrams reveals every possible change which can occur in any situation or in any living system. From the original unity, the Wu Ji, the original circle or sphere of creation, a split into two occurs, creating yin and yang. These two then divide themselves into two again, making four, then divide again to become eight, then 16, then 32, then 64. This is the divine thought form behind the creation of the 64 hexagrams of the I Ching. The first split from one to two creates the primordial yin and yang polarity. Then the split from two to four creates the bigrams of the I Ching. Then the split from four to eight creates the trigrams, continuing through the progression until the 32 splits into the 64 hexagrams of the I Ching. Modern genetic scientists discover that the exact same coding system as found in the I Ching stands behind our human DNA, creating the 64 codons of the human genetic code. The Vesica portal from the divine to physical manifestation 
was often used in sacred design, often without always showing its source in the perfect overlap of two complementary circles. Modern analyses of stone circles from megalithic Europe show that the Vesica Pisces was the basis for laying out many classic stone circles. We find the Vesica in the patterns for laying out a temple or creating a sacred mandala all around the world. We find it in the Holy Grail tradition on the lid of Chalice Well in Glastonbury, England. We find it in the design for the concentric Vesica portals into the holy interiors of cathedrals. When seen in cathedral portals, the concentric Vesicas often have their bottom part cut off for design purposes. Spiritual beings who hold the perfect balance between heaven, the divine source, and earth, physical manifestation, are shown inside the Vesica. In the West, the Christ being is often shown inside the Vesica Pisces. Now that we have some essential knowledge about the Vesica, we can explore how this pattern holds a key to two of the most important mysteries of spiritual initiation. The first mystery is how to discern the nature of different non-physical beings we will encounter on the spiritual path so that we are not led astray. The second mystery is how the same Vesica pattern actually manifests in the human energy field as a key sacred geometry grid which we can activate to accelerate our spiritual development and optimize our spiritual destiny. Let's go into a deep dive now into the first mystery. Spiritual seekers must develop deep discernment between spiritual beings of a beneficial versus a harmful nature, particularly when those harmful beings often present themselves as being benevolent. This discernment also can give us powerful insight into how other people's thoughts and actions are influenced by these different types of spiritual beings who have been spoken of in esoteric traditions for many thousands of years. Unfortunately, one consequence of modern materialism is that our culture has very little understanding anymore of the real non-physical beings and processes spoken of in earlier traditions. We dismiss these often as myths, metaphors, or symbolism, not spiritual realities. The European Rosicrucians use the phrase occult materialism to describe how we distort higher realities into materialistic thought forms, which are based on physical plane conditions, not on the realities of higher planes. A simple example is thinking that beings on higher planes look like human beings, that they communicate through earthly languages, that they are solid and take up physical space. Rather than understanding the true non-physical, highly dynamic, interpenetrating nature of beings on higher planes. Occult materialism is the consequence of our culture having lost our understanding of multidimensional reality, of the exact nature of higher planes of existence. Using our seven-plane model, we can explore how the pattern and principle of the Vesica Pisces guides us on different planes. The divine thought form of the Vesica pattern teaches us on the physical, vitality, and emotional plane levels that we must balance opposite polarities and be centered in order to achieve health and inner balance. Just as the Chinese medicine tradition understands that an excess of yin or yang creates illness. 
On the mental plane, the vesica becomes the concept of good being in the middle between two opposite unbalanced polarities, not a simple polarity between good and evil. Only by understanding that good is the center between extremes can we then discern where these polarized imbalances are manifesting dangerously so we can protect ourselves. We can find these dangerously unbalanced tendencies in ourselves, in the people around us, in distorted metaphysical information, in unhealthy trends in modern politics and culture, etc. On the causal plane, our karma is determined by how skillfully or unskillfully we apply the Vesica balance principles to our actions in the world, which help or harm ourselves and others. On the spiritual plane, the two unbalanced polarities and the balanced center manifest as groups of real non-physical spiritual beings who manifest these tendencies in their inner nature and in their influences on human beings. We can see that the spiritual plane itself is a very high plane of existence, where things we think of as symbols or metaphors in our materialistic culture actually manifest from the highest divine plane as real non-physical spiritual beings. We have lost so much understanding of the spiritual plane and spiritual beings. We are like fish who are terrified of seeing the water we are immersed in. And so we pretend that the spiritual realities all around us don't exist. However, the activation of our latent organs of spiritual perception must happen gradually in tandem with having a healthy body and a healthy structure of our physical life on earth in order to remain grounded and rational in the midst of perceiving these higher realities. The great Rosicrucian initiate Rudolf Steiner once commented that higher levels of clairvoyance are almost like a type of controlled psychosis requiring tremendous inner discipline and grounding in the physical world to be able to stay healthy and to integrate non-physical perceptions properly into a person's psyche. Mental hospitals are full of people whose spiritual organs of non-physical perception opened up prematurely, making them unable to properly navigate between physical reality and perceptions of non-physical beings and processes, which are perceived in a distorted and unhealthy way. This distorted perception of spiritual realities, combined with lack of proper grounding in the physical body, creates reactions on the mental and emotional planes, which lead to psychological illness. So it is very important that we really understand the nature of higher realities and ground this in a healthy, balanced life in the physical body in order to safely and effectively open up these vitally needed new subtle organs of perception which can accurately perceive higher realities. A key teaching of multiple world traditions is that every human being has a divine spirit core, a flame from the ocean of fire that is the Godhead, just as the Christ does. The early teaching of the Christian church, found in the book called On First Principles, written by Origen in Alexandria, Egypt, around 1,800 years ago, is that the Christ being is the Godhead reduced in scale to a level where human beings can see and interact with this being. Human beings also have the same divine essence 
but we are reduced in scale one step further to the microcosmic level. Every human being incarnates as a young spiritual being into the physical plane in order to develop experience, knowledge, wisdom, compassion, and independence balanced with the capacity for love and service. We can activate the divine powers which slumber within us once we reach the maturity needed to use these powers to help and not to harm others. One of the most important teachings in all of spiritual science is the Buddhist teaching of the Vesica Principle. Once again, that evil is not an opposite polarity to good. Good is always the middle way, the perfect balance point between complementary opposite extremes. Our physical, psychological, and spiritual health relies on cultivating the central balance point, the vesica, between opposite unbalanced extremes. The ancient Greek teaching from Plato is that the world soul is crucified on the cross of the physical world, which is based on the cubical cross of the three 90-degree axes that create physical space. Every human being is a microcosm of the world soul. We are all crucified within the cross of the physical body. When we incarnate from spirit into our dense material body, this is an experience we all carry subconsciously within ourselves as a crucifixion experience, being trapped in the cross of the physical body. This opens us up to potentially great suffering in the body of flesh and bone, which is our cross to bear. This is why every incarnating human being is on a hero's journey in order to go through the experiences we need on the physical plane to actualize our full spiritual potential. The European Rosicrucians see Christ as a divine being, the being of the sun, the solar logos, incarnated into a human body in the physical world as an act of solidarity with humanity. This is why European Rosicrucians call the Christ being the representative of humanity and call the spiritual significance of Christ's crucifixion between the two thieves, the mystery of Golgotha. The divine thought form in the mind of God behind this mystery drama of Christ crucified between two thieves is that the two side crosses are within the opposite circles of the Vesica Pisces, with the Christ held in the center of the Vesica of perfect balance and holding open the spiritual portal between the opposite polarities. The two thieves on either side of Christ are described in the esoteric tradition as having two opposite qualities. The thief on the left side cross is full of unbalanced spirituality. The thief on the right side cross has been consumed by unbalanced materialism. This left side thief is the representative of a particular group of spiritual beings known to the Western tradition under the name of their leader, Lucifer, meaning light bearer. These spiritual beings do not understand the purpose of physical incarnation for humanity and the suffering it brings. The influence of these beings attracts us to unbalanced forms of illusory, one-sided spirituality, which can manifest in many different ways. In some cases, it takes the form of seeking constant ecstatic states and avoiding painful or difficult day-to-day -day physical realities, which can lead 
to uncontrolled substance abuse. The Luciferic beings do not understand the purpose of physical incarnation in a balanced way and do not understand that human beings can only go through the stages of development we need through a series of physical incarnations. However, these Luciferic beings with their one-sided spirituality are believed in the Rosicrucian tradition to be redeemable if they come to understand the purpose of physical life, to balance physical life with spiritual development. The thief on the right-hand side, on the other hand, turns his head away from the Christ, refusing to acknowledge the principle of balance. This thief manifests another important group known to the esoteric tradition, who are the opposite polarity to Lucifer's unbalanced spirituality. These beings embody unbalanced materialism, encouraging human beings to focus only on physical life, to deny and even ridicule the existence of spirit and all higher meaning or purpose. These beings encourage humanity to see ourselves as an accidental result of purely random material chemicals, with no moral code beyond serving our own selfish interests, regardless of the harm we do to others. These spiritual beings, of course, know that spirit exists, but they have fallen in love with matter and the physical world. In the deep esoteric tradition, it is understood that these non-physical beings are much more ancient than human beings. They played a major role in the process of crystallizing the divine sacred geometry thought forms from the mind of God into the forms of physical matter. In this process, they became obsessed with matter and the physical world, which they feel they created and they now desire to control. Their subtle psychological influence on human beings has increased significantly on the earth in recent times, which we see mirrored historically in the extreme materialism which has overtaken modern culture. On a personal level, these materialistic beings seek to influence human beings to reject all thoughts of unity, compassion, love, metaphysics, and spirituality, and to act only out of materialistic self-interest. The spiritual beings which encourage this unbalanced materiality were known in the ancient Persian Zoroastrian tradition through the name of their leader, Aram. This Zoroastrian tradition, long before the advent of Christianity, described the Redeemer being, our true spiritual guide, as Ahura Mazdao, meaning the spiritual being seen in the aura of the sun. The Egyptian tradition knew the being which the Persians called Araman by the name Set, the adversary. When Moses led the Exodus from Egypt, Set became the Hebrew word Ha-Setan, meaning the adversary. The Jewish tradition saw Ha-Setan as the being which prevents us from connecting to the divine. In later Europe, the Hebrew term Ha-Setan became simply Satan. Most of the Western tradition lost the major distinction between Lucifer and Satan, thinking them the same being, which is full of logical contradictions. Lucifer's name means light-bearer, a great spiritual being of brilliant light from the heavens. Araman, or Satan, is shown completely differently, as a sclerotic figure who dwells in darkness deep inside the earth. 
Lucifer and Araman are polar opposites in the esoteric tradition, not the same being. However, both beings can blind us to the middle way of the crystals. This image of Christ crucified between the two thieves, holding the balance between the twin extremes of unbalanced spirituality and materialism, it is the Vesica principle made flesh, with the two thieves on either side of the Christ in the middle, opposite polarity pillars to either side, with a perfect middle pillar holding the balance in the center, is also the sacred geometry pattern from the mind of God, which is a key to unlocking hidden powers in the human energy body. This pattern is best known today through the Tree of Life from the Jewish Kabbalah. However, what is not well known today is that this pattern was also activated in secret practices in ancient Egypt and among the Essenes. The Tree of Life's net pattern is based on three pillars. Only the middle pillar goes all the way up to heaven and down to earth. The two side pillars do not reach all the way up or down. In the Jewish Kabbalah, the side pillars are known as the pillars of mercy and severity, complementary opposites, balanced by the harmonizing middle pillar. It has almost been forgotten today that the Tree of Life also holds a hidden encoding of the geometric movement from the zero-dimensional divine plane to our three-dimensional physical world. The topmost center, Keter, which connects to the divine source, is the zero-dimensional single point. Then the next two centers create the one-dimensional line. The next three centers create the triangle, the simplest two-dimensional form made with straight lines. And the final four centers create the tetrahedron, the simplest three-dimensional form made with straight lines. This is how the movement from zero to three dimensions is sacred geometrically encoded into the tree of life. It is rarely understood today that the Tree of Life is based on the Vesica sacred geometry pattern, nor how exactly the Tree of Life appears in the human energy field, nor is it understood the methods through which its power can be activated. There are hints of the secret teaching that the Tree of Life pattern is holographic, appearing both as a glyph of cosmic creation and also microcosmically appearing inside the human body. One such hint is in the name of the highest energy center on the tree of life being called Keter in Hebrew. Keter means crown, indicating to the initiate that this is the first energy center directly above the top of the human head. Because the ancient practices for activating the tree of life in the human energy field were kept very secret, in modern times there have been different theories of where the energy centers on the tree of life correspond to in the human body. For example, the best-known modern metaphysical model coming from the English Golden Dawn system is that the lowest, most materialized center of Malkut corresponds to the energy center at the base of our feet. However, in the 1980s, a great Greek Christian hermetic initiate became revealed to the public under the name of Daskalos, a Greek term meaning teacher. Daskalos was known for incredibly advanced spiritual abilities. For example, he fully remembered all his past incarnations, and he could read, write, and speak all the languages that he knew from previous lives, including ancient Egyptian hieroglyphs. Daskalos was asked how he developed his incredible abilities, 
and he said they were the result of practices he learned as a hierophant in ancient Egypt. This practice was with the original Egyptian version of the Tree of Life that he referred to as the symbol of life, which predates and was the source for the later Tree of Life in the Jewish Kabbalah. Daskalos then published a book with lost knowledge regarding the symbol of life, which included Egyptian hieroglyphic text related to activating the symbol in the human energy field, which he remembered from his ancient Egyptian lifetime. Daskalos corrected the error in modern metaphysical practices with the Tree of Life, showing that the lowest energy center on this powerful sacred geometry pattern is in reality over the genitals and the base of the abdomen, not at the feet. We will, in this series, refer to this powerful sacred geometry grid in the human energy field as the Grid of Life Design, or referred to in short by the acronym GOLD. This gold pattern manifests the Vesica principle in our energy field, with the two circles to either side becoming the polarized left and right pillars and the Vesica perfect balance portal becoming the middle pillar. The three pillars in our energy field are based on the same Vesica sacred geometry principle as the three crosses at the mystery of Golgotha. In episode one, we constructed the first part of the grid of life design, which is the golden triangle around the head. This started with the first energy center above the head, which is where the divine energy above us enters into our middle pillar the ultimate energy channel in the human body, which runs straight down the midline of our body from the crown chakra to the perineum at the base of the abdomen. This first energy center at the top of the middle pillar, we then connected to the little known energy centers above each shoulder at the top of the left and right pillars in our energy field, creating a golden triangle of energy around our physical head. This golden triangle created between the highest energy centers of our middle pillar and our left and right pillars holds our head and consciousness inside a divine golden light. We can now add the next part of the pattern, moving from the golden triangle around our head to activating a section of this pattern around our heart. We will also build on some of the skills and concepts you learned in previous episodes, particularly the zero-point centering and radiance methods, we will use these techniques to more powerfully activate each energy center in this pattern by moving dynamically into the very epicenter of that energy center and then radiating its activated energy outwards like a sun. There are multiple methods for activating the structures of the grid of life design in your energy field. We will use a simplified method which activates first the center in your middle pillar for balance, and then activates its connections to the left and right pillars. If you'd like to do the practice now, please see the companion video for this episode. Otherwise, please set an intention to come back and do the practice at a later time. We will complete the grid of life design in your energy field in a later episode by adding in the two final centers on the middle pillar, which will ground us into physical incarnation and link us to the earth. In secret teachings from Egypt, Israel, the Essenes, and early Christianity, the activation of the grid of life in the human energy field was understood to be one of the most powerful and destiny-changing practices 
in all of spiritual and vibrational science. I hope that in this episode you have learned why the Vesica is such an essential sacred geometry pattern, so much so that I named my research and teaching organization the Vesica Institute for Holistic Studies. Please join me for our next episode when we will explore the sacred geometry secrets which make it possible for our spirit to incarnate into a physical body, and you will learn to activate an almost forgotten pattern essential for your Merkaba, the body of soul travel. I'll see you then. Mm. Well, mm. that was a mouthful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm speechless. There's, there's something happening that even going to the next step that I think Stephen Greer touched on earlier today. Mm-hmm. There's Uh, evolution, I did just say evolution is upon us. <laughs> revolution, revolution. Evolution, revolution, revelation, right? Oh. Is that what uh, Philip said? No. Revolution. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I gotta figure it out. Go print it out, right, Grandma? Okay, well, Um, here we go. This one is called A Divine E.T. Conception. And, of course, this is Emory Smith's Cosmic Disclosure with one of the world's most divine teachers, fathered by an E.T. beat, was one of the world's most divine teachers, fathered by an E.T. being. Well, there's so much meaning to all of that. Renowned author and contactee, Ricardo Gonzalez Corpancho, delves into the biblical legends of Jesus, Mary, and the archangels, proposing that the Immaculate Conception of Christ could be due to ETs. Gonzalez explores timeless myths and how they connect us to the stars. 24 minutes starting now. Today on Cosmic Disclosure, we're with Ricardo Gonzalez, author and researcher from Peru, who has experienced multiple direct contacts with an extraterrestrial species called the Punians. Today, we're talking about ET's interpretation of Jesus and other great teachers. Ricardo, welcome to the show. Thank you again, Emery. From what you learned about various ETs, what could you tell us about their interpretation of Jesus and other great teachers? Well, well, on another occasion, we discussed the importance of human evolution on this planet. For the extraterrestrial beings who have contacted me, it is a very worrisome situation. 
and these beings consider that we must reach other horizons of consciousness and not self-destruct. As we discussed on different occasions, Emery, intellectual development and technology will not help us to achieve it. But it is wisdom that can guide us. This guiding wisdom, or wisdom that can show us the way, is based on very profound discoveries about oneself. These beings who are in contact with us emphasize this point quite a lot, that human beings have a great inner capacity to develop and transform into a great entity of higher consciousness. And they told us, you don't have to look far away from the planet to try to understand that. Throughout its history, several men and women have emerged with a great ability to connect with the universe who were in contact with us in the past and who guided the people. They call them the great masters. Some of them are very special and known to us. Among these figures, we could mention Jesus. I should alert people who are watching us right now on the show that when we talk about these great masters, they must be taken out of the religious context. We must see them as beings who did great historical work. And obviously, I'm going to explain it from the perspective that these beings have transmitted to us. Jesus was allegedly born through an immaculate conception. Now, is it possible that this relates to extraterrestrial intervention? It's a very controversial topic, Emery. See, Because here, religious beliefs are mixed with the scriptures of the times associated with the life of Jesus. And it's very difficult to understand what exactly happened. In fact, according to some skeptics, Jesus did not exist. He was not a historical figure. Mm. And that it was an invention of the church to control the masses, as they say. Mm-hmm. But anyway, what I can tell you, according to my research, of course, Jesus is a historical figure. Beyond the controversial phenomena surrounding his life, including his extraordinary birth, which involves UFO phenomenon, of course. I tried to reinterpret the scriptures, the Bible, that describe this event, the birth of Jesus. And I consulted the beings who were in contact with us, if they could give us more information about it. And we received something extraordinary that has guided us in this research, which led us to travel several times to Israel and to Egypt and other countries. The archangel Gabriel had communication with Jesus' mother, Mary. And as you will recall, he announced that she would become pregnant and that she would have a very special child that she would name Jesus, which means he who saves. This was already controversial because Mary had not known any men before. She had not had sex with any male. According to religion, Mary was impregnated by the Holy Spirit. But the question is, Did this really happen as we have interpreted it in religion? Or, as the messages of extraterrestrial beings assert, Jesus' birth may have been scheduled. And Mary, a very special young woman, because she was a teenager when she got pregnant, was artificially inseminated. There is technology that allows transmittal, even electromagnetically, of the seed of a man to a woman without making physical contact. There are new technologies that are experimenting with these and other things. 
I can't imagine what beings from other worlds could do. And this makes me wonder if Gabriel and other angels, beyond the existence of beings of light or hierarchies on, on other planes that we do not know about, if any of the angels were really extraterrestrials operating in our reality. But let's assume that Mary was artificially inseminated by these beings. This does not resolve our doubts. And another question arises. Where did the seed come from? According to the extraterrestrials and their controversial information, they indicate that throughout history, they were creating a gene bank that was a synthesis of the great patriarchs and masters before the time of Jesus. Samples containing genetic patterns from such well-known and special individuals as Abraham or Moses. Speaking of two other contactees, it's very curious. Let me bookmark this conversation. Investigations of the so-called Shroud of Turin in Italy, they show a man who was crucified and wrapped in a large sheet. This sheet, curiously, has a historical coherence with the accounts of the Bible. One of Jesus' disciples saw it on the ground in the tomb after Jesus had risen. Therefore, this sheet was left with an impression of the energy of Jesus when he returned from the dead. It was said that this sheet and the image of Jesus that is on it was a fraud of the Middle Ages or that Leonardo da Vinci had painted it in the Renaissance. But all of that was rejected. They were misleading maneuvers, and the shroud remains an enigma. What I did want to point out in this regard is that the image of the crucified man that appears on the sheet is of a man who has different traits of different ethnicities, as if he were a mixture of different ethnicities, and quite tall for his time. Perhaps the account of the extraterrestrials who say that from a gene bank of great masters and patriarchs of humanity was used to inseminate Mary. It would explain all this, that Jesus is a synthesis of that process. But that's not all, Emery. We could go on talking about the mysteries surrounding Jesus with extraterrestrial contact. Let me tell you something. As you may recall, not all books that refer to the life of Jesus were published in the Bible. They were removed and practically labeled as forbidden. In these apocryphal Gospels, it is related that when Mary, already pregnant with Jesus, was fleeing to the area of Bethlehem, since there was an order to pursue her family, they even wanted to sacrifice the children who were born at that time. The pains of childbirth did not allow her to reach Bethlehem. And as those writings tell, Mary had to take refuge in a cave. She was accompanied by her quote-unquote husband, Joseph. I say quote-unquote because Joseph was not really Mary's husband. There was a cover-up because at that time, for a woman to get pregnant without having a husband was very frowned upon. Joseph was Mary's protector pretending to be her husband. Actually, Joseph was a widower. He had lost his original wife. He had several children from that marriage, Jesus' half-brothers and sisters, which later generated a lot of confusion in esoteric literature, as we will all remember. So, going back to what the apocryphal Gospels narrate, 
Joseph sent these sons to find a midwife in Bethlehem to come to the cave to help Mary. And then something amazing happened that I've described verbatim from those Gospels. In those Gospels that the church did not publish in the Bible, suddenly everything was silent and still. The wind ceased. Water and streams stopped. Birds stopped flying in the sky. As if someone had paused the Blu-ray. Who did that? Then Joseph, who could move, and was outside the cave, noticed that a luminous cloud was located over the cave. What was that? A few moments later, that object leaves. As if someone unpauses the movie, everything starts running again. A day's Joseph enters the cave, and when he goes in, he finds Mary, already with Jesus in her arms, who had been born without anyone helping. Then Joseph's sons arrive with the midwife who they had found in Bethlehem. And the midwife can't believe what's going on. Seeing a woman already with a baby in her arms, already breastfeeding the baby, and there were no traces of blood or anything. Then the incredulous, skeptical midwife reached out to touch Mary's intimate area, and some kind of radiation came out, almost burning her hand, which causes the midwife to retreat. What happened? Who assisted Mary at the birth of Jesus? What phenomenon could stop time while all this was happening? What's the explanation for that object that was up above? In the Bible as we know it, there is a slightly different UFO reference. What we know is the Star of Bethlehem, an object that was moving to guide three great masters to the birth of Jesus. But that object would stop and then continue to accompany these three masters. What kind of object does that? Could it be an astrological alignment? Regardless of whether there may have been any sign in the stars and their arrangement in the sky, we're talking about a specific object that accompanied what are called the three magi. It's very strange. And according to this account, when the star of Bethlehem comes for the birth of Jesus, the three masters give gifts to the child. But that's a mistake. It's not that they were giving gifts to the newborn Jesus. Instead, they were showing him objects that had belonged to that baby in a previous existence. Like the tradition to seek out the Dalai Lama, to show you objects to see if you recognize that you had used them before in a supposed previous life. When we asked the extraterrestrials how this was possible, they assured us that highly evolved souls from the earth came again and again to our world to teach. So I inevitably asked the question, was the soul that incarnated as Jesus here on earth before? And they said, yes, several times. His last incarnation as a human on earth was as Jesus. My mind exploded. I thought, I can't share this with people. They're going to think I've gone crazy. But I decided to ask a new question. What was one of those supposed previous reincarnations of Jesus? And they answered, a great teacher of India. Then I knew they were referring to Buddha. And there is something very curious. The birth of Buddha, according to tradition, was also associated with the appearance of a star. Some traditions in India say that Buddha was born on the same dates that, today, the birth of Jesus is celebrated although we know that these dates are symbolic and that they are not rigorously historical. 
As if this were not enough, the Buddha, Siddhartha Gautama's mother, her name was Maya, which means Mary, the very same name as Jesus' mother. In addition, one of the most important phrases in the wisdom of Buddha, love others as if they were you. This is also the golden rule of Jesus. Love your neighbor as yourself. Then I found a common thread among the great masters of human history, as if part of a plan. And how could it be otherwise? When Jesus rose again, he left in a cloud into the sky. I don't know what this might mean. I disagree with those extraterrestrial contact groups who have said that Jesus was an extraterrestrial or that Moses or Buddha or Muhammad or other great masters were extraterrestrials on earth. They were human beings, great masters with great knowledge and great inner wisdom who were assisted and accompanied by beings from other realities. In the specific case of Jesus, an extraordinary human being connected to the universe, he didn't need to be an extraterrestrial because he achieved levels of evolution even superior to many of the extraterrestrial entities who are visiting us. That also impressed me. When these beings told me, me as well as other contact witnesses, that beings like Jesus had reached such a level of consciousness that he had surpassed what extraterrestrials themselves knew. So they assure us that if some human beings on earth reach that level, that we should follow that path. And Jesus himself said it. If you want to, you could do many of the things that you've seen me do. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you would say to that mountain, move, and the mountain would move. Ricardo, which extraterrestrial beings told you about this information about Jesus? I've especially obtained this information through the extraterrestrials from Alpha Centauri. And I've not been the only contact witness who has received this type of information. And I was so shocked by these revelations that I conducted research, trying to get some kind of evidence or confront what the extraterrestrials were telling me. But what beings like Antarel tell me about Jesus, Buddha, Moses, was very shocking to me. But then I understood, because if these beings are very in tune with the development of human consciousness, and they have studied our history in great depth, obviously they know about Jesus and some other great individuals, individuals who were fully assisted by higher forces and with phenomena very comparable to the UFO sightings that we have recorded today. For example, let me tell you about another great master. 1,400 years before Jesus, Moses became a great master for humanity, even though in his youth he made mistakes, like when he murdered an Egyptian who was beating a Hebrew, which led him into exile. But later, Moses came into contact with something superior and wonderful, and he was redeemed. His main place of contact was Mount Sinai, I traveled many times to that place and camped there. It is a wonderful place of contact where Moses received many instructions. Let us not forget that he exerted great pressure on the Egyptian empire that was punished with his famous ten plagues that caused Pharaoh to free the Hebrew people from the Egyptian yoke. And guided by Moses, they wandered in the wilderness. 
and they were accompanied by an object in the sky. A column, a column-shaped cloud during the day, which at night emitted so much light that it was called a pillar of fire. Who accompanied Moses on his wonderful mission? Who helped him with the crossing of the Red Sea? Beyond recent studies that attempt to suggest that they crossed through areas where the water was shallow, how can the phenomena of that time be explained? How can you explain that water could flow from a rock for the Hebrew people to drink? Or that, with the morning dew, the famous manna appeared, food from God, and that there are some rabbinic scriptures from rabbis that say, according to what you wish to taste, manna transformed into that. That is, if a person wanted something sweet, manna tasted sweet. And if a person wanted or needed something salty, the manna changed to that. Who did this? And why does tradition affirm that a sample of manna was guarded inside the Ark of the Covenant? By the way, that Ark was built by instructions from heaven. Moses received this information on Mount Sinai with exact measurements, with acacia wood, and covered in gold leaf. Modern studies have shown that this Ark, with that structure, that construction, with the instructions that Moses received, generates a kind of electric battery. Who instructed Moses to build the Ark of the Covenant? And the other question is, where is the Ark? It was said to be inside Solomon's temple, but then it disappeared. It was said to have ended up in Ethiopia, but no one really knows where it is. And what's inside the Ark? More than manna, whatever it was. The important thing is that these great masters of history were assisted by superior forces. And in my way of seeing things, with the active participation of extraterrestrials. I could also talk about Elijah, an important prophet mentioned in the Old Testament, in the Bible, who was taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire, not by chance. Before he began the final part of his mission, and I'm referring to Jesus, Jesus climbed to the top of Mount Hermon, topic that we have also discussed here in Cosmic Disclosure. And when Jesus was high up there, there was a great transformation, a great phenomenon, in front of three of his disciples. Next to Jesus, a holographic image appeared of Moses and Elijah, two previous contactees. And they appeared beside Jesus on Mount Hermon, because Mount Hermon, as we have spoken, dear Emery, like Mount Sinai, or if you like, Mount Shasta here in the United States, is another place of contact. So the great masters of human history were not alone. The ET beings that influenced Jesus and Buddha, are they connected to the Impunians? Not necessarily. The beings who are in contact with me, that we call Apunians, they were the ones who shared this information with me, who motivated me to research. 
But what they tell me is that another group of extraterrestrials, another type of hierarchy, were the ones who were involved in these historical processes, along with Jesus, with Moses, and other great masters in human history. We are talking about events that occurred thousands of years ago, but don't be surprised that the same beings who would have been with Moses on Mount Sinai more than 3,000 years ago are the same that are now flying over our skies. Thousands of years have gone by for us, but for those beings, it just happened. Is it possible the second coming may be the disclosure that we're waiting for? That's a wonderful question. There are people who are waiting for the return of the Buddha of compassion, others who are waiting for the Messiah, or the second coming of Jesus. The shamans of Peru wait for the Incari, the secret Inca. We all expect the return of something. And apart from those wonderful promises, I think that there is a broader meaning. The second coming is the rebirth of authentic information. The rebirth of humanity, in love, in compassion, in knowledge. In fact, many call this phenomenon the Christic spirit. But when I say Christ, I'm not talking about Jesus the person. We are talking about Christ consciousness, of course. Christ consciousness does not necessarily have to do with Jesus, the individual. The word Christ means to be anointed, marked, initiated. It would be like a great state of consciousness of light, very broad, very large, extraordinary. And that wonderful awareness was taught by Buddha, Krishna, Moses, Jesus, and so many other masters. When all these teachings come into play, and we can be reborn in love, that will be the true second coming. Because we don't have to wait for someone to come and save us again. But we have to save ourselves, and that's through Christ consciousness. Oh, Ricardo, so very well put and so beautiful. I love having these very deep conversations with you. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you, my brother. I'm Emery Smith, and this is Cosmic Disclosure. Until next time. Next on Cosmic Disclosure. There are beings of pure energy and consciousness who coexist with us that are not governed by our concept of space-time. I believe that there is a deep level of information that comes from contact with these beings. This sounds like a dream, a science fiction movie. Because these beings have no brain, no physical body, no flesh and blood like us. The goal of these beings is to reveal to us that there is this magical structure in our world, connected to the universe, which has important information. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I'm tempted to play Katie Porter. I just saw her here. No? Mm -hmm. <laughs> She's pretty on top of things, Ron. Mm -hmm. Might be five or ten minutes at the most. Oh. In Congress today, the sweeping tax, climate, and health bill will land on President Biden's desk next week, and not a single Republican voted for it. Back with us tonight to discuss all of it, California Congresswoman Katie Porter. 
Kitty, I heard you might even have a whiteboard with you, which is really your signature move, and I'm excited about it. Inflation Reduction Act, great name. Now for all of those who say, President Biden, what are you going to do about inflation? You've got it. Explain to us how it's going to help the American people. Well, the thrust of the bill is bringing down costs and for American families in the short term through things like reducing um, health care premiums that families pay um, within the Affordable Care Act, reducing the price of prescription drugs, and reducing energy costs for families in terms of heating and cooling their homes. So those are the three areas that families are going to see immediate investments. But the other part about this is about creating a kind of strong, stable, globally competitive economy that's going to have the kind of energy independence and energy security that will help us fight forces like global instability that can lead to inflation in the future. So I think there's, this is a, a terrific economic plan in that it both addresses short-term um, concerns, where are American families right now, but also as a mom, as someone who's thinking about the future, this sets us up to equal and best our global competitors in terms of the economy of tomorrow. There are some Republicans out there warning, with the passage of this bill, there will be, quote, an army of 87,000 IRS agents coming for Americans earning less than $75,000 a year. Want to fact check what? What a load of malarkey. That is just not true. Let me tell you the straight deal. I get phone calls every day from my constituents and my colleagues around the country. I'm asking for help with federal agencies that are not being responsive, that they're waiting on answers from the number one agency that the American people would like to have, have more agents, be more helpful, pick up the phone, build better technology, be more responsive is the IRS. So this is an investment in allowing the IRS to modernize and prepare for the wave of anticipated retirements in customer service agents that we're already facing. The audit piece of this is focused on big corporations, and that's exactly why you're hearing Republicans who are beholden to those big corporations try to weaken and attack this piece. The reality is the focus of the bill on the audit piece is on big corporations. It's on cracking down on corporate tax cheats. And here's how that math works. For every dollar that we invest in IRS enforcement of the most wealthy Americans and the largest corporations with an army of lawyers and accountants to do their bidding, we can recover $5 in taxes that are owed to the rest of us. And ultimately, this kind of investment is going to let us have a more stable tax structure going forward. Can you have that whiteboard? You can wipe it off. Because I want you to fill it out for me again the next time you're here and explain to me how come private equity firms are still allowed to cheat this system. But we will save that for another day. I want to take the time I have left to ask you what this bill is going to do to address climate change. Absolutely. This bill makes a historically important investment in green energy. And what this is going to do is allow the American economy to best our competitors at winning the green manufacturing jobs of the future. The country that is able to dominate on the world stage for the next 10, 50 years is going to be the country that figures out how to do that in a way that is not dependent on fossil fuel prices, not dependent on 
petro dictators, not creating pollution that has to be cleaned up. It's the company, it's the country that's going to do it in a green way. And so this makes a $50 billion investment in technologies like wind and solar um, that are going to help us do that manufacturing without the cost and the burden of the pollution that we've seen in some traditional manufacturing. So for me, this is about creating good, high-paying jobs and creating the foundation for more high-paying jobs in the future. All right, then, Congressman Katie Poor, always good to see you, especially when you are celebrating on a Friday night. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Okay, that was good. All right, just a little check-in onto that level. <clears throat> um, <laughs> the whole thing's got to go, folks. Mm-hmm. we got to start something here that has... Uh, you might say a quantum leap. Yep, that's the word here. Let's see what our sister Caroline Hoshiana Ryan and the collective have to say about the moment here. <clears throat> oh, and Rama, time to tune in to see, give him a, give everybody a call for Rainbird. Time for Rainbird. <laughs> Oh, how much longer is that going to take? That could be five minutes or more. Five more minutes. Oh, okay. Well, Commander Don, if you can hear us, would you please give us a little call to Rainbird? Rama's kind of happened to reboot something over here. Can you hear us? (laughs) Calling. Well, you could put a little note there, right? Yeah, while you're waiting. Okay, um, this week's guidance from the Ascended Masters Galactics Earth Elements, Fae Elders, Angelic Legions, Archangels, and the other divine beings known as the Collective. This week's message is an excerpt from a chapter in the Collective's book, New Earth Journeys. Quote, on resistance and stepping up in a time crisis, crisis. Chapter opens with questions from two different light workers. Question. There are so many of us that are doers. Can you give us concrete steps or a loose map for us to take action on? The absolute subjugation or extermination of the human population is happening at the moment. And there are many of us ready to take more action than being in resistance. Five and a half billion of us have gone to another level, but they're not gone in the sense of their consciousness is even more accelerated and aware and contributions are being made. So let's connect and remember that's real. Question, what are we to do? Besides sticking to our beliefs and marching, is there anything else? I know how, for I am willing to go to stand up for my beliefs. I will risk it all. I know people are waiting for quote-unquote God to intervene. I believe that it is time for humanity to step step up and take responsibility. I cannot believe how brainwashed everyone is. 
but I understand that it is the choice they make. How far will we have to go? And what is your counsel to us right now? And the collective response here. Both of these excellent queries address a situation that is the most immediately painful for many. They sense intuitively that the illness that has raced through most parts of the world over the last few years was not an accident. Likewise, many have noted that very, the very quick appearance of a medical pretreatment that the masses have been led to believe will protect them from becoming ill, which in fact carries its own hidden dangers. And so yes, this is an attempted extermination of the majority of the human race. Many in various countries have attached party politics to the scenario. We would say, lift your eyes and look further than that. Thank you. Thank you. Rainbird's with us, everybody. <laughs> okay. Um, and so, yes. Many in various countries have attached party politics to the scenario. We would say, lift your eyes and look further than that. This situation is far greater than any one political party's preferences or claim. Please, folks, that is so true. Political parties are almost always used as levers of control over hearts and minds by the same crowd of controllers. You have dealt with on this planet for thousands of years. They wear many faces. Now for a moment, let us look well beyond the extermination and control agenda. Turn the page. Hmm. Let us look at why you have come in at this time. Uh, why any light bearer in their right mind would come in at this time and how you are you are to process what is happening now which is not only a matter of dealing with the depths of dark intents against humanity also involved is lady gaia herself standing amidst weather manipulation large-scale drought and arson manufactured earth disturbances and so on let us look beyond the destruction, both actual and intended, and ask why you would come in at this time carrying higher light. You chose this time to take on the ascension path, to evolve your consciousness to where you can see and speak with light beings and extraterrestrial friends, guides, and family members as easily as you would a next-door neighbor and to heal yourself, and in so doing, to assist in the healing of others and your planet. All of that sounds to be a big enough challenge, and then this happens. The pandemic, or any personal or global crisis. <laughs> Turn the page. Hmm. Certainly you could have stayed beyond in the higher realms and still assisted humanity whenever possible at this time of unparalleled challenge in human life. 
As you say, why come in now simply to resist the dark side's plans and openly oppose them? Some forms of resistance have merit, of course, to speak one's truth, to stand in protection of others and in protection of life itself is a powerful way of the light warrior. It takes much bravery and it reassures many that they are not alone in their realization that much is rotten in the state of Denmark and that human rights must be upheld. Yet that truth-telling can also unconsciously contribute to the divisiveness that the shadow realm feeds off of. Its control depends upon people being divided against one another, while also suffering splits in their own consciousness. Know that, as you do speak out against what is being hoisted onto Earth's population at present, this is not a lost effort. Your inner passion and refusal to support what is happening now is a powerful stand. Yet speak in favor of all persons awakening and shaking off the shackles of many, many earth lives in which humans have been threatened and forced into obedience of the old power structure. Yet as valiant as all that resistance sounds, we agree that to fight what is happening is not enough. And so, for a moment, let us leave earth. Let us visit a ship and residing quietly above the planet. Stand with us now and look out the large window that shows you one side of Earth in her nighttime beauty. Many small pinpoints of light join, illuminating the places where towns and cities are aglow with the lights of buildings, homes and vehicles, brightening spaces that seem small from such a distance. From this particular viewpoint, you do not see struggle, though you most assuredly sense it. Yet you do not fail, you do not fall prey to the depths of intense emotion. You do not in react, you are not in reaction. You stand as an advanced being, as an earth human might call you, feeling a great love for Mother Earth without the desperation so many of her inhabitants feel at present. For you are also able to see the magnificence of this moment. In fact, <coughs> are you doing okay? Um, yeah, I hope so. Oh. <laughs> Send good vibrations to Lord Rama and his laptop over there. They're having a discussion about life, universe, and everything. In fact, as they say, you would not have missed it for anything. The magnificence has nothing to do with the power of struggle being witnessed by those who stand upon the earth now. It has to do with the times these earth humans live in. And this moment on her current elevated timeline holds astounding potential for experiencing a level of grace, healing, and true inner power that humanity could have only dreamt, dreamt of a century ago. Indeed, some did dream of it. You and many others were amongst them. 
And so you incarnated once again to be part of what you knew would be a time of unprecedented light coming into the planet from your son, Saul. That great sentient being of solar light consciousness is simply passing on to you the powerful energetic waves of new life that the great central sun is beaming out. (laughs) To him, that woke me up. And your son will continue to do so in ever-increasing amounts over thousands of years. These golden light particles carry their own mission, and it is a mission that well outweighs the plans of the old order. Yes, you came in to witness this, to be here on Earth as these pinpoints of seemingly magical presences, many trillions of them at each moment, flow to Earth and Earth consciousness. For in this moment, or when it would appear that all is lost, you are in fact in a moment of unprecedented breakthrough. This is the moment when Earth regains her status from last civil, from lost, from last civilization, isolated from all other civilizations, to being once again a part of the Galactic Federation of Worlds. And so small part of this, no small part of this, is that her citizens are remembering their lost aspects, reclaiming their lost DNA, and rising in vibration to that fifth dimension, to that of fifth dimensional being. Oh, time has fled. It's fled. The ship itself. Or the new, or the crew. Are you ready, Rama? As ready as I can be. And it's going to work. Yeah. Okay. Are any of them old friends or family members? Is one perhaps your own twin flame? Look down. How are you dressed? Are you in another form other than your usual earth human shape and size? What is your role on this ship, if any? We ask these questions because this is the form so many of you are in while in your sleep state each night. Missions vary and appearances vary. Rama to stay, okay? Oh, kitties getting in trouble. (laughs) But all of you have had times aboard a ship of one form or another and looked out upon the earth and considered or discussed her current state of affairs with others. You have, in fact, done this for centuries. Then, at some point, you decided to embark upon yet another Earth journey, understanding that this particular lifetime would be the end of a long time, long line of third-dimensional life. Whether on a ship or in the higher realms, you knew there were there was work to be done on the surface of Earth by those in human form and holding human consciousness. I'm going to just jump. You knew that you could, if you wished, stay behind and assist energetically. Yet the immediate interaction with other Earth beings and the planet herself was something you would not give up. This was due to your great love for her and all her beings. All of this to even out my past misdeeds, you may ask, 
to ensure that I ascend as far as possible to assist a planet that looks to be in the, her, her death throes one minute and the birthing process the next. It's too much. Could no one stop me? No, actually we couldn't. And that is the beauty of it. And, uh, let's see. I'm gonna jump. Go to another page. Page like this. Okay. Your true gifts to this earth and her people now, whether those you know or those who live on other continents, is to hold the vibration that all is well. Your own frequency is your key out of the prison you were forced to build for yourself long ago. That beautiful, oh dear, uh, tone which you sing with, with your very being is all about freedom from fear, freedom from the stress of uncertainty that many around the world are experiencing. Inspiring music, images, books, films, friends, and your own ability to laugh at the irony and strength, strangeness of the holographic illusion around you, the attempted manipulations and the purported gains and losses. Yes, divine love is all there is. And know that in all of this, you are never alone. And so it is. And I'm passing this talking stick with every fairy and feather and angel and rainbow and crystal and minahuni and hobbits and, did I say elf? And everything thereof. I pass this talking stick to you, Lady Master. Oh, thank you. I'll take that talking stick. And <laughs> thank you, Caroline, for your good words. And thank you, Tara and Rama, for everything that you brought forward tonight. It was a busy evening. It was. So, yeah, lots, lots going, lots of healing happening. Yes. And, uh, yeah, lots of that. So yes. thank you. And I'm going to pass this talking stick over to you, Rami. Here it comes. Okay. What you got for us? This Hi. is Alan Watts. Trust in yourself. All right. Maybe it's better to push the button than the bottom there. Um, oh, here it comes. Okay. It's coming, everybody. This is the very devil for teachers. Because, you see, all our universities and schools are trying to teach creativity. That's the great thing these days. You know? And even here at the Esalen, uh, all sorts of people are giving courses and workshops in creativity. Now, the trouble is this. If we found out a method whereby we could teach creativity, and everybody could just explain how it was done, it would no longer be of interest. What always is an essential element in the creative is the mysterious. There's a poem which says that when the bird calls, the mountain becomes more mysterious. You imagine, for example, you're in a mountain valley and everything is very silent. 
And suddenly a crow squawks somewhere. You don't know where that crow is. And that little sound emphasizes the silence. Silence becomes deeper and deeper. Well, this word is used for the kind of mysteriousness which that bird's call creates. The expression Mugen. And Yugen is a quality uh, which the poet Soami, who was a great uh, artist of the No plays, said, uh, Yugen is to watch wild geese flying and be hidden in a cloud, to watch ships sailing in the distance and to disappear behind a far-off island, to wander on and on in a great forest without thought of return. Now, all those things have in them, you see, an element of mystery. There's a Chinese poem which puts it this way. It is a poem written by a man who has gone to find a sage in the mountains. And uh, the sage has a little hut at the foot of the mountain and a boy there who is his servant. I asked the boy beneath the pines. He said the master's gone alone, herb gathering somewhere on the mount, cloud hidden. Whereabouts unknown. And this also creates the mood of Yugen. That's this funny idea of the deep and the dark, the thing that is important just because you can't quite understand it. Now, to Westerners, all that tends to sound rather hopeless. You say, if, we, if you can't tell us how it's done, uh, well, what's the use? And that, you see, is because we have insufficient trust in ourselves. We think that we'll never be able to do certain things unless we have instructions as to how to do it. This comes, of course, partly from our toilet training. <laughs> that it won't happen and uh, starts making commandments about it and then you have to have courses and <laughs> one of the funniest stories I heard was um, somebody was in a hotel in Europe in England somewhere and was going downstairs and suddenly there was a room you know where they have committee meeting rooms and there were a whole chorus of people saying we haven't today but we will tomorrow we haven't today but we will tomorrow what on earth is that? Oh, Thomas said, that is Dr. Kuwe's constipation class. <laughs> the Taoist idea is not like that. Let it happen. If we're all trusting yourself because your own organism uh, fulfills these things spontaneously. And uh, this is rather embarrassing, but I thought I'd give Cheryl's phone number for tomorrow evening and Monday evening, uh, 7 o'clock Mountain, 9 o'clock Eastern, <laughs> for about three hours. And we'll give a little update, update each day, too. So that number is 425-436-6260. 
And the pin code is 946-7441 pound. 425-436-6260. And the pin 946-7441 pound. Uh, see you there and in your dreams. And I pass this talking stick to our sister. Oh, no. We're done. <laughs> Our goose is cooked. That's it. <laughs> Until manana, everyone. Aloha and be well. And dream that dream awake. Satnam. Satnam. Thirteen. Thank you. Sunny in the heart. No evil. Live long and prosper. Aloha. Namaste. <laughs>